Happy holidays, MJ fam. Welcome to episode 93 of the MJ cast. It's our season four Christmas special. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking about some news items. We've got a great retrospective of some of our special episodes from this past season. And we'll be playing some clips for you from those episodes. And we're going to be playing some awesome music for you as well. We've also got our correspondents to chime in throughout the episode and lots more in store. Hope you guys enjoyed the show and can't believe it. We are here at the end of season four. So welcome to episode 93. Like Mr. Whipple. Fa la 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 la. You'll always get a big reaction. Fa la 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 la. If you grab your balls like Michael Jackson. Fa la 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 la. Merry Christmas, Bubbles. Grab your balls like Michael Jackson. Fa la 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 la. The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ Cast by MJ fans or MJ fans. The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. Oh my God, you guys, I hate that so much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Why did you hate it? (laughs) Oh, grab your balls. Really? You guys. Well, Michael did that a lot. Like Michael Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's fine. It was was funny when I watched it. You're right. Okay. We mean no offense with that intro song (laughs) at all. But I have to say two points about it. I've been meaning to put that in an episode for like the last two years at least. (laughs) And every year I have it bookmarked somewhere and I completely forget about it until after. And two, this year, actually a few people have actually sent it and said, check this out, Q, check it out. And I'm like, oh, thank you for reminding me because I would have forgotten again. So I'm like, I'm going to put that in this one note before I forget about it. And what more ridiculous and stupid way to open the show. It was great. Happy holidays. Grab your balls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Elise. Welcome. I'm Q. For those who are just tuning in for the first time, I'm co-hosting the MJ cast with two of my great friends, Jamin and Elise. Elise, thank you for introing the show. Thanks for letting me do that. I'm really excited that I'm at the end of my first season with you guys. And so I appreciate getting to wrap it up. That was fun. 
Yeah, it's been a big season, hasn't it? Big, huge season for you coming in and, and you know doing our show notes and things. So we're so appreciative of all of that. But you've gone above and beyond your role of uh, web assistant with the, with the show notes and stuff. And you've helmed episodes. You've done an exclusive interview with with John Barnes, which is incredible. You've just taken things to the next level, Elise. So thank you so much for all of your work in, in season four. Oh, well, thank you guys. Honestly, the trust you've put in me and the way you've really welcomed me into the team has just been incredible. I've learned so much this year. I've had so much fun. Um, It's been a real honor to work with you guys and just to keep doing what we do to uh, support Michael Jackson's legacy. So thank you guys for everything. (laughs) Well, the the truth is Q and I were a bit of a wreck at the end of season three. So, Oh, my God. (laughs) Remember, we were talking about something a bit earlier, like, remember this? Remember this from last year? And I had not remembered it until you brought it up. I was like, oh my God, that was awful to deal with. That was another thing on the list of season three. Holy moly. This year has been absolute night and day for us. Like, I do not feel just completely shattered and drained at all this year. Like, I'm still at this moment having fun. And I think you said earlier as well, Jamin, that you're so excited for this recording, this, this call. And I have been as well. I've been so looking forward to hanging out with you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. It never it's gets fun. old for me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like you mentioned at the start of the show, it's going to be a pretty fun and jam-packed show with news and retrospective of special episode highlights from our season four. And uh, we've all come to the table with some pretty cool finds of the week. And yeah, I hope y'all enjoy the music as well. And of course, our correspondence segments that I always look forward to presenting. So this, I always love the season finale Christmas specials because they're such a great little time capsule and journey through the season and all of the, all of the good stuff, all of the highlights and all of the fun stuff and the big old office Christmas party. Hell yeah! Just uh, just don't go dancing like Ricky Gervais, huh? In in the office. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> and it's too hot here to wear ugly sweaters. So <laughs> never, never. <laughs> you guys got your trees up? Oh my god, yes! Did you see the picture of my tree? Yes, I did. Looks very nice. I didn't very, see the picture of well your themed. tree. Thank you. What was that? Sorry, Elise. I said I haven't seen the picture of your tree. I'll have to look that up. Well, how will I if I send it in the chat? Will you see it during this call? Yes, you should. Okay, send it. I have my Christmas tree has been known to make my father cry, and I think again <laughs> this year it will make Dad cry. And you may see a little Disney touch near the bottom of the tree. I didn't notice that. I'm going to have to look a bit closer. This is only a recent one I tweeted, so I don't know if you saw this one. I can't remember if I sent this in a message chat or not. I still haven't actually finished decorating. I still haven't put my nativity up at the entrance table uh, and a fake presence under the tree. I haven't done that yet. You put fake presents under the tree? I can't afford real presents for a million people. I've never heard of putting fake fake presents under the tree. I was a little shocked as well when I first learned Q did that. (laughs) (laughs) Are they just empty boxes? Yeah, like empty boxes, but beautifully wrapped. And then just pile them under the tree. If burglars came in, they would be very disappointed. (laughs) They'll take your empty boxes. (laughs) 
That is that is gorgeous. That puts my tiny, tiny, like ten inch coffee table Christmas tree to shame. Yeah, this Beautiful one's really tree. tall. Thank you so much. I'll uh, tweet out a it picture. Is. I was actually gonna maybe put a tweet out with a picture of it uh, and get other people to send pictures of their trees because I always love seeing other people's Christmas trees. And I know that there's a few people out there that put little Michael touches in their Christmas decorating, mm-hmm. and that's that would be awesome to see as well. It's gorgeous. I would like to start doing a bit more of that. That's a great idea. It is. I can't remember who it was, but someone uses like little pins, like the little circle badges, and they decorate those into the tree. Um, I saw a tweet from Jesse DeVores, and he puts like an actual Michael glove in the tree. Yeah. Put one on top of the tree. Oh, you could do it at the top <laughs> instead of the star or the angel or the crown. And you could, yes. you know, you know what you could do. Like, you know how a lot of people have trains running around the bottom of their tree. Um, like, I know or you've got what, one of what those. can you what can you see at the bottom of my tree, Elise? I well, I see your little train. Does it look that a little bit like the Walt Disney World monorail? Oh, <laughs> that's I can. You're totally right. Now that I zoom in, I can see that. That's adorable. <laughs> That's new, oh. right? That you had a different train last time. It yeah, I had got this one in 2016 and I'm going to alternate it throughout the year. So then I've got like the sort of traditional looking steam train set as well. So mm-hmm. next mm-hmm. year I'll go to that one and then the year after I'll go back to the monorail. So I, I if I had the room I'd put all of them out at the same time, but it's a bit hard cuz the tree's so bloody big. It is a big tree. It is literally touching your ceiling. It literally is, and that's actually a raised <laughs> ceiling as well. It's giant. This tree is way taller than me. I need to climb up on something pretty big to get to the top of it. And there's 100 <laughs> metres of lights on this tree this year. I went and bought more lights. <laughs> wow. There's 100 metres of lights, which is really a lot. And I still think I could fit more on there. I'm curious who's got the bigger tree, Q. I'm going to have to measure mine and compare. Well, you, I haven't seen a picture of yours, have I? Yes, you have. Let me send it again. What? Yeah, send it again. Send it again. Everyone's like, oh, my God, get to the good stuff of the show. Just waffling on about Christmas trees. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Well, we can move on size. and I'll send you this uh, picture in the background anyway. All right. Sweet, sweet, sweet. <laughs> uh, you've got a little bit of follow-up stuff you want to open the show with. Hashtag Undygate. Hashtag remove <laughs> Casio Dax now. <laughs> that was honestly like, oh, that was one of my highlights of the year, I think, seeing that hashtag. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Damien. Um, yes, thank you. Yeah, so I guess that Frank Casio is now no longer trying to sell Michael Jackson's dirty undies online. Yeah, apparently an exaggeration, folks. That's what was happening. Yeah, that was literally (laughs) what was happening. But apparently it was not him. He didn't do it. He's innocent. (laughs) (laughs) Even though he uses that particular auction website for lots of other personal things like uh, medical x-rays and things like that for Michael. No, it wasn't Frank at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Anyway, so we uh, look. That was another instance of uh, Casio family acting sus and trying to make money off weird stuff. It was also another good example of the MJ community coming together and fighting for uh, respect for Michael. 
So thanks everybody who jumped on board and um, you know contacted either the auction house or uh, I think we put a tweet out and there was a lot of pressure that was put on Frank to his social media through replies around what he was doing. The game was up, people could tell. Um, I personally, I don't think I've ever seen a bigger reaction to um, uh, to a controversial thing happening around Michael than that. That was just huge. Uh, maybe maybe the uh, the white guy playing Michael in in the, that that movie mm-hmm. that that we jumped on a year oh, or two yeah, ago. Oh yeah, the fines. The yeah, Ray brother, fines yeah. thing. Yeah, this this would have been up pretty up there. Yeah. Yeah. At least were you on holidays in Shanghai when this all happened? I was. So I sort of halfway saw it, but did not get to experience it in quite the way you guys did. So. Yeah, I missed a little bit of the drama, unfortunately. But it was interesting to come back to and see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, oh. what was your first reaction when you saw it? When you saw what was actually happening? When I saw the picture, I was just like, what the heck is going on here? And then just, <laughs> you know, a sense of complete horror that this was even happening. But yeah, I mean, since I came back to it and sort of missed it while it was in action, it was a- actually really encouraging to see, you know, the progression of of events and really it getting shut down. And like you said, Jamin, I mean, that is a testament to when we activate and get together, you know, we can make change and protect Michael's legacy with stuff like this. So, so I thought that was great. Normal people in the world were reacting to this as well. I remember showing my wife and I've never seen her more disgusted around something <laughs> to do with Michael Jackson. She even the even the mm-hmm. fake songs. I mean, you know, like she's sort of lived with that <laughs> through me for a number of years. But when she saw this, she she was like, "This is so wrong on every level." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's you know the jury was a little bit out on Frank for a while there, but um, I think this is this has sealed the deal for his reputation for sure. I will for the benefit of just having said it and because we reported sort of we were pretty big on this on social media across all of our platforms and the response like you said was massive someone many people but a few people sent me screen cap where they wrote to frank cassio all of their disappointment on this auction of michael's used dirty underwear and he actually replied to one fan at least, and they screen capped it. And Frank's reply to this fan, not to us, who we literally tagged in every one of our posts asking for an explanation. He didn't reply to us once, but he did say to this one fan that they captured, I did not do this. I would never sell such a thing. They took my signature and did this themselves. I have nothing to do with this. My lawyer already sent a letter letter yesterday, and in fact, it's down. And it was removed from auction, but all of the other items that were also up for auction in the same auction, with Frank's name attached, were still still available in the auction. So he didn't withdraw anything except for these underwear, and that was what the reaction was in relation to. And apparently it was not him. But his actions are still very suspicious and very typical, to be honest, of past actions of them selling 
other very personal and private things at auction. There you go. I've said his piece and you've heard ours and you've seen the actual images so you can judge for yourself. But I think it's pretty clear what sort of family that is. (laughs) Stay classy, Frank. Stay classy, Frank. (laughs) Damn. All right. Well, more follow-up. Moonwalk Walks. Let's talk a little bit about MJFFC and uh, our friend of the show and charity correspondent, Stephen. He's got uh, an initiative out at the moment where he is spreading Moonwalk, the Michael Jackson autobiography, all around the world. It's really cool. It's, uh, It's a fun initiative. All the books, I'm pretty sure, are now released into the wild. The idea is that he wants all these books to travel through every different continent of the world, one book per continent. And uh, he chose a representative or a sponsor or a donor. I can't remember what they're called. We're called, sorry, sponsors, I think, um, for each continent. Um, and uh, I was lucky enough to be chosen as the Australian sponsor. Got a copy of Moonwalk from Stephen. He, he sent it over. It's really interesting how it works. Like on the inside cover, there's like information about what the project is. You've got to fill in your details in it with a little message. And uh, then you've got to email back to Stephen to say when you've got the copy of the book. And the idea is that it travels from person to person around the place. And if we're all contacting Stephen back to say that we've got it, then he has a little map on his website where you can actually track these books and see how many hands they pass through. So, yeah, book four, which was the Australia book, it's now out in the wild. Um, I went around and took a bunch of photos with it around Brisbane at some MJ locations and different things and then put it in a book stand um like a book exchange type free secondhand book stand thing somewhere in a different suburb and i don't know where it's gone now but it's kind of exciting to think about yeah i think this is such a cool idea i'm I'm, i really hope we get to hear all about where these books have been once we get a little further along in the in the project yeah, some of them have gone already through, I think, two or three people. in, in There's a year, I think the French one is onto its third person, I think. Yeah, I think it's actually in its travel to South America. The one that was, Whoa. I believe, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the one. Just having a look at the map now, uh, it was sponsored by Hector Bajot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was logged in Paris. And then, at the moment, it's now in Angola, South <laughs> Africa. Well, the last the last wow. log for the book, log two, which is uh, for book five, was uh, Aldo. Uh, he's from Mexico. He got the book from MJ Room in Paris. And while I was in Angola, I read it. He took some pictures along with his stay and left the book in that country. You can find pictures on his Instagram account, Aldo Chas, A-L-D-O-C-H-A-S. This is the best project ever. Congratulations. So that one's traveled really far already. I want to know how the Antarctica one worked. Apparently, Stephen successfully has got a book to Antarctica. So it's showing on the map as, well, it's way down there. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure if it's officially been logged in yet, but it's showing book two Antarctica Port Lockroy. So hopefully we get an update on that one soon. That's the one I'm very excited about as well, actually. That's very, it's so cool. Stephen comes up with the, the best ideas. That's awesome. 
Yeah. Spread that awesome Michael book around the world. Uh, did you guys have any follow-up from previous apps? I have, but it's nope. a new story. It's, I think, our final news story today. So I'm going to leave it for the news because it's a great follow-up sort of sequel information to a news story we featured a few shows ago. Cool. Well, I suppose I'd better open my uh, OneNote up so we can get back <laughs> straight into Got the news. news. Yeah. Oh, this is a you've you've put this one in, so I'm going to let you take it away, <laughs> Jamin. Yeah. So, um, I over the past couple of weeks, I I had a chance. I've been saving it up for when I finally got onto school holidays, but I. I I finally got a chance to listen to John Cameron's um, musicology episode, his latest one on Michael Jackson's history era, uh, JC's musicology. You can find that on um, podcast apps now, which is great. And it was it was awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I was recommended to me by you know my close MJ friends, and uh, of course I was already subscribed, so it popped up in my feed and. Um, I had a listen and I really, really enjoyed it. I've heard the other ones as well, like the Janet one and the other Michael one. Uh, so it was sort of a format that I was used to hearing. But again, it just drove home to me how amazing it is, these audio documentary style pieces all about Michael's art. And uh, and of course, the thing John does just the best and I don't think there's anybody else out there doing it outside of like seminar scenarios is um of course he's he's talking over the tracks and he's giving information about these songs but just the way he does it like he might be talking about an acapella and then all the music fades out except the acapella or he might be just talking about a particular drum loop and everything fades out except the drum loop because he's got access to these multi tracks and the way that he that he actually pieces together this this audio documentary is such an immersive experience and uh, if you're a fan of the history album and like how can you not be come on um, and and you want to explore the the uh, musicality of that album, then there's uh, no better piece of work really than than what John's done with this latest episode. I really really enjoyed it. I'm guessing both of you guys have heard it as well. Yes, yeah, it's it's fantastic. I can't say enough good things. I only just started listening to these audio documentaries by John recently when he put them as available as podcasts. So I've started from, from the beginning. So I've started with the, um, the longer pieces he did on Janet, um, Janet Jam and Lewis, which are also great. Um, and I've been kind of working my way through. So I had to, I will admit I had to scramble and listen to this one um, because I've been so busy this past week listening to our old episodes and picking out clips. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But so yeah, I was I was listening to this one just this evening actually, and I fully agree with you, Jamin. Just that the way the way he uses the archival audio is spectacular. The way he brings in uh, excerpts from interviews. I mean, he just brings it all together, and then you you get so engaged listening to these multi tracks as he's explaining them, like you said, that you just feel like you understand the music in a different way. For as many times as I have listened to some of these songs before, I hear them completely fresh because of this audio documentary. So it's, it's great. I, I can't wait to hear more. Um, I haven't listened to every single one yet, so I'm excited to get through the rest of those and really do encourage everybody else to get out there and listen to these and, and 
take the time to to I usually listen to my podcasts in the car while I'm running around, but these these ones you really want to like sit down in a quiet room with your headphones or your nice speakers and spend some time with them. Yeah. For sure. Q, your thoughts? Loved it. It was good. I think it's one of his shorter episodes and I'm just guessing that is purely because of what material he had to work with. And that's why it may have been shorter. There might have been less to work with than, say, the mammoth-sized Janet, you know, Jam and Lewis episodes. So, you know, yeah, I was still a little bit hungry at the end. Could have definitely had room for dessert. But the <laughs> content the content featured in this was incredible. This had... Was this the one with Smile and some yeah. Earth Song stuff in it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it finished mm-hmm. up with Smile. Oh, my God. So amazing, amazing. And the Ghosts demo, like, uh, well, yeah, that's very pretty much what I had heard at the cinema. That's the version that was in the film that was initially screened when they had the Ghosts in the, in the cinema for the little limited run. And yeah, it has that awesome bass in it. So cool. So cool yeah. to hear that again. A great reminder. I just wish that Michael had kept that bass guitar in the, in the final yes. version of Ghosts. It was so good. <laughs> totally. So good. Yeah, yeah. No, really good. Really good stuff. Um, I was a little bit shocked as well when I heard it. Um, <laughs> there was um, a few <laughs> uh, parts in it where there were Rob Hoffman uh, interview snippets. And I was like, wow, that sounds familiar. <laughs> I think I've heard Rob saying that stuff before somewhere. And then I realized it was from our own interview with Rob. So, um, yes. I, yeah, that was a bit of a, a weird moment for me to hear something we'd created um, with Rob in another piece, which is really special. And, yeah, I'm glad that that, um, that John ended up using that stuff uh, because that's one of the reasons we do these special interviews is to get to liberate that information for fans to to use in the way they want to use it as well so that was cool but a bit surprising because i didn't know he was going to do that he's he's put a he's put a link in the show notes to our rob episode hasn't he yeah yeah there is a there is a credit in there for the mj cast which is cool that is cool i was also really into like um well you know there's i was a bit split because I, i don't like um the idea of people leaking you know, um, rare, rare Michael Jackson things without permission. But um, there's there's a part of me that also gets really excited to hear stuff I've never heard before. So in this mm-hmm. particular episode, there was an early demo version. Uh, I don't know whether it's worth calling a demo, to be honest, but much too soon. The, ver- the latest version before it was tinkered with for the Michael album, the version that Michael approved, I'd never heard that before. So hearing that in this show was really special. And it just drove home to me again, like how much I react more positively to authentic MJ stuff, like the the guitar and the strings and Michael's vocal on this version. I don't understand why anything more had to be changed or done to that. It was it sounds amazing. It sounds perfect. So anyway, um, I kind of wish that was the version they'd released on the Michael album, but that was cool to hear. Oh, yeah, I wanted to echo a little bit what you were saying, Q. I do think it could have been longer as well. I was really disappointed when it ended, like, because I loved it so much. I just wanted it to keep going. 
Um, I, I I know the show's focusing on the art and all of that kind of thing, and it's probably a wise move to keep it just really focused on the art. But um, history era is so fascinating. The way Michael was dealing with allegations, bouncing back for them, negotiating with his record label, all of that kind of thing. I, w- I wish kind of there'd been a little bit more um, context around that. Uh, so yeah, that was that was the only little bit of criticism I have is that I thought I think it could have been that little bit longer and building in a little bit more of the context around Michael's life around the songs that inspired the actual songs and he did touch on that stuff, but yeah, I could have gone for I, I easily could have gone for two hours, three hours. <laughs> um, oh yeah, for sure. Give me that that whole yeah. what is that menu called where you have like fifty different meals? Dig degustation menu. I could have <laughs> yeah. gone the dig degustation menu on the history album with John. Well, what what I found was when I listened to the Janet one he did, which was a bit longer. And and went over her whole career. And of course, we were just speeding through her career. But for me, I mean, I love Janet, of course, but I certainly am not at the same level of fandom and also not at the same level of knowledge about her body of work as I am about Michael Jackson. So for me, the Janet one was really fun to listen to as a more casual fan because I felt like I got a great sense of her whole career and really kind of appreciated her in some new ways, even in just, you know, that one episode. And I would love for him to, uh, for John to give us a little bit more context and get a little bit more deeper in the, uh, a little deeper in the uh, MJ episodes, because these are the kind of things I would love to be able to tell my casual friends, you know, to listen to, and they could learn a lot. And I felt like as is, they may be speaking more towards the uh, the the people who are already pretty deep fans who know a lot about this stuff. Um, I don't know if you guys agree with that or not, but yeah, I mean, the more the merrier. Yes, I I do agree completely with that, and I actually thought of that halfway through when I was listening. And the 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 second that I thought of that was when there was the I can't remember what song was playing. It might have been Money or something like that. And then right in the middle of it, Bruce Swedean just started talking about the recording process right. or something like that. And there was no like um, lead in to, oh, and, you know, Michael's recording engineer, Bruce Swedean said this. Now, it didn't matter for me. It made total perfect sense to me because I know Bruce Swedean's voice and I could tell that was him talking. But if I played that for anyone else who was a casual fan, they would have just been like, who is this random guy that is now just talking? <laughs> So I think right. uh, like the, these are fantastic episodes for uh, the fans fan, for people like us. Uh, but I do, I do wonder how somebody just on the street without much Michael knowledge would go hearing some of these talking heads as they were. Nice. But if you haven't checked it out, folks, head over to JC's Musicology podcast and the new History Era episode is another not-to-be-missed John Cameron production. So the good news, I like how we've got a bunch of good news stories to talk about this episode, is the very successful Michael Jackson on the Wall exhibition that was previously in London has moved to the Grand Palais in Paris. It was a lot of our listeners and social media people got to go see it in London and they really enjoyed it. Uh, there were some very unique pieces. Like I think we spoke about the 
actual frame uh, for the Dangerous album cover created by the actual artist of the Dangerous cover. That was one of the really unique, special pieces that was in this exhibition. And now something just as grand as that frame and the Dangerous cover, it's being exhibited in an incredible, incredible venue, which is very fitting for the King of Pop. I'll, I'll say, you know, I've seen I've seen pictures from the show, from the exhibition. It looks amazing. Of course, I doubt I doubt I'm going to see it. Um, it is, of course, related to the estate, which Jamin, you will probably want to talk about more. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I would at some point love to see Mark Ryden's dangerous painting in person. Um, so we'll see. Maybe that'll happen at some point. But, you know, this gets back into the question of is a show like this, uh, it does appeal to lots of very casual fans and lots of non fans who maybe will get more into Michael Jackson because of going to this show. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? What does that mean for the rest of us? I'm not sure. That's a big, a big gray area for me. I do know, as I recall, the, the, the catalog, correct me if I'm wrong, but it had the, the really bizarrely terrible and critical essay yes. in it right and if they're yeah. still if they still are doing that with the exhibition i don't think that's a great thing maybe they've they perhaps yeah. got different essayists and writers for the different for the french exhibit like maybe the, yeah maybe you'd think so because yeah. it'd be a french surely it would be a french program i would love for any listeners to let us know about that like if they've got the program for the French exhibition and compared to the British exhibition, are they different pieces in there? Mm, mm. I mean, I, I would be sort of surprised if it was completely new pieces just because I, I do a little bit of stuff in the museum world on occasion and I see how much time and effort goes just into creating catalogs. But they probably at least had a translation. I think it was the Zadie Smith piece that was really terrible, um, which yeah, surprises yeah. me because she's a writer I normally have lots of respect for. So, uh, but yes, any any French uh, listeners out there, please do let us know if you have gone and also if you have seen the catalog. Yeah, that catalog was controversial right even before the um, exhibit happened. Uh, our uh, live performance correspondent Anthony King. Uh, we were hoping to have him on the show by by this point in the season, but we've run out of time, unfortunately. So hopefully next season. But I'll tell uh, that little bit about his story in his stead. I'm sure he won't mind. But basically, he was working for the um, for the museum um, during the the time when they were putting the exhibition together, and he was contractually involved with them. He was going to be doing dance workshops and seminars in the actual museum. Uh, you know, talking about Michael's art from his perspective. Um, and this is a guy that, you know, helped choreograph Thriller Live. So he's, you know, he's very, very, very good. But he had a lot of problems with the museum and the estate during when they were putting this together. He he saw that article and some other things that were happening at the museum, some of the pieces, and reached out directly to the organisers and the estate to try and get these things stopped before they were happening. And uh, he was shut down in catastrophic style. You know, he was told very point blank to to not, you know, question and not, you know, get involved in that way. And in the end, because of his complaining um, directly to John Branker, he was um, his contract was was 
torn up and he wasn't allowed to participate anymore because he disagreed. That's an actual thing that happened. (laughs) That piece is still in the program. It's quite disappointing to, to hear. Aside from that sort of negative aspect of it and, you know, the participation of, of the estate in it, there's some good stuff, I think, about it as well. Like there's a particular piece there that I would love to see. I don't know how to say this person's name, this artist's name, Kehinde Wiley. They have a piece there called Equestrian Portrait of King Philip II, which is um, apparently portraying Michael as King Philip II. But uh, this this is allegedly the last ever commissioned portrait of Michael that he approved before his death. A lot of the pieces in this exhibition are actually posthumously put together art pieces about Michael that are sort of commentary on his life or whatever. But uh, there are, of course, there are pieces in there that were created when he was alive, like the Andy Warhol thing and the Mark Ryden thing. And this apparently is one of the final things that, w- that was made about Michael while he was alive. So I would love, love, love to see that. I do love that painting. It's really awesome. I haven't even seen an actual photo of it, to be honest, because the website I went to didn't have a photo. Oh, I think you've seen it. I think you would recognize it if you saw it. Yeah. Let me look it up now. Yeah, I think I've seen a picture of it. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I've seen that. Great. So moving on to our next piece of news, we have some really exciting news that's been a long time in the works for Janet Jackson fans. Janet is going to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. It's the class of 2019. And I know that this follows a big social media campaign for Induct Janet. I know we will probably be hearing from our sister show at the Janet podcast um, about this as well. And um, it's just a really exciting time. As we know, Janet has just been on a roll uh, this past year or so doing just one thing after another. And this feels like, you know, real icing on the cake. Um, So this year, the inductees are, of course, Janet Jackson, also Radiohead, Stevie Nicks, Def Leppard, The Cure, Roxy Music, and The Zombies. And they are going to be inducted at uh, on March 29th at Brooklyn's Barclays Center. The induction ceremony will be held on March 29th at the Brooklyn's Barclays Center, and it will apparently air on HBO later. I don't know of the date for that. So anyway, I hope we can all catch it. Um, And Janet has issued a statement saying she's very happy to be there with her brothers. So we couldn't be more happy for Janet. It's great news, very well deserved. It really makes the Jackson family even more of a royal musical family in all of our hearts and now literally being recognized with this terrific award. Um, So congrats, Janet, from all of us at the uh, MJ cast and beyond. Very excited. This was definitely a highlight of the last week. I want to give a special shout out and thanks to Mike from Induct Janet. Mike started a campaign a few years ago to help build momentum in previous years where Janet was nominated uh, and to get her nominated to be considered for the Rock Hall and this year, it really, the ball was rolling. Everything was going so great for Janet with new music and the tour successes and festival performances that she's been having. Um, and yeah, I just, I think Mike is a great example of 
a fan who, you know, is putting his neck out there, putting a little bit of work in and great outcome. And I definitely think his induct Janet campaign has contributed to Janet being recognized this year. Um, great group of nominees. I have to say I was also voting in the fan poll to help give an extra point in the vote towards Janet. I was also voting for Stevie Nicks and Def Leppard, so I'm really glad that they're in there as well, and I cannot wait to see the performance that she's going to put on. Yeah, I'm totally with you, guys. I I can't wait to see what Janet does as well. This is such a a victory for her and also for for women and and black women who, um, you know, perform rock music and any music. I mean, I've I've seen – I hate it when I see people on Twitter who are like – I've seen a couple of idiots lately who are like, Janet doesn't even perform rock music. Um, Oh, my God. It makes me so angry because, you know, in pretty much most of her albums – Yeah, Black Cat. There's – Nearly all of her um, albums has a great rock song on it. So, and it doesn't really matter anyway. There's plenty of non rock musicians in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Janet totally owns this and, and earned it and deserves it. Uh, she's accomplished so much. And, and to see her recognized like this is just huge, especially after, you know, the last decade um, from the Super Bowl onwards, the, the difficulty she's gone through with the media, uh, to see her recognized. Is, is excellent and not and not just by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and she's on like award show after award show after award show at the moment and I'm just so happy that the media and the world are honouring Janet in the way she has always deserved it she just needs to come to Australia to do a tour <laughs> yes please <laughs> so like the Jacksons were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Michael was then inducted as a solo artist uh, a few years after that. So I'm guessing it was the six Jackson brothers that would have been inducted. So that's, is that, do you reckon that's right? No, I don't think, I, I have a feeling that pretty much every sibling is in there except Randy, Latoya, and Not Reba. Randy. No, okay, so I think yeah, it was I the, think the I'm not five. sure, but I think it was the Jackson five that were actually inducted. Okay. So let's say five, now Janet. Let's make six. Yeah. I would be struggling. I wouldn't be able to name another family where six members of the same family have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Surely, what other family could there have been to have that many of their... What a huge achievement. And for three different acts as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, three Amazing very different stuff. careers. It's it's crazy, you know. And may it, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if the Jacksons get inducted as well at some point because they have mega hits and and you know they've got their own standout stuff separate from the Jackson Five with Randy. So we are going to start and induct the Jacksons now, <laughs> just to oh get Randy God. in as well. Let's, let's make Yay, it it's here not we big go. enough. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> um, but I, th- I read there was like a rule there was a rule on there um, I read it today actually I wasn't aware of it but apparently you can't you're not eligible to be inducted um, until something like 25 years after your first hit or something it's like some weird rule it's, where there's a huge it, time difference yeah, between your first hit and when it's you can 25 years it's 25 years after the release of the first album or single yeah Ooh. I never knew that. That's cool. 
Yeah, so mm-hmm. that that's sort of why. I mean, Janet had to wait a little while for that, but still, like she, when was her first album? It was like in the Dream Street um, came out. Was it in the yeah. 1980 or something like that? Yeah, it was like around Thriller era. It was like early 80, I'm going to say 81-ish, 82, yeah. 82. So she was eligible about 10 years ago, but thank goodness it's it's finally happened. So I can hold off on yeah. the induct Gaga campaign. <laughs> yeah. Her career is still pretty decades, fresh. Mate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, she'll be in she'll be in first go because if her career really is actually not very long at this point and the amount that she's already accomplished in this very short time, yeah, she'll be walking in that door as soon as she's eligible. Yeah, she's taking all the movie awards now too. It's amazing. <laughs> Much deserved. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, I loved that movie. Well, um, what better time than now to get some more Janet in? Uh, Let's cross over to our awesome Janet Jackson correspondents, cousins Courtney and Cam of the amazing Janet Today podcast. Wait, sorry, Q, don't you mean cousin Kim? Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) You can explain. Oh, maybe Elise should explain. I've been having a real problem with my autocorrect lately and not catching it in time. I don't know, maybe I'm <laughs> distracted, but everybody on Twitter, on direct messaging, anywhere you see somewhere and you're communicating with me, I will probably have a typo. <laughs> so I deeply apologize, especially to Cam. That was pretty funny. <laughs> Jamin, I think when we first started um, kind of working together, my I had exactly the same problem, and it just continually was auto-correcting to Jason, and I uh, just felt yeah. so, so awful. <laughs> There's a way. Like, <laughs> Every I don't know single time, Android. I was like, no! On iPhone, you can manually add words that aren't in the phone's dictionary, so it doesn't auto-correct. Yeah, it seems like it does it itself after a certain period of time or something. Yeah, but, it does. Yeah, at first, it's rough. <laughs> when I type history now, it I have to autocorrect it to the proper spelling and not the capital <laughs> H, capital I, capital S, which I often do. So if I'm using it in the other context, I have to actually manually go to oh change Oh, my God. That. You know you're a Michael Jackson fan when you type history with capitalized H-I-S <laughs> more than the regular word history. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Oh, my God. Anyway, we are way (laughs) off topic. Let's get to the girl segment. Hi, this is Courtney. And this is Cousin Cam from the Janet Jackson podcast. Janet today, Janet tomorrow, Janet forever. Here with an update on our favorite girl, rock and roll Hall of Fame inductee, Miss Janet Jackson. Yes. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. On December 13th, it was announced that Janet would be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with the class of 2019. So this makes six of Catherine and Joe's nine children (laughs) are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes, you can call it Jackson Hall of Fame. (laughs) Seriously, seriously. The Jackson Five, um, which became eligible in 1994, um, got in on their fourth nomination in 1997. And Janet, as we know, she was actually eligible um, in 2007, I do believe. Um, And for a host of reasons, including Les Moonves, Janet is just now uh, making it into the Hall of Fame after three nominations. But we are excited about that. Yes. Can't yes, wait. Yes. 
Yes, yes, yes. Earlier that same morning, Janet received the Worldwide Inspiration Award at the Mama Awards in Hong Kong. 2018 has certainly been the year of Janet collecting her things. For real, for real. (laughs) Just to list a few of the awards, uh, Billboard Icon Award, uh, Janet actually accepted the first Disney Impact Award, uh, Black Girls Rock, Rockstar Award, the BMI Icon Award, and the MTV Europe Global Icon Award, which she well deserves. Yes, yes, yes. And also, too, that Radio Disney Award, I think, was renamed for her, which is pretty exciting. So this year, Janet got a Legacy Award that will be given out, uh, bearing her name. So pretty excited about that. She's also got two shows coming up in Japan on February 10th and 11th. It looks to be a continuation of the State of the World Tour, so we're certainly excited for those fans. Um, That show, uh, State of the World, that she did at the Panorama Festival has been named by Billboard magazine as one of the best live shows of 2018, and I can attest to that being the God's honest truth. (laughs) Put in stone here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Janet has been seen at a couple of kickbacks these last weeks in December. She was live on Instagram with Gil, and then she was recently seen at a birthday party for Preston. She was also seen out and about walking around in L.A., yeah. And honestly, this all could have happened on the same day or many days apart or different years. I don't know. Her clothing makes it impossible to tell one day from another. <laughs> we she we stand. <laughs> she does. She keeps us guessing. We stand an incognito queen. It's good to see her taking some time off and getting to enjoy the holiday season. And speaking of the season, as we wrap our final update for the MJ cast for 2018, we want to wish you and your families a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. Hey guys, thank you so much for your love and support this year. A big shout out to the entire MJ cast team and all the listeners of this wonderful podcast. Yeah, that's it for now. If you need more Janet Jackson, and we know that you do, subscribe to our Janet Jackson podcast, Janet Today, Janet Tomorrow, Janet Forever. On each episode, we explore Janet Jackson's song and video in detail, as well as discuss the latest news around Janet and Jackson. You can find our podcast on your favorite provider at JJ Today Pod or find us on Twitter at JJ Today Pod and links to our podcast in our bio there. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! One, two, three, four.
darkness, we are all the same. It is only our knowledge and wisdom that separates us. Don't let your eyes deceive you. You're not taping this, are you? Hi, this is Janet Jackson on the Countdown Revolution, and I'd like to wish everyone a very happy Christmas and a very safe New Year. So that was Janet Jackson's The 1814 Mega Mix Induction Edit, which I hope you guys enjoyed. And also thank you to our Janet Jackson ladies for that great update as well. And moving along on to our next news item is related to a musician who also worked with Janet and who you guys have heard on the MJ cast as well. And that is Jonathan Sugarfoot Moffat, who, as you guys have probably seen on our social media, um, unfortunately, has had a pretty devastating medical issue and had to have um, emergency triple bypass operation after having a heart attack. So it seems like it's pretty serious. We have been sharing a GoFundMe page for Sugarfoot and It includes his whole story there. If you have not already seen that link on our uh, Twitter account, and also our other social media. We also will have an, a, a link in the show notes. And um, yeah, it seems like he's going through a lot. So the good news is that he is recovering. The bad news is that he really has a long way to go and has had to cancel all of his performances. So he is trying to raise money just to, I guess, pay his bills and his his medical bills and life bills uh, while he recovers. And the great thing is that the community has really come together. So far, they've raised over $20,000 of his very big goal of $250,000. But I know those emergency surgeries can cost a lot of money. So um, thank you to everyone who has already donated. And also our thoughts just go out to Jonathan. We really hope he continues to recover. Also, if you go to his GoFundMe page, there's a more recent video uh, from Jonathan just thanking people for their efforts so far. And And he seems pretty, I don't know if you guys watched the video, he seems okay, but a little bit frail and a little bit shaken in my view. But yeah, everybody's chipping in, making an effort. Let's keep doing it. I know that Jonathan's given so much to the community and been very active in the community. Um, If you haven't heard our interview with him, be sure to listen to that. And um, let's just keep it circulating so that we can help him out. He's a great guy. Did you guys get to check that, check out the video or anything? I didn't get to check the video out, no, but I certainly wish Jonathan all the best and I hope that this um, GoFundMe does get to help him. I, I had I thought Myra, his fiance, was f- from quite a well-off family, so I hope that her and her family are able to kick in a, a good amount as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, she's doing a good job of like, keeping those social media pages up to date for people. Uh, who are interested in how Jonathan's recovering. But for sure, it's it's something we should all be getting behind. Great guy, great, great guy. And he does a lot as well for the fans. So, you know, this is our chance to give back to him. Um, I, I personally haven't seen Jonathan uh, out there as one of those people sort of um, putting books out and putting different things out all the time for people to buy. Uh, so this is a time, I think, where we can consider giving back to him because it's when he really needs it. And maybe, maybe this recuperation time, he could do his book. Yeah. He's got a lot to write about. (laughs) He's got a lot to write about. And it looks like it'll be like a fairly long process to fully recover and recuperate. So 
Yeah, let's get that book, Jonathan. That'll be awesome. Let's do it. Yeah. He'll be back doing drum clinics in no time. You watch. Yeah, that's so <laughs> true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Casio case. Uh, All right. After that new story, we are now going to cross to another. uh, We are going to cross to another one of our correspondents, Charlie Thompson from London, our legal correspondent, who's going to update us all on a very significant, uh, important, and uh, positive development in the Casio case, where Vera Sarova has successfully petitioned the Supreme Court of California, to have her case against Angelicson, etc., heard around the fake songs on 2010's Michael album. Now, Charlie's much, much smarter than I am, especially around legal matters, so let's cross to him now and he can explain it all for us so we can understand the latest developments in the Casio case. A civil lawsuit against Sony and the Michael Jackson estate could be back in business after the Supreme Court agreed to hear an appeal from the plaintiff. Fan Vera Sarova is fighting to overturn a decision by the Court of Appeal that corporations can sell fake art under the guise of freedom of speech. She's attempting to sue the two corporations for including three fake songs on a posthumous Michael Jackson album. Sony and the estate successfully got the case against them thrown out earlier this year by conceding that the songs were fake, but claiming that even if they were, it didn't matter. The corporations argued that because there was a public debate ongoing over whether or not the songs were fake, claims made on the CD cover and in a video advert promoting the album that the songs were real constituted opinions on a matter of public interest. Sarova argued that the statements were in fact commercial speech designed to sell a product, so the statements amounted to consumer fraud. The lower court agreed with Sarova where the presiding judge told the corporations You are ripping people off under your admitted facts. But Sony and the estate convinced the Court of Appeal to overturn that ruling, removing them from the lawsuit. However, on December 13th, the Supreme Court agreed to hear an appeal from Sarova. Only 4% of such applications are accepted, meaning the Supreme Court has taken the view that there is significant reason to believe the Court of Appeal's decision may have been unjust. For court documents and updates, visit the MJCast website or www.damianshields.com. Thank you, Charles Thompson, for another amazing update. Of course, Charles is not just a mega Michael Jackson fan. He is also an award-winning journalist. And recently, he broke some incredibly uh, important news stories in the UK, which uh, people had been fighting for quite a while to not have this news out there and the details that Charles helped uncover. So it was amazing that that story did get published and continues to get added to. Uh, Charles is not some crazy person in a forum that thinks they know this case better (laughs) than, than the actual defendant of the case and can explain it to them better than what they know. He is actually an award winning journalist and that's why. We go to him and not some person randomly in a forum. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) What? Oh, my God. (laughs) That's so funny. Heading into the next news story is pretty cool. The artistic director of Louis Vuitton, Virgil Abloh, is designing a new collection based on Michael Jackson, which is pretty awesome. I think this 
goes to show again, like Michael's influence in pop culture and fashion and just everything. Yeah. And what I thought was cool about this is um, in the article, which we have linked to in the show notes, um, it it quotes the this designer, Virgil Abloh, and really talking about the inspiration of him being just in the studio working on whatever he might be working on and the influence that music really has on his just general design whenever he's working. And so um, then he gets into listening to Michael Jackson with, you know, Michael singing in the background. And he says, with Michael singing, it's a different type of shirt. It's a different kind of boot. It's a different fit of pants. Music is key. And I just think that's really cool to think of it coming from that, um, you know, instead of something maybe commissioned where you're really trying to dig up those ideas, having this idea of it being this very organic inspiration. So I'm really curious to see what what comes of it. We've seen some fun collections this past year, not stuff I could ever afford, but still fun to see. And um, I'm curious to see what this one will be like. Yeah, for sure. My my takeaway from this article and, and news is that uh, it's really heartwarming and great that, that Michael is being represented in the fashion world. Not just at the uh, – well, I mean, we, we've talked about in previous episodes cotton on and different shops like that where there's really affordable Michael Jackson items out there. But to see him and his inspiration being scaled right up to like these extremely expensive, exclusive luxury brands. I mean, what other artist out there can you think of that's inspiring fashion houses like Louis Vuitton and little companies like Cotton On and what's going on with $20 t-shirts, you know? Mm. (laughs) So um, Mm -hmm. what an incredible reach Michael has. That was Michael, wasn't it? He he wanted his music and his image to be accessible by to everyone and he worked really hard to do that and to make it so affordable here or accessible but also amazing quality and yeah it's very cool very cool i'm looking forward to seeing what comes of this never be able to afford it but (laughs) i know we can all pull our money and buy one five hundred dollar (laughs) t-shirt We'll yeah. frame it. I'll frame it. I, I'll oh. keep it in my house. It's okay. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll see pictures of Elise helping it at, at the at the shelter for the dogs again. And we'll go, Elise, what shirt are you wearing? And you go, um, <laughs> is that Louis Vuitton? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> Um, next up's a little news story that I decided in today. <laughs> it's uh, a new remix. Uh, we have been blessed again by another incredible Groove Funkle uh, piece of music. Groove Funkle has got their hands on the Thriller multi tracks and has put together a phenomenal 10 minute something remix of Thriller. And with any new remix, I always like sort of uh, find appreciation for different elements of the song. With um, Louis LaRoche's remix, um, I think it was that one that made me really focus on what Chris Lacey calls the the fat lava lamp globs of bass that are in Thriller, um, <laughs> which I, I'll never forget that line. Um, and with this song, it's the synth. Groove Funkle just really pulls yep. that synth out and makes it front and center, and I, I just love it. Uh, I think it was about the six-minute 40 mark, just epic goosebumps for sure, when the instrumental breakdown hits. Really, really cool stuff. I love these 10 or more minute remixes. They're long. Don't get me wrong. They're wrong. But when you want to enjoy a thriller 
like for a long time, this this is the one. Good job, Groove Funkle. Yeah, I love Groove Funkle. I think it's um, the remix of, uh, I think it's the Human Nature remix in particular um, by Groove Funkle that I that I really love. But yeah, these long remixes that are made from the original multi-track masters are just really incredible because even though they are, you know, really long, that allows you to hear all these parts of the song that we've never paid attention to before. And, and just, we have these such great remixers right now who are bringing out these aspects and highlighting aspects of the song that uh, just make it feel completely new. And we get to engage with these songs in a whole, in a whole different way. So it's fun. It's engaging. I even think it's kind of educational. So bravo to, to, to all these folks. I mean, to single white glove, to Nick, to groove uncle, to everybody else out there who's doing this work. Um, we love it. It's an interesting space to watch, isn't it? Seeing Groove Funkel, mm-hmm. Nick, and Single White Gloves sort of go head to head around these remixes. Uh, it's almost like they're competing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who can do the best remix? It's great. We're the better. Yeah. We benefit. So, <laughs> and it's interesting to see their different approaches. Yeah. to the the pieces as well. I was dancing. Um, it's definitely going to be in the shortlist for next year's Thriller Night special. That's for sure. That that synth, like you mentioned, Jamin. Heck yeah. God, love that yeah. synth. That was really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a special shout out as well to Groove Funkle around the graphics that he's putting together for his um, songs, the YouTube art for this one. I love the simplicity of it. It's really great. But especially like I love the little uh, the musical sort of waveform spectrogram thing that's sort of bouncing around in the bottom of the artwork as it's playing. Very, very cool. I think it's amazing how they're basically just talented fans put these amazing mixes together and then there was that absolute abomination mix <laughs> they put out for MJ60 was that oh was that Mark Ronson Mark Ronson yeah okay yeah, who's got was. a very good song out currently i have to say great um, great reputation yeah a terrific reputation and and talented and yet my husband heard that Mark Ronson remix on a radio station and he said to me he goes who is this like doing this? I was like, Mark Ronson. And he goes, why is it so terrible? He goes, after 30 seconds, he had to turn it off. And my husband's not even like a big Michael fan at all. And he was like, and you know, he hears it when I play stuff in the house and when stuff comes on in shuffle all the time, we're always joking. Like he's a Michael Jackson, another Michael <laughs> Jackson song. You know, we're always joking. Cause they come on all the time on, different radio stations or when we're at the shops or on shuffle. But yeah, I was like really surprised that even my non fan husband hated the Mark Ronson MJ 60 mix because it really is not good. And I'm like, did he get some intern to do that and then just put (laughs) his name on it? Because I don't understand. He had access to all of the multi-tracks and every piece of source material that, you know, actual fans would die for to make mixes and to uncover different elements of the songs. And he couldn't even put a good mega mix together. Like I can give you 27 amazing mega mixes in less than five minutes that I can find on the internet. That's better than Mark Ronson. And they're all by fans without even access to the actual source material. I just, I don't get it. Like you you listen to stuff like from like this, like this Groove Uncle thriller mix that we're talking about 
and you just go, damn, this is amazing. Like the single white glove man in the mirror mix that came out a few months ago. Like you just go, holy heck, this is like amazing appreciation and alternate version of Michael's pure art. And then you get the stuff that's officially coming out and you just go, oh my God, call the fire brigade because this is a hot mess. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a case of the estate going to Mark Ronson and saying, hey, we want this many songs in there. We want these songs in there. And I don't know, it just reeks of some corporate suits taking away all of Mark Ronson's fun and saying, you know, putting restrictions around him maybe. And so he had to follow what they wanted and so he just did it. And that's what it feels like to me. There's no way that mix is representative of his talent. I mean, this is the guy that's worked with Amy Winehouse and Hmm. an incredible producer. I don't know. It feels to me like the suits got involved too much with that one. Or an intern. Yeah. <laughs> that had no idea what Mark Ronson went on a holiday. Mixed by Mark Ronson's intern. <laughs> you need Fred. to not invite them back next year, Mr. Ronson. <laughs> All right. Moving on. I think this is really our last news story. And this only broke today. And I want to say a very special thank you to listener Kayla Salem on Twitter. It's at. K girl 30. So Kayla, thank you so much. Kayla's from Jacksonville, Florida and sent me this update. Um, this new story, just literally a few hours before the recording, such perfect timing. Now we did speak about this story a few episodes ago, the 1984 music scholarship that Michael donated money towards It's been awarded. So we've had four scholarship winners, four students in Jacksonville, Florida. After performing in Jacksonville in 1984, Michael donated, uh, he gifted $100,000 for music scholarships. And today or this week, four students have been selected by the city's colleges and universities, and they were awarded scholarships through the Michael Jackson Fund. Each recipient was recognized and performed during a ceremony at City Hall. And I would like to give special shout out to the scholarship winners. On trombone, there is a Skylar Sandra Dunn. There's vocalist Isabella Altenbach. On another vocalist, we've got Syriac Ajevi. And on French horn, Paris Sullivan. So I think I was just really happy to find out who the scholarship winners were. And I think Michael would have been so happy. Yeah, I think this is so great and just is a really nice follow-up to all the great conversation that uh, you, Q, were having in our last episode about Michael Jackson, the humanitarian. So this is a direct follow-up of that, and it's wonderful to see. And um, something we should all try our best to keep going, to keep to keep alive and keep doing. This is what Michael Jackson was about, and this is the reality. It's helping these students follow their dreams. So I love it. Mm, it's very heartwarming to to hear stories like this of Michael's Uh, actions directly impacting people positively today, you know, even nearly a decade after he passed away. Uh, What an awesome legacy to have left. 
And I'm really happy that I get to finish on such a great news story. So again, thank you, Kayla. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, that's pretty much our last news story of the year. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So can nothing wow. happen when we're on break? That would help a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's just keep it under the radar. Nothing big drops and no dramas. Let's just have a nice relaxed <laughs> little break. That'd be really cool. <laughs> Probably a great time for a music break. Elise, I picked this one for you because <gasps> because it's a great mix and also Elise is a big Captain EO fan. So this is yes. the Ajax's extended mix of Another Part of Me. Thanks, Kim. You're welcome.
It is a real privilege for me to be able to have this opportunity to send all my fans in the UK a message on what is a very important day. Today of all days, we focus on loving one another and giving. Let's do that, not just one day of the year, but for 365 days. The Heal the World Foundation is now set up. Donations are invaluable. But just as important, let's love one another. Let's forget hatred and turn to those that are suffering, not just today, but every day. Join me in healing the world and making it a better place. Thank you. As listeners of the MJ cast know, every year during our Christmas special, we feature highlights from throughout the previous season. So now we're excited to jump into our season four highlights, carefully selected from all of our special episodes. And we hope these give you a taste of episodes and you can go back to listen to the ones you haven't heard before or even revisit some. I know that I've loved diving back into some of these episodes, even when I've heard them just recently. They're really fantastic to revisit. So with that said, let's jump into our season four highlights. Well, we started the special episodes pretty early on in season four. I think it was the second episode in to season four that we had our first special, which was the MJ 101 special for Thriller 35. That was episode 76. And this special episode was based on Andy Healy's free ebook for Thriller. And this was another one of our awesome track-by-track album deep dives. And this was with MJ mates Jamin, myself Q, Andy Healy, and Chris Lacey. It was so much fun to record this. These shows in general, the MJ 101 specials, are some of my favorite ones to record for the MJ cast. I don't know what it is. It's just the four of us have a great chemistry, I think, and, and we have a lot of fun every time we do it. I really enjoyed this. And I really enjoy these as a listener just because it's so fantastic to really do these track by track deep dives. I like to even, you know, spend my time kind of listening to your insights on each song and then going and listening to the original tracks one by one and spreading out the episode over a couple of days. And it's terrific. I mean, as a fan, I, I think we're always rediscovering Michael's music and these uh, 101 episodes are a fun way to do that. So this little clip is us talking about the actual track Thriller. Well, guys, we, we've been on a roll, like we've, we've powered through that, but we've got uphill to go, like the next four tracks, Thriller, Beat It, Billie Jean and Human Nature. All right, let's we're about We're about to tackle <laughs> them. So, all right, last track on side one of the album before we flip it over, the title track, Thriller. The coupling of Michael's edgy vocals and the song's groove that dances between menacing to euphoric to attribute to the horror and thriller movie trailers of years gone by, especially in the way the vamping horns are arranged. The song's killer groove and Michael's textured and multi-laid vocals always keep the song anchored this side of being kitschy, whereas other artists might not have taken the risk with thriller, this was a perfect song choice for Michael. 
It allowed him to be simultaneously playful, sexy, dark, and mysterious. The addition of Horror King Vincent Price's rap at the end of the song was a masterstroke in production and execution, taking the epic quality of the track up another level. Jamin, go for it. Okay. Well, I adore this song. This is by far one of my favorite Michael Jackson songs ever. It's an interesting, you know, like it's a lot of people will talk about it in tandem with the video, obviously. And, and, you know, I'm sure we'll get to that at some point in our discussion. But for me, if you put the video aside and, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't be like this. A lot of, a lot of songs in my mind, I can't really separate from the video, Michael Jackson's videos, but Thriller for some reason or another over time, Thriller has really developed independently in my mind as just a great song on its own. And I think the reason it's done that is because I've approached it and appreciated it hearing some of those great fan edited, um, re like not, I don't know if I'd use the word remixes. Well, they are remixes, but where fans have gotten hold of the multi-tracks and dissected them and put different arrangements in place and, and being able to appreciate all the different elements of the song isolated um, from each other has really made me appreciate how awesome this song is, you know, and it's just so much fun. It's so much fun. Like, I just love the idea of a pop album coming out with this, that's dipping into this genre of like, um, you know, zombie films. And, <laughs> and I know that's a little bit more about the video as well, but I think that comes through in the song, like the, you know, obviously the horror element to it, the, it, I'm sure people who had heard this song before the video still would have got a sense or a feel of the fact that it was like a, you know, that horror genre condensed down into a song. And it's just so much fun. It is so much fun. Uh, I love that Michael is forever tied to this song um, and therefore also Halloween. I mean, this, this song has become really the anthem of Halloween um, around the world every year. Like this song goes to number one every year. Every single year it goes to number one on iTunes. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's just crazy. Like what other song in the world goes to number one every year? Like at a certain time. I don't even think Christmas songs do. Like this this is amazing and a a huge feat. And And I wonder, I wonder if Michael wanted that even at the time in the early 80s when he was recording the song. Was he thinking, I want, you know, this is going to be the Halloween song. I don't know. But it's, uh, it is awesome and I love it. The amazing thing for me uh, about the track is uh, obviously I heard it before seeing the, the, uh, the short film and heard it for almost a year before the short film came out. So in my mind, what the song was about and what the short film ended up being were a little uh, apart from each other, but the short film clearly worked. And uh, I mean, clearly worked. I mean, it's like the greatest short film of all time. So they were doing something right. But the song <laughs> itself, it's really, when you look at it, it's a song of seduction, but it's, you know, kind of uh, couched in the, the tropes of, of horror and, and thriller uh, movies, you know, referencing the, the beast with 40,000 eyes and this and that, that were all kind of, you know, schlock, horror, schlock, thriller movies from, from the early part of cinema. And Rod Templeton did a great job in kind of merging all of that. I mean, it's kind of one of the first meta kind of songs that, that yeah. have all these references and stuff. 
And but it's it's really a song about seduction. You know, I I kind of call it Michael's Netflix and thrill mode. Um, <laughs> I love that classic. <laughs> He's just, you know, he's just there to kind of seduce this girl and, you know, he'll, it'll be okay, baby. Just stay with me. Just cuddle in a little closer. And, you know, he's pulling the old horror movie uh, arm around. I'll keep you, I'll keep you warm. I'll keep you safe. Uh, move. <laughs> and and it, it's just a treat. The song, the, the groove itself, I mean, it started as Starlight, uh, which I'm assuming majority of, of fans have heard. And if you haven't, you can track it down on YouTube. And Starlight as a song, you kind of listen to it and go, oh, my God, this is dreadful. Um, but the music stayed the same. You know, Michael and Quincy kind of wanted uh, Rod to relook at the lyrics and, and take it into a darker place. And Thriller is, is what he came up with. And it's just got everything. The production on it is so fantastic. It's one of the first forays into kind of this cinematic approach, which definitely followed through in, in Thriller and for me, started with Heartbreak Hotel or This Place Hotel, where Michael was really looking at how can I create a visual feast for people as well as an oral feast when they're listening to this track that they feel immersed in in something beyond just the, the sonic quality of it. It's, it's a great song. It borrows from, you know, Rick James, uh, Give It To Me Baby with the bass line, very, very similar. But it's, it kind of stands on its own and is a great song that you can't help but want to get up and dance to. And then obviously with the short film and the, the fantastic dance routine, it's now kind of iconic. You, you just hear the music, you want to start doing those moves. So uh, uh, for years, I always thought that Thriller was just, you know, a good track, you know, very good track, three, three and a half stars out of five. But then uh, Jamin brought up a really good point about being able to hear uh, fan-made mixes of, uh, you know, that take the multi-track vocals and and they do just some very interesting things with, uh, you know, with the core elements of the track. And um, shout out to uh, my friend Single White Glove. If anyone, you know, if you spend a lot of time on YouTube and you love listening to great mixes, that's one guy that you want to check out because his mix of Thriller is what you know, kind of revealed to me how great this song really is. The instrumentation is uh, very similar to uh, the title track to Off the Wall, you know, from the candy-coated vocal harmonies to the creepy laughter and then the lava lamp blobs of bass, you know, like you see a lot of the same elements appear here. And those bright synthesizer chords uh, during the chorus were inspired by Prince's 1999, according to Quincy Jones. So I thought that that was pretty interesting as well. And then not to dive too much into the short film, but I think we all can agree that it it is a model example of the power that music and entertainment can hold. It generated a comet trail of performers mimicking, you know, that same style, that same aesthetic from, you know, having those large dance routines to telling a story throughout the short film. But none of them, myself included, being a dancer, none of us can move the needle quite like he did. And I can't remember if Ola Ray mentioned this in her interview with you guys um, a while back, but I read online that Jennifer Beals, the uh, the the star of Flashdance, turned down the role as Michael's love interest before Ola Ray got hold of it. Did you guys talk about that? Yeah, I don't think we talked about that. I think Ola was like she was the one and she ran with it. So wow, 
Okay. I think Jennifer was too busy welding to, to do it, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyone that's watched Flashdance totally gets the reference. Well, well played, well played. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, you know, I think lyrically, you know, it, it's somewhat the prototype for Rockwell, Somebody's Watching Me. But Michael just has, again, just his charm that he brings to it is just incredible. And um, and I remember as a kid, when I first heard uh, Thriller, you know, I I would always hear Vincent Price. I was like, this guy sounds so familiar to me. And I can't I can't figure out why his voice sounds so familiar. For, so for those classic Disney fans, if anyone's ever watched The Great Mouse Detective, Vincent Price was the voice of Professor Radigan in that movie. And when I saw that and then I put two and two together, I was like... That's exactly where I remember him from. So yeah, so uh, it, Thriller went on to be the the seventh and final single on the album, and it reached number three on the R and B charts and number four on the pop charts. So, um, so without a doubt, Thriller is a classic song. And just on Vincent Price, the interesting thing about that was, you know, he was brought in as a, a friend of Peggy Lipton, who was uh, Quincy's wife at the time, mm-hmm. and he did his session, did his take. Uh, you know, you can hear on the thriller 25 the full the full take of it and michael and him interacting but he just got paid a standard voiceover fee for that so he hasn't earned any royalties or anything from that and i'm sure as we uh as sure as we discuss further in the album another uh key contributor to to the thriller album also didn't necessarily make the wise decision at the time they kind of said oh you know i can do this and uh, i'll take yeah i'll take that i think it was like a thousand dollars or something I'll take yeah. that. And um, yeah, I'm good with that. Thank you very much. Probably not thinking this was going to be a, a huge hit. And um, yeah, maybe uh, he might want to go back in time and rethink that decision. Yeah, that 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 thousand dollar rate or whatever it was would not fly today. It'd be millions of dollars that people would be asking for. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting decision to have made anyway. I mean, wasn't, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't off the wall the largest selling album by a black artist at that time before Thriller came out? Yes, it was. Surely they would have had some idea that this record was going to go somewhere. But you also have to, I mean, within context of the the music industry at that time, you know, it was its second slump in three years. It uh, the, the music industry itself had, I think, 50 million units less sold in 1980 to 1982 than, than the previous years. You were getting the disco backlash. People just weren't buying records anymore. And so, yes, Off The Wall you know, had sold six million at, at, at the time that Thriller was being released. Yes, it had kind of you know dropped to number one singles. But I don't know. I mean, the mindset, I know definitely the mindset of Quincy and the musicians and Michael was, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're here to save the record industry. We're here to get people to buy records again. But I think people coming in, who if you weren't really in the project, so if you're, um, you know, a Vincent Price just kind of coming in to do a, a quick voiceover in an afternoon, you may not necessarily be that in tune to, to what they were trying to do and what else was on the album. So not a wise decision, but maybe an understandable one. Like, we've just discussed this song in such depth. This song should not work. It should not be number one download annually. And yet here it is. And in all its audio and cinematic and then its visual cinematic later on glory, it works. 
Sure, you know, probably like a number of fans, I got a bit sick of it after hearing it so many times growing up. But when I actually listen to it, when I listen to the song, it has so many strengths that have built this Frankensteinian monster into what it is. The hooks, the synths, the vocal delivery, the story of the song, and then to top it off, hey, cinema legend Vincent, pop over and read some lines, bro. Like it just (laughs) takes it to that whole other level. I believe that was actually the phone call. That, yeah. That's word for word the phone call. Yeah, they included that on Thrill 25, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> and like you know, like you guys have mentioned, the mixes from Single White Glove and, and another one I love, which is just too short. It's so good and it's so short. The Louis LaRoche mix as well. They've really helped in recent years for me to appreciate like all the different layers and the brilliance of this track. And it just, it's such a strong song, regardless of what it is. And that's why it is in the position that it is, I think, in isolation to the film. It's as funky as hell. It's a funky song. And we're so lucky to have it and to be reminded of it annually every October yeah. because of the, the masterpiece of the film. I'm glad we're talking about it now. Same here. Michael Jackson is back in action with his new album, Thriller. Thriller, Michael's new album featuring his latest hit, Billie Jean, plus his smash single with Paul McCartney, The Girl Is Mine. Michael Jackson's Thriller, the excitement never lets up. Available at all Sam Goody stores for $6.99 LP, $7.49 tape. Following episode 76, the Thriller 35 MJ101 special, we actually backed it up with another special. Episode 77 was the Let's Make History special with French author Bryce Najjar. Uh, This was our episode, if you remember, with Bryce Najjar and his wife Leticia Latouche. And it was all about Bryce's book, Let's Make History, which goes into unparalleled detail on the recording of one of Michael's best, if not the best, the History Album. The book is based around comprehensive, revealing interviews with key collaborators who worked on the record and much more. This was an amazing book and I loved learning so much about the process of history, but there was also some other songs that he touched on with these collaborators that worked on songs that didn't make the history album, but did come out at other times. Did you learn anything that truly, truly surprised you? Oh, yes. Yes, I remember the, the, the interview with Larry Williams. I was happy about his participation because he played on the, on the trilogy with Quincy Jones and History 2. He's a, he's a long time collaborator and he gave me his answers by email and said that Michael planned to, to do bad uh, without Quincy Jones. 
uh, I, I remember I received the, the email at 3 a.m. just before going to work, and, uh, and I felt very surprised. Uh, that, that's why I remember this interview in particular. Uh, I think this interview is special because Larry Williams clearly said he prefers the Quincy Jones trilogy. Uh, eventually, I, I met him in Paris when he, when he did a, a show with uh, Al, Al, Al Jaro. It's a very nice memories and we took a picture together that, that you can, can see in the book, uh, I think. What can I say more? Yeah, I can also mention the Jeffrey Mironoff interview because I didn't plan to, to discuss, uh, to discuss about much too soon in, in the book. But I changed my mind when I realized that was the perfect opportunity to, to get an icon of one-to-one -one interaction between my, between a musician with his, his, with his instrument, of course, and uh, interaction with Michael. Uh, the way Jeff Mironov explains the special creative process is a very, very good surprise. I didn't expect to, to get such a result, but, but what you have in mind can sometimes evolve over the writing process, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, Steve Pocchiaro gave uh, some information ab about the, the song Chicago 1945. Well, I had uh, a lot of questions ab about history continues. That was a nice surprise because I'm not obsessed, really, I'm not obsessed, uh, obsessed by unreleased songs because I already have enough questions about famous songs. But it, that was very, very good, nice to, to hear about Chicago 1945. Uh, and um, yes, I can mention it. It was cool to, to find the little girl who sang at the end of the history song, Lia Frazier. Uh, she was 10 uh, at the time, and when she answered my questions, you could feel her child spirit uh, was back. That's what, that was incredible. She, she visited Neverland and told me about her memories of that era. She was surprised that I, that I, that I had managed to reach her. This, this interview is very special too. There are those little surprises for us reading the book. You do get to talk to that that girl who has now grown up and hear her <laughs> memories. You, you get these little glimpses of other songs like uh, Much Too Soon and Chicago that are not on the history album. So as focused as this is, I think those little surprises from just the unexpected and, and the maybe not so seemingly related really make the book for, for me anyway, so that was a highlight, just discovering those little gems along the way. And not long after that was episode 79, and this was definitely one of the biggest episodes of the year in more ways than one. This was our Brian Loren special. In this exclusive and somewhat controversial interview, Jamin spoke with producer and musician Brian Loren, who worked with Michael in the years leading up to the release of the Dangerous album. This was a tough chat at times, which dug deep into issues around leaks, which did have a huge impact on Loren's career moving forward. So we're going to hear a little bit about why Brian wrote his letter, which did really spur this, this interview into production and maybe learn a little bit about serious effect 
She got it. Work that body. If you don't love me, Superfly Sister and Serious Effect, and uh, also Stop. Man in Black. The- Stop. <laughs> what is "If You Don't Love Me"? That's not one of my songs. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. That's a that's a song that leaked. That's been attributed to you in the community. I have no idea why. Wow. <laughs> I have no idea why. <laughs> that is crazy. Maybe I guess. Unless, maybe- wait a minute. Wait a minute. Unless unless. Because I don't know what we're talking about. So unless unless somebody's calling it a song by the wrong title. It could be that. The songs I just mentioned, th- these are songs that, that you t- you name in your letter, which I, I really want to talk about soon. Um, the, if You these, Don't Love Me is not a song named in the letter. No, that's right. But the other ones, th- they were. Yeah. Yes. And the first ones of these have, have complete vocals. Aside from Man in Black, did you guys collaborate on any other songs apart from the ones named? Yeah, there are a bunch of other songs. And that's, I'm not going to say much more about that. No, that's okay. I appreciate that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you got... Okay. Wow. Wow. Okay. I mean, there, there are actually... The, those songs that I named, there are other titles that are out. Yeah. There are other, there are other t- titles that, are, that, you know, that people know of. I just yeah. don't... I don't want to get into discussing what's out there. Oh, and also, you asked a question about the YouTube stuff being taken down. That, that will happen shortly. <laughs> that will happen shortly. Because I've often thought about that. Like, I mean, and that's... Yeah, it, it bothers me when, when producers have worked so hard for so long and their stuff's just available out there on YouTube. That's To me, that's sad. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and um, I think, which is part of the reason I actually wrote the letter. Oh, here's the, here's the fire engine, I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on one second. Well, actually, it's not a fire engine. It's a police car, cruiser. Okay, so... Um, when he died is when it became, or when it came to my attention that my stuff had leaked. And what was really debilitating was it was when he died that I found out that the stuff had leaked, but it had already leaked. It had, (laughs) it had already leaked some time before that. Some of it anyway. I called or, or not called, but spoke to a friend of mine who was in the Netherlands. You know, we were talking about that my died and uh i said yeah uh yeah you know and i i just found out a, a bunch of my stuff leaked too that um and then i named uh the song i think i named was probably worth that body and uh he said oh brian that you know i'd heard that like a year ago that was already floating around over here <laughs> and so that was the first i'd heard of it and then i started to look and i found that you know a lot of it was everywhere and i was very i was very hurt yeah. Um, you know, it, and it, it, you know, I, I have my ideas about how it happened and all of that, but it's neither here nor there. The point is, is that it did. And, and so, you know, you feel, you know, it, it was like a double, it was like insult to injury. It was like the, none of the stuff got finished to make the record. And then now it's just out floating around and anybody can have it whenever they want it. Yeah. And, uh, the other thing about that, there are many things about it. You have, People hearing material that is, number one, unfinished. So they don't know what it was supposed to actually be. They only know this rough example of it. 
even though they were, you know, even though they are also, they're all actual masters, works in progress, actual multi-track works in progress, they're still sketches. They're not anywhere near done. And so you've got people listening to those and judging them. And that's painful. You know, it's, mm. you're, you're saying how good something is or how good it's not. And you don't even know what it was really supposed to sound like, along with the fact that while it's not finished, it's also not mixed. So it doesn't sound like what a record is actually going to sound like. It sounds like a work in progress, which is what it is. So, you know, it's, it's hard having people. And I understand, you know, there are a lot of things that are going on with regard to that now in the entertainment world. You have Dave Chappelle, who does live shows now, and he locks up people's phones so they can't YouTube record and YouTube them. Yeah. You know, so that when he goes to the next location, the people there haven't heard his material yet. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what it used to be like when you went to a concert. You didn't know what was going to happen at the concert uh, for the artist you were going to see. If you did, it was only because you heard what happened in the last city. You know, so you were looking for, OK, well, they're going to perform such and such a song. or They've got such and such a kind of set. But you didn't know for sure until you saw it, you know, where now you know everything about anything before it gets to you because it's all on YouTube. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's a painful thing. Absolutely. So what what uh, what inspired me to write the letter was after years of receiving uh, well, seeing the stuff floating around receiving inquiries about it, people wanting me to send them copies, which is like, wow, really? You're asking me to send you a copy of my unfinished pirated work. Okay. <laughs> um, but That's offensive. That's crazy. Oh, oh well, well, well here, let's listen on. <laughs> um, it was only in January that I received a note at Facebook from a fellow who, you know, starts off very complimentary. Hi, Brian. I'm, and I'm paraphrasing. But it's, hi, Brian. Um you know, I've, I've recently become a big fan of your work as I've been trying to sort out who the producers are on some of my favorite material. And, you know, um, I really love Work That Body. Just, he doesn't say who the artist is or whatever. He just goes into it. I really love Work That Body. And I was trying to figure out, I was wondering if you remember, and you may not because you may not know the space you were in then. He said something like that. But I was trying, I wanted to know if you remembered what you used to record certain sounds or whatever, because I'm trying to replicate the feel of it. Mm. Now here's a guy <laughs> who's telling me that I have your pirated material and I'm trying to copy it. Will you help me? Basically, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so he caught, he happened to catch me in a particular mood that day. And I wrote him back. Normally I would ignore a note like that, but I wrote him back and I basically told him, look, the music that you're talking about is music that not only are you not supposed to have, but you're not even supposed to know it exists. So imagine how you would feel if someone came to you asking you for information about your, you know, improperly appropriated material. And it's really insensitive. You know, I, I said something like the, the Internet uh, and technology have made us all very insensitive. So try to be more sensitive. And... When I pushed send on that note, just at the same moment, I thought to myself, it would be too much like right for this guy to write me back and apologize. But lo and behold, that's what he did. He wrote me back and he was very contrite. He apologized in three or four different points. He said, I'm, I'm sorry for number one, you know, participating and downloading your stuff illegally. And 
he went on and on about it. And I mean, I almost felt bad that I had reprimanded him, you know, but, (laughs) (laughs) but it was, it was his contrition that made me feel like maybe more people feel that way, you know, maybe because I can imagine, you know, if my hero had had music floating around, uh, you know, if I was a kid and somehow there was a bunch of unreleased Stevie Wonder music floating around and I found I could get my hands on it, I probably, you know, I probably just would, just like anybody else would. So I get, I understand that, you know, it's Michael Jackson music and people just wanted to hear it. It wasn't really about stealing it or appropriating it or, or acquiring it illegally. No one's thinking that way. And I get that. So I figured, um, you know, maybe people would understand if they were able to hear my voice, to, you know, hear my thoughts and put a voice to situations like this that continue to happen. And it's going to continue to happen. There's no, you know, there's no way to stop it, really. And I have no um, particular goals or expectations with airing that thing. That thing is just, it's, it's really more a principle thing. And it's, you know, this is a person, imagine, you know, if you really like this work, if all of the people who do things that you like, they just wound up where anybody could have them and nobody ever got paid for doing them. I mean, how would the people that make the music that you like continue to do it? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's something to think about because I've heard so many people say music should be free. It's like, okay, music should be free, but what about the people that are making the music? That's right. Yeah. Music. It's fine for music to be free. If you're the one making it and it will always be free for you. (laughs) You know, I can sit down at a piano and amuse myself anytime I feel like it, but that's me doing it for me. I'm not taking it from somebody else. Hmm. So it's just something to think about. I, I, you know, I hope people would think about it. In fact, um, I've already seen that they have where many people who have seen the site have already actually contributed and some of them way more than they had to. And along with their contributions, they say things like I've listened to this music for years and it's impacted my life. And I agree that you're right. You know, I mean, and that really is all somebody like me wants to hear is that, you know, they understand that the people that are there understand it and they appreciate what it is that uh, that was available to them. Yeah, for sure. And and that's, like I guess, why we're having this conversation today, because we at the MJ cast totally are behind you 100 percent in that way, for sure. And we speak to many people as well who 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 feel that and um I have been enjoying this songs for a long time as well. And I've always felt terribly sorry for you that you, you haven't been officially recognized for a lot of this work. And um, I, think it's only, I think it's only fair. I appreciate that. Thank you. Let's, um, if you don't mind, let's talk about some of, that, some of those songs, if that's okay. I would, I would love to talk about Serious Effect. That is my number one favorite Brian Loren and Michael Jackson collaboration. Um, and I will tell you that I will tell you about Serious Effect that I actually believed that Serious Effect was going to end up on Dangerous. Wow. And was was very disheartened when Michael said no. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, um, Serious Effect was a track. The reason, part of the reason that I believed it was going to end up on the record is because it got to the place vocally. Now, the, here was a track. Here was a track that Michael is responsible entirely on his own for what's happening on the top of it. Here was a track where that happened because 
what happened was I, I put the track together on a humbug. Like I'm in the studio and almost bored that, that afternoon and started messing around with some particular sounds. And that's what came out of it. I mean, it, it probably did that track in, you know, a half hour, maybe an hour. And then before I was leaving the studio, I went in the office where he was and said, just, hey, check this out. Let me know what you think. And I think after that, I was going to be gone from the studio for a few days. I wasn't going to be back. So when I finally did come back, he wasn't at the studio that day. But he had actually gone in the studio with Bill Bottrell and done those vocals that you hear. (laughs) Um, And so when I came in, that tape was left for me. And I put the tape on and I was blown away. I loved it. And his enthusiasm in those vocals and the the speed with which that came about, because, again, it was something he did entirely without me in that case, um, made me feel like it was a sure contender. And so I went on and did more finishing on the tracks. And that's that. So, listeners, on our fourth annual episode to help educate and set the record straight on Vindication Day, the day Michael was found not guilty on all charges after a grueling trial, we had episode 81, Vindication Day special with Aphrodite Jones. So we discussed the trial and the aftermath with journalist and best-selling author Aphrodite Jones. Her book, Michael Jackson Conspiracy, has been re-released this year as a special edition with a new introduction and for the very first time, and the only place you'll find these, color photos. So in this clip, I picked this, we hear from Aphrodite about running into the prosecution team in a local restaurant who seemed to be celebrating the verdict of Michael's presumed guilt and what it was like in the courtroom at the time the verdict was announced and how her feelings evolved regarding the not guilty verdict. Again, this was an amazing episode on Vindication Day. It did get a really great reception. And if you haven't heard it, definitely I would recommend going back to episode 81 and checking it out. The Vindication Day episodes, or specials rather, that the MJ cast does every year are among my favorite episodes. Just such great guests. They keep getting better and better every year. So if you have missed some of the previous years as well, please do yourself a favor and go check them out. Um, Incredible stories that really get into the heart of this tough issue, set the record straight. Uh, It's really worth listening to every guest we've had for each Vindication Day we've done. Yeah, I had a lot of fun recording that episode as well. And, uh, you know, we have heard from a number of people, though, that they wished we had touched on some aspects of Aphrodite's opinions and things like that later on. And uh, hopefully in the future, we get to have her back so we can talk a little bit more about about her thoughts on Michael Jackson. So maybe uh, next year or the year after. We only got through half the questions. Yeah. Like those questions that people wanted, we had those questions in there. It was just time permitting. This is what we were able to get. So for sure, we, we hear you. We were way ahead of you. Let's um, talk a little bit about the late district attorney, 
Tom Snedden and his conduct in the courtroom. It's been described by quite a few people that it was somewhat clownish. But what were your impressions about the way um, in which the prosecution and the defence lawyers conducted themselves during the trial? The, the pinnacle of watching the prosecution for me was the day that I happened upon them in a restaurant that was far away from Santa Maria. And I was there because I had guests from out of town and I had taken them to this side restaurant about, I don't know, 40 minutes away from Santa Maria. And in the restaurant was a special party for the prosecution team. They were sitting at the bar, Ron Zone and Tom Stedden and all the rest of them. And when I walked in, obviously they knew who I was and I went over and I smiled and I said, Oh, what are you, you know, they I couldn't believe it. They were there. I could, they, you know, they saw me there and I said, Oh, what are y'all doing? You know? And they said, we're, we're just having a dinner together. And I said, well, it looks like you've, you're, you're celebrating. And they, they kind of smiled and nodded and went off into a private room. And that's when I realized that they were having a celebration dinner before the verdict. So Talking about being clowns, there's Auchincloss and everybody else all having drinks and toasting each other. I physically saw it myself before the verdict. Wow. Oh, yes, I saw it. And so I just, you know, and at the time, remember, I thought it was going to be a guilty verdict. So I thought, wow, that's, you know, look at these guys. They're really... They're really sure of themselves. But then, of course, everything went on. It all just unraveled on the day of, of, you know, the verdict. And um, I can't imagine, you know, what they must have felt or thought, knowing that they were had were so self-satisfied and, and having seen their faces. I spoke with them in that restaurant at the bar before they went off into the private room. They were extraordinarily self-satisfied with the way the case had gone. That much was crystal clear. They were celebrating that night because they were expecting this great verdict. They were going to put Michael Jackson behind bars. And when that didn't happen, you could hear a pin drop in that courtroom. It was just like the emperor had no clothes. Everything had been removed. It was, it was like we were all in a fog and all of a sudden this dark cloud, this fog just lifted and you were in the light. It was amazing. It was unbelievable. Really. I, I don't know how else to describe it. It was, it was crazy. And, uh, at the same time it was, it, there was an elation about it. You know, it was like people had their mouths were dropped open some of the people in the prosecution, you could see a mouth was dropped open. The jaws dropped. And that's, with all the formalities of a courtroom, gentlemen, that they could not hide. And uh, what, how would you describe your own reaction initially to the verdicts? And then how soon would you say it was before you reevaluated your position? You know, initially, honestly, I was glad because at that point I had had that dealings with the fans for so many months 
And I had gone already to the Gates of Neverland to say, look, I'm not, I don't hate Michael Jackson. I love Michael Jackson. I'm a fan of Michael Jackson. And they didn't believe me. One of them called me a whore in Spanish, you know? And so I had already decided that, you know, no matter what was going on in the, tr in the court, that these people were grifters. I didn't like them. And that I didn't know that Michael had done anything to this kid. I didn't question his testimony, but it was kind of all underneath. Like, you know, when you, you when you don't want to see the truth yet, you know, I was all, I had buried all of that. I was, I was not looking at it really on a face of it. I was just had, I had ingested all of it, but I hadn't processed it. So when the jury came back, not guilty all those times, and you heard it 14 times in the courtroom, like I say, it was like a fog lifted for everyone. And it was this, the light, it was like literally like an ascension for Michael Jackson. It was unbelievable. And then I was happy because I didn't want to see him go to prison. I really didn't. I never wanted to see him go to prison. So I was happy and you know, I came outside and those doves were released. And I, I mean, I was, I, was, I was stunned, but I was happy. And O'Reilly pressed me on it. Well, what do you really think? What do you really think? And I, I remember thinking, I don't know what to say. I, I was just still in shock and stunned. And it wasn't until I went back to Los Angeles and I did some soul searching about it and I realized, you know, I just didn't really pay the right attention to what details. They, they kind of steered me into what I was supposed to talk about. And I want to go back there and I want to look at everything myself again. And so I did. And I had to get a court order from Judge Melville to do that. And he gave it to me because technically they're supposed to do that for you. They don't have to, but that's, you know, legally you have a right to ask for it. And he gave me the, the order and it was at that point that once I looked at that kid testifying, that was the thing that stuck in my mind. Well, not the kid testifying, the kid, Gavin Arvizo with the police, the Santa Barbara sheriffs. I looked at that video over and over again, and I thought, this kid is lying. He's lying. He is not a victim of abuse because he was being spoon-fed answers. He had no answers. And then I was like, oh, my God, this whole thing was a sham. I can't let this go. I can't leave this. The other thing too, guys, is that at the same time when Michael was found not guilty and, um, you know, I drove up to the gates of Neverland and all the fans were up there waiting for him to come in. And, and, uh, then all the media was there and I drove right up to the very front because I'm ballsy and because I didn't care. And I, I passed all the media vans and all the everybody. And I drove right up to the very front to the gates and I, he had, Mike Jackson had already come through by then. And, um, and I stood there at those gates in Neverland and, and all that hoopla was going on. You know, the fans were happy and things and the media was doing their reports. And the next thing I knew, very shortly thereafter, everybody disappeared. And I was still in Santa Maria because I had an apartment there. So, and I didn't have the, I wasn't afforded the same luxuries of the other media who had hotel rooms and whatnot. I was an independent contractor. So I had to stay there and, and and get the apartment cleaned up and sell the furniture and all this. And, and I just remember thinking, like, within a day, the whole thing was just gone. Like, nobody cared anymore about him that he was exonerated. I'll never forget that feeling. It was probably what spurred me to decide to go back and look at the evidence, really, is that I, I was like, well, wait a minute. So he was found not guilty. Like, no one's going to report about it, about what went 
what really went on at the trial or how, why? I, I, I just, I couldn't fathom it, I suppose. It was like, wait a minute, this is Michael Jackson. Like, aren't you going to say anything about, like, aren't you going to follow up? What, what kind of media is this? I, I, I couldn't, I, I really couldn't wrap my head around it. Moving right along to our next special episode, and this was getting into the heart of our super busy summer of MJ-related events and special episodes. Um, I know we were all exhausted, but also <laughs> exhilarated with everything we had going on. Getting to episode 82, which was our June 25th special with Damien Shields and TJ. And now, me. as listeners know... Oh, and Q, sorry, <laughs> and Jamin, of course, of course. <laughs> My two favorite people, Jamin and Q. Um, so <laughs> sorry, Q, I forgot you. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> so every year, the MJ cast creates a special episode to commemorate Michael Jackson's passing on June 25th, 2009. This season, we brought together the original Awesome Foursome, who I think we also called the awesome foreskin at some point. Oh my God. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Who were the team that originally dreamed up the podcast. So in this episode, they shared amazing memories of Michael, which of course, a lot of them are sad, but a lot of them are also really heartwarming um, and some really fun stories around his legacy and around their shared friendship and fandom. So you'll hear some clips about the birth of the podcast and really looking back at uh, really touching memories of Michael. This was definitely one of my favorite episodes of the season to record. It was like a great little reunion with all you guys and it came together so well and it was so warmly received by all the listeners at this time of the year when people just need something like a big old MJ hug. And it was just, yeah, it turned out so great. And I really loved it. And these episodes, the the June 25th episodes, always have such terrific music breaks and tributes. And this was definitely another one. I think you guys probably have said this before. A lot of fans say it, but I've always said and felt that Michael was my superhero. I love um, that. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? I love when we talk about that. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, obviously Moonwalker probably being the first impression as well. I mean, he is magic in that movie, but it's not just that movie that he's magic. Everything about him was magical. And, you know, I loved Batman and Superman and all that as a kid. But they just didn't have, they didn't have that thing. That thing, I don't have a word for it, but you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. That thing. It was thing. magic. I feel like, you know, in the, you know, in the video for Can You Feel It, how the Jacksons are giant guys and they're sprinkling their gold dust over, over the, that's what I felt like happened to me. I felt like, I felt like I was sprinkled with magic dusts or something. And I still feel that way. I still and moved by Michael and I can watch a concert that I've seen a thousand times and I can still just go, wow, you know, wow. I think that's what it is about Michael is like, 
you use the word magic and obviously magic is like kind of inexplicable and the secret like there's something mysterious about it and we don't quite understand it we can't quite define what it is or what's happening and when people ask me why I like Michael so much you know I could go through a list and give them all of the different skills and talents that he has and all of the cool stuff he's done but the easiest way to explain it is to say magic or to say that the reason it's he's so great is because I can't explain why he's so great like it's inexplicable it's just beyond words so I feel what you're saying because there, are, there is a music now, I think the playing field of music now, like the you look out at all the talent that's available for consumption now and it's infinitely huger. It just the, the roster of talent and music and artists that we hear on the radio or on YouTube is just like infinite now compared to back in the 80s and 90s where the playing field was so much it seemed a lot smaller and people like you know Beyonce and Kanye and Jay-Z and you know European artists you know there's huge successful artists out there but for me none of them have that magic for lack of a better word that Michael had yeah Yeah. I think if someone exploded through the floor of a stage and stood there for three minutes It would just look stupid. The crowd would stop cheering. They really would. There would be no atmosphere. It wouldn't maintain it for that amount of time. I love that you mentioned that. That is absolutely, and not just because it's Michael, that entrance to a, to a stage is the most incredible thing. The, the, not only the bursting out of the stage, which is just incredible on its own, but then to just stand there like a statue for all that time where people are losing their shit. Yeah. Yeah. No one else. No one else. Amazing. Imagine Ed Sheeran doing that. Everyone would be like, all right, pick your guitar up. (laughs) Bang. There he is. (laughs) Can I jump in with a little um, story about that party? Yes. Um, Because that was the first time that, that for that, well, that weekend or however long it was, was the first time that I met. Jamin, but at that cocktail party before the actual party, I recall very specifically, Jamin, you and I talking and you having the idea for this podcast then, and this was 2008. This is a story you laid I this very out. much want told. All right. Dig into it. You told me the story the other day, yeah. TJ, and it's CJ, actually really cool. Take the four. I remember specifically... Jamin coming and saying, we've got to do this podcast. There's, it's all of it, like it's podcasting. And because I was very, um, uh, f- what's the word? I was posting on YouTube frequently at the time. That was kind of where I spent my online outlet. And Jamin saying, you know, you've got to, it's, it's all about podcasts. It's all about podcasts. And I thought, nobody listens to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> there was around the time Why that would- the thriller cast had come out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I just remember every, probably every time we spoke for years after, you would always bring up the idea of a podcast. And I was always like, dude, no one's got, no one listens to them. <laughs> How wrong I was. <laughs> How wrong I was. Because it well, wasn't till, what year did you guys actually launch the MJ? Well, this Stars? is our fourth year now. 2014. So yeah. I just, I feel like I needed to say that so the listeners know that this has actually <laughs> been in your brain for a long, so long time. So what was Jamin telling you? 
that this had- exactly what we're doing right so- now was his idea. He said that the idea would be for fan friends to get together and talk about and reminisce and share experiences and thoughts and ideas. And this was before Michael even died. It's just amazing how much the podcast that is that you have right now is exactly the podcast that you described 10 years ago. Well, yeah, we always had in our heads exactly how we wanted it to be. And, and we, Q and I, we don't change things really unless we absolutely have to from the original vision. And in a lot of cases in the past two years, we've tried to get it back to what our original vision was. But the show, honestly, like it, it has to be said, the show never would have come to pass really if it wasn't for you guys and, you know, TJ and, and Damien and TJ, you in particular, you were the one who really at the end, I, I think you'd had enough of me saying, <laughs> I want to do it. And you were like, you just need to do it. <laughs> well, you are, you are a perfectionist and you would talk so much about wanting to do this, but you wouldn't want to start until we had the perfect sound equipment or the perfect <laughs> uh, intro theme song. I, I think it was a long time. You had basically the whole podcast planned and ready in your head, but you weren't willing to launch until you had the theme tune ready. Yeah. And, I, and I remember just being like, dude, just, just start already. You'll, you'll iron out the kinks, but you didn't want to. But hey, it, it happened. You got it done. We did. Yeah. We started, I think, started without the music, started very basic. And um, here we are, four years on, all still talking about it. Yeah. So thank you. I wanted to say thank you, TJ, for, and, and Damien, for both of you for your inspiration and pushing us to get this done. And actually, really, the truth of the matter is we all started the MJ cast together. We didn't start it just Q&I. The MJ cast was four of us. Uh, we never launched as four of us as partners in the show, but the whole process of getting it out and getting it ready and getting it together and getting the show online, it was us. I wanted to tell the story about the day that we, the, the media started reporting that Michael was in talks with AEG to do. At that time, I think they were talking 30 shows at the O2. And that's... All right. Because we've had... I've s- never told this story on the show before. I'm a bit embarrassed. Well, yeah, it's it's a good story. I like the story a lot. I don't um, know it. All right. So, okay. <laughs> there is so many moments where we have just, by pure coincidence, been together when big Michael Jackson moments have happened. Like, for example, like we discussed earlier with Q being at my house, the, the very moment that the This Is It tickets went on sale. Like, that was just amazing we got to buy the tickets together but this time this is like before the the this is it tour had even been announced i had um gone to brisbane to hang out with jamin jamin was you must have still been in university <laughs> then were you what i was at uni- i was in university i was living at, in an old queenslander at Tawong, yeah um near the brisbane river uh with, with my Dr. cousins who and your two cousins yeah well, actually, no, one of my cousins, but the other cousin would come to visit a lot. But yeah. who is that the guy's name? Doctor Who? I don't can't remember. Well, he, uh, his real name is David Garrett, but everyone just called him Doctor Who because he was like this mad physicist student who, like, yeah, he and he had yeah, we he loved Doctor Who as well, so that's what we all called him. So anyway, um, the whole the whole purpose of the night was just to hang out with to hang out with Jamin and to then later in the evening. As a representative of the Maximum Jackson fan site, I was going to attend the Thrill the World um, thing in Brisbane. So, obviously, if anyone doesn't know what Thrill the World is, it's when 
people all around the world come together in groups and they all simultaneously dance the thriller routine. And it's just yeah. like a Guinness oh, World Record yeah. thing. Yeah, so um, it was pretty popular. I was never the going there no. to dance. I, w- I was going there just to hang out with Damo. Yeah. In so fact, shit, I don't even know if I had dance. plans to go, did I? And I wasn't <laughs> in the dance either. I was just going there to report on it for Maximum Jackson. So the, the intention was to go um, in our Michael gear, like a Michael t-shirt or I had a Thriller jacket and um, they were going to have like a pre-party where they were going to have, you know, some you know food like a barbecue kind of thing like at someone's house a few drinks and then everyone would go together and i'm thinking that it's going to be this like celebratory michael kind of thing and um anyway the whole thing started back at jamin's house and um they had a bit of a like a campfire out in the backyard if i remember correctly is that right yeah we had like a brick outdoor area with like a I don't know what you call them. They're a like a cast iron. It was like a fire pit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're all sitting around that. Yeah. And so Jamin's <sighs> Jamin's having a few wines, and um, I wasn't drinking because I pretty had, much. Yeah, I think I was drinking straight out of a goon sack. You were. Memory. Yeah. <laughs> it was. And, you're my soul um, sister. <laughs> so, so Jamin was just yes drinking straight from the goon sack and. Um, <laughs> I wasn't drinking because I I had to drive to the um the the thrill the world thing so I was staying sober and um was that the first time you'd you'd seen me in that kind of state or oh yeah yeah so <laughs> it's a bit wild Jamin's two cousins are a little bit out there they had quite extroverted personalities from what I can remember and they were quite funny and you know having a bit of a laugh and telling stories about. You know their their days back in school and and whatever else and it was all it was all good and fun. Awkward adolescent uh, incidents. They were all they were all memory. drinking quite heavily and and then all of a sudden, I somehow discovered that the news had broken that AEG was in talks with Michael to do a residency at the O2, and so I bring it up with like we weren't even talking about Michael at the time. We were just laughing and having a good time. And so I bring it up with Jamin and we're, you know, we're getting all excited and talking about this news that, that, um, that Michael was, you know, potentially going to return to the stage and, and it was coinciding with the thriller world. And it was just like full Michael immersion. And I think we went, went to full Michael zone after that. And, um, it kind of got <laughs> us in a little bit more level of excitement for the thrill, the world thing, because all of a sudden you've gone from Michael Jackson's the guy that's, you know, going to the shops with band-aids on his face and getting pushed around in a wheelchair to now the media is seriously reporting that he's actually going to do a comeback tour. And I don't know, it just lifted my spirits a little bit personally, knowing where we were going, what we were going to do. We were going to be around other Michael fans and doing a whole different Michael thing. It was kind of just, it, it, it was, I don't know what the word is, but it was, it was, a, it was a coincidence. Anyway, because Jamin's been having a few drinks, he was he was getting a little bit, <laughs> a little bit rowdy, and we <laughs> we ended up we ended up going with we, up, we jumped in a car. We jumped in with, my car um, with the cousins. You were driving. I'm pretty sure the cousins came. But the the thing with this is, I got to preface this by saying that there's two kinds of Michael Jackson fans. Okay, there's like fans like us that are like hardcore MJ. Everything's about MJ to us. And then there's casual fans who might like the Thriller album. And, 
you know, enjoy Beat It, Billie Jean, those kind of things. The people that were at this Thrill the World thing, I thought we were going to like a hardcore Michael Jackson party with people like us. So I thought I. We were, that's where we were heading. <laughs> we weren't going somewhere like that. We were going to an official Guinness World Records competitive thing where casual fans were going to dance like Thriller. It was not a big Michael Jackson event. So, so and you've gone about and you're going to we and everything, right, Jamie? So we <laughs> nearly. <laughs> no, no, no. I went, even more inso- I went even more inside baseball than yeah, that. Yeah, he went inside oh, wow. baseball so, to the d- max. He wore his PJs. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, these. I was like, I don't actually have any MJ costumes, like jackets and that. I'm gonna, these guys are going to know what I'm doing. I'm going to wear my, my Peter Alexanders and <laughs> MJ wears pajamas everywhere in public. They'll get it, right? Anyway, yeah, right we jumped the in the car. He was, getting, he was in his PJs in a wheelchair getting pushed around and like dressing with a Zorro mask and a bloody aqua. And you were drunk. And he was yeah. drunk and he was, he was high-spirited, put it that way. He was revved up. And so were the cousins. And I remember getting in the car and the, the cousins were so like out of control. They were throwing bottles out of the window. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, what have I got myself into here? These guys are going to ruin the whole Michael Jackson thing for me because Jamin's cousins couldn't behave themselves. And Jamin was all excited. And anyway, we get to this event not expecting it to be anything other than Michael fans. So the first thing we do is we walk in because it's like I said, we're having the <laughs> like, food, like food and drinks before the actual world record attempt because the world record attempt was going to be something stupid like three in the morning or something or even four in the morning. I think the sun was even potentially coming up once this thing finished. So, um, and it was October. So, it would have been, it could have even been four or five in the morning. So, we were staying up late um, all through the night to do this. We arrived at this house and the first thing that Jamin notices is where's the MJ music? They were in, and, yeah. and not only where's the MJ music, this is 2008. This is not long after Just Lose It, Eminem. They were playing Eminem and it was still a sore subject back then for fans uh-huh. to, we, you know, that's just not on. Why on earth are you playing Eminem at a Michael Jackson gathering? Exactly. You got to understand, I'm walking in thinking these guys are hardcore fans. I'm like, how could they disrespect? Mm. They should know better. So I get in there. <laughs> I go, the they have this big... <laughs> They have this, they, this guy didn't have like an iPod plugged into a speaker system or anything like that. This guy had like a big proper, like a mixing desk and like a computer set up. So I get in there. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm on my hands and knees. I'm pulling out this guy's cabling. He's going behind this guy's desk set up and he's unplugging stuff just to get the M&M off. <laughs> See, I'm trying to plug my iPhone in to put That's Billie Jean on or something like that. Just to get the M&M off. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm trying to do that. And then at the same time, roughly the same time, I hear one of these quote-unquote Michael Jackson fans at this party saying pedophile jokes about MJ. Oh, Jamin just was not having it. Jamin started to cause a scene and... <laughs> I'd prearranged with the guy who was like, because every every thrill of the world has like an event leader, like they are the ones that coordinate the rehearsals, they are the ones that coordinate the location that you're going to do it, and like they're the one that send out the newsletter and everything. So they're in charge of it basically. And um, 
I'm thinking, oh my God, like I've got this good relationship going with this guy. I'm here in a professional capacity. I'm going to be like the news reporter for it. I'm going to write an article about it. It's going to be a whole thing. And Jamin is drunk and commandeering the, the sound system. And now he's heard the pedophile jokes and he's all revved up. And so anyway, Jamin, they asked you to leave and me to leave. And then I was in a, between a rock and a hard place. I'm like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do? <laughs> what am I going to do? Because I really, like, I want to go and see the event, but Jamin's being kicked out. Like, and um, so it was like, <laughs> his, he was being difficult, <laughs> to put it kindly. We got out onto the curb once we've been kicked out of these people's house. And Jamin was just raging. And I just basically <laughs> cracked the shits with him and I just grabbed him physically and like shook him and I said, <laughs> I said something like, can you just like behave yourself for a second and threw him in the car, <laughs> like physically Thanks, threw Dad. him in the car and I said, I'm taking you home. <laughs> I took him home. <laughs> I drove him home, dropped him off and then went back to the event without him. <laughs> And the best, but the, that's just then. There's part two, isn't there? The something went, something is, wasn't quite right about the event. I get so okay. So I go back to the house, and this is in Brisbane, and I'm not from Brisbane. I don't live in Brisbane. I've never really even been to Brisbane at this point in my life, and um, so I've parked at this guy's house, and then we've all kind of made our way together to the um, rooftop of the. I think it was the Queen Street Mall like the the Maya Center or something in, in Brisbane, like downtown Brisbane. That's where they were doing it on the rooftop at the car park. And um, so everyone's sitting around and like waiting for this thing and I'm kind of just, everyone's dressed as a zombie, but I'm wearing my thriller jacket. And I think <laughs> they thought I was there to, tr- well, I know they thought I was there to try and steal the show. Like... I'm dressed as and Michael. And you were happy to oblige them, right? No, no, no. Not at all. I'm dressed as Michael, or so they thought, because I had a thriller jacket on. They were all dressed as zombies because they were there to do the dance. Now, at one point I got... They did the routine. So, they've we, we sit around for hours waiting for the right time because it's like, it's like walkie-talkies or some weird shit that they had back in 2008. They had it... Everyone's getting the countdown over these walkie-talkies. Everyone's tuned into this like radio station <laughs> where the music will play so that everyone can like stick to the rules and do it at exactly the same time, no matter where in the world you were. And it, so it counts down, and everyone. I'm imagining. I'm imagining the guy from Bucharest at the end with the long hair, and he's got the giant walkie-talkie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's literally what it was. And so he's counted it down and it's it's all going to happen. And then they do the routine and then it finishes. And then so I go and I approach the guy who had organized the whole thing to ask him questions, you know, like, you know, what does this event mean to you? And like, you know, what does Michael Jackson mean to you? And, um, you know, um, how does it feel to be part of a world record attempt? And, you know, all the questions that I had planned in my head and, you know, basically... He cut me off and said, look, I don't even want to talk to you. And I was like, huh? <laughs> He's like, you need to get it through your thick head. This event has nothing to do with Michael Jackson. This is not a Michael Jackson event. He's like, this is a world record attempt. And I said, <laughs> okay, well, with all due respect, you're using a Michael Jackson song and a Michael Jackson dance routine from a Michael Jackson short film that 
is so famous and synonymous <laughs> with Michael Jackson that this event could not exist without Michael Jackson. And, and P.S. You're the, a cockhead. And he, what was nice about it, and I was like, like, like the Michael Jackson fans who I'm here to report to, they're interested in this because it's you know, it's Michael. Like it's it's everything that Michael represents. And and that year, 2008, Michael had even given the event a shout out. He had actually like acknowledged that it was happening and and I um i can't remember the platform he used to do that but like there was there was like he had like recognized it and said that it was great and um so this guy's like it's not a michael jackson thing and i'm saying well you know there are several reasons why michael jackson fans are interested in this um and he turns to me and he goes this event is as much about rod temperton and quincy jones as it is about michael jackson and I said, <laughs> well, <laughs> I said, not really, but like, you know, if you're saying that... I didn't then, see their short film. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't see Rod Temperton dancing the thriller dance that you've just used to get in the Guinness Book of World Records. Like, um, so I said to him, well, if you want to get that technical, this event is technically a Michael Peters event. And... I just got snarky with him and I said, you can just go and fuck yourself. And I just walked off and I think I called him a cunt or something like that. I was, I just tried to be so patient with the whole thing. You know, the Eminem music and the bad attitude that they had when Jamin and I were there. And Jamin wasn't being like rude when he was like, oh, let's put some MJ music on. He was just like, hey, like, let's put some MJ music on. Like, let's. And they just weren't playing ball with us. Like, they just... Their attitude was so bad by the end of it. Yeah, I just told him to shove it up his ass and um, left the event. And I wrote a truthful review of what it was. I was like, you know, I was there to represent the fan site and I thought it was going to be this great thing. Um, And it turned out the people who ran the event were just a bunch of assholes. And, um, yeah. And then the next day, the guy who had... um, organized the whole event they'd taken this group photo and they asked me to come in the group photo even though i didn't dance and i wasn't part of the world record because i had the thriller jacket on they had me doing a michael pose and in my thriller jacket and then all of the zombies all around me like it was you know like a recreation of that famous thriller shot where michael's got all of the you know his cast and crew around him after they filmed the video kind of thing and um he used this photo and he put this emoji over my face like this like total (laughs) mockery emoji and he's just sent this newsletter out to everyone who was on the mailing list and said check out the dickhead who tried to hijack our event now who's laughing and i was just like (laughs) what a bunch of (laughs) fucking turds and i never paid attention to a thrill the world again after that that was the last time Our next special episode was unfortunately because of a sad loss for the Michael Jackson community. On June 27th of this year, Joseph Jackson passed away. And so in this episode, we had friend of the show and Jackson family member Taj join us to talk about his memories of Joe, the truth of what happened in his later years, and stories around the Jackson family legacy. We're so grateful to have Taj come on the show several times now. Um, He's really just a fantastic person who seems very invested in being part of the community and really 
telling us the truth about what's going on within the family as much as he's able to do that. And we so appreciate um, any time he's come on. So Taj, if you happen to hear this, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Um, in this episode, we really did get some great stories about what Joseph was like as a grandfather, um, as a disciplinarian, even we really got into the truth of that stuff. And um, he corrected some negative views about Joe and also about Michael Jackson and talked about how Joe should be remembered. So I think there was some really wonderful stuff here. We had uh, Yannicka on that call. Also, um, Charles, we had really our whole team, I was sitting in the background of that one. And it was quite a special conversation. Yeah, that was very uh, special. And it was it was something that uh, I was not expecting that we were going to be able to do. Uh, I thought we were going to have Taj for like 10 minutes or something to make a statement or just give a brief interview. But uh, when we asked Taj, I think I'm not sure if it ended up making it into the, the final version of the show, but at one point we asked him, do you have time to continue talking with us? He was like, yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Let's let's keep going. And we ended up talking for quite a while, you know, a show length discussion. And uh, I felt very honored that, that a Jackson family member would give us some of their time during that, you know, painful period for them to, to discuss Joe. Um, and it was good being able to set the record straight around Joe f- around a few areas because he's he is somebody with a very mixed uh, reputation in the fan community, but his family loved him right up until the very end. So it was important that we could discuss that. I'd love if you could talk to us a little bit about, from your perspective, what sort of grandfather was, was Joseph like? Well, yeah, thank you for giving me this opportunity. I know a lot of family members would want to do this as well. But for me, just having been lucky enough to spend private time with him and, you know, many different occasions, I just, it really ate me up hearing about the media and hearing about some of the things they were saying. And so for me, I just wanted to kind of go on record. And I know my dad you know, he, he did as well in another avenue. And so I just, for me, I, I look at my grandfather and, and for me, he's a symbol of strength and he's, he's the symbol. I, I've said this before. I've, I, I would say, you know, in this family, my grandma, Catherine is the glue, but Joe is the bricks that the foundation is built upon. And that you know it needs strength and it need, and he had that strength and he had that vision and we grew, growing up you you see a lot of yourself in, in in family members as you grow up you 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 see where the genes come from you know definitely the jokester slash loving um to to prank people comes from the joe side <laughs> and i can tell you majority of our family members have that gene in them and that's a joe that's a joe jackson gene that we're very proud of you know i think when i look at my grandpa and you know look at his life and and this and that i'm just so grateful for what he did you know going back to gary and and seeing you know where they came from and then hearing stories about a lot of the childhood friends or the people around them died of whether it was drugs or gang violence and I, I feel like my grandfather looked at it as this is his way out. This is their way out. I commend him for that because it, it probably wasn't easy. 
and I know when they were kids, they were they would um, get ridiculed about their music, and in that way, I feel like you had to be tenacious. You had to basically not listen to whatever everyone was saying and kind of stay on your path. And that tenacious attitude is what we all have running through our veins. You ask, how is Michael so strong or how is Janet so strong or my dad or, you know, us when, when it comes to this stuff, it comes from my grandpa and, you know, the, the, the faith side and the loving side comes from my grandma and the, in that side, but the strength, the willpower that comes from my grandpa, you know, and the never giving up aspect of it. I've had many different occasions where I've spent time with them. The most memorable, I mean, obviously he went to my wedding with my, um, which was incredible because I actually didn't expect him to come because, you know, he was living in Vegas. He made the trip over and that was so meaningful to me that he actually came. It really meant a lot to me. That was one of the things that I just was so grateful that he he made that trip over. I think the day before he was still in Vegas, so it wasn't like he was in LA just, you know, and happened to be like, okay, let's just go. So I think the another time where I was definitely got to know him was, and Janneke can probably fill in the gap. So that was when we when I went up to Germany and um, got to spend time with him and my uncle Jermaine. I would say that was probably the time when I got to know him the best. Obviously, I would go to conventions in Vegas and I would stay over his house, but that was like a quick one or two days and I'd be gone at the convention a lot and then spend the night over his house in Vegas, you know, when I was in my 20s. But this was a time in Germany where I actually got to know him and just the, I, I would say the pride that he had in, in the family and what we had accomplished as a family. And, um, and the pride he showed in us as, as 3T, me and my brothers. A lot, a lot of fans know that he went on tour with us. <laughs> that also, you know, is one of the memories I have of where I, I was super proud and knowing that we were continuing on and we had kind of his seal of approval that he, he loved it. And there's a story that, you know, my grandma told us that that night, the, the first time he saw us perform, you know, there was a tear that he had, you know, down his cheek. And, and, you know, a lot of people know he's not the, he wasn't the most emotive person, but that meant a lot. I guess the legacy and continuing on that Jackson tradition, because I think he knew what the family had done in terms of not only music, but in terms of charity, in terms of influence and, and, and positive influence and helping the world. And, and I think that's the pride he had in the name. I look at Joe Jackson and none of this would have happened without Joe. Not only would none of this have happened if my grandpa wasn't the person that he was, the Jackson legacy as it is would not be the same because he instilled them the determination, the drive, the strive for perfection, the wanting to to be the best. You know, my life would be completely different. I don't even know if I'd be here. <laughs> you know, that that's the thing, you know. I think, um, you know, uh, as these different media reports come out all around the world about Joseph and reflections on his life, and obviously let's, let's not hide from the fact that one of the narrative angles that a lot of these reporters are taking is, is the hard disciplinarian. Oh, yeah, definitely. But as I reflect back on Joe's life and, and I think about, you know, his uh, early years with the Jackson 5 training them, it's, it's the hard work that he put in 
that that resonates with me. I, I was listening to an interview yesterday with Joseph where he was talking about actually uh, when, when the Jackson 5, prior to when they were signed to Steeltown, doing all the um, talent shows, all of that hard work, he was actually working two jobs at the steel mill and as a welder. Yes, exactly. And and not only that, I think there's a cultural, and I, I when I say cultural, I mean also racial um, point in terms of a lot of uh, black families, not even back then. I mean, you, when you discipline your kids, you spank your kids, you know, and that was the thing. And I, I don't know, you know, I only know my experience. I was spanked, you know, nowadays it's, it's looked down upon in a certain way, but I definitely was spanked and I'm actually very appreciative that I was spanked because I, I, I know how some of my friends turned out and, and it kept me in line. And I think, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, well, that's abuse and this and that. And, and but at the same time, it, it just all depends on, I guess, the lens you look through. But I do know that. I mean, I can't talk for everyone in the family, but I know that with my uncle that, you know, he, he had done other interviews where he had talked about that, the work ethic and the and what Joe had instilled him, that he was appreciative of him and that he had felt like he was. As a father now, he was almost, he had a lot of Joe in him. And um, I know my dad felt the same way. And, and my dad was super appreciative of my grandpa's work ethic and that what he had done, you know, um, because the alternative was basically them getting into trouble, them going and basically hanging out in the streets and either joining a gang or maybe doing drugs or something like that. That was probably the alternative. And I think that keeping them in the house doing music, that was their way out. That's what kept them safe. And they were known in the, in the neighborhood as, oh, those Jackson boys are just, you know, they're in there making noise, you know, in there. But what they were doing is they were kind of in their own bubble being protected from everything around them as well. Yes, I, I, I'm super aware of what we're hearing in the media and all that stuff. And, and I definitely know that for me, like I, you know, obviously I was never disciplined by my grandfather. You know, so I can't really speak on behalf of like, you know, what it was like to be, you know, disciplined by my grandfather. But at the same time, you know, I know my dad was, and my dad has always said that he looked up to my grandfather, and he, you know, he was proud of the man that he was. And I know my dad got a lot. I know my dad got that discipline a lot, you know, because my dad was always trying to push the boundaries, and so that for me, I think, just hearing you know the narrative of what the, a lot of the media is trying to portray my grandfather as it, it just that was kind of what bothered me about everything and that's kind of what made me want to jump on social media and, and say something was because you know I always I always say if you don't say anything you know our, our family is super private and we don't say anything and then we just let the narrative be what the narrative is and you can't do that in today's world because the narrative is going to be what people say it is and what we know. And I always say this, but what we know from Mozart, Beethoven, you know, WC, um, Da Vinci is only from what we read about them. And so that if what you read about Joe is what the media tells you about Joe, then you don't really know who Joe was. And that's the thing. People like a villain. And I think they, uh, neglect to see that there is actual real villains out there and this is <laughs> this is like yeah. an easy one that they can pick and that's yeah, really I know. sad 
and 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 it's and it's very true. And I've 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 read such harsh comments that it almost made me like really sick because it's like I don't know how someone can say that about someone that they don't even know. It real it was obviously hurtful, but at the same time, it was I had a sense of oh, this person, you know. I, not of sorrow, but this person's very naive. They don't even know. They're just going off of what they've read or just because it's the cool thing to say. But yeah, that was the thing for me. And knowing my grandfather, knowing what my experience has been with them. And and I've been around, you know, I'm the second eldest grandchild. So I've been around a lot and he's always been warm to me and he's always been open to me. And, and, loving to me and and i've always had a relationship with him that i was proud of and happy of that was the thing that i could not let slide i saw what was getting painted the picture that was getting painted about him and it just it really irritated me and i just i just didn't want that to go on without being challenged that's it and it's the same thing that i would say about my uncle michael it's the same exact thing there's people that they look at them one way and that's all they'll look at them as and you can give them all the evidence in the world you can tell them this you can you can show them examples of this but they'll never you know they don't want to believe it and they don't want to see it the other way and so i feel that's it was just that same pat it was deja vu in that way it was like okay we're gonna paint joe jackson as this and this is the title he's gonna wear and i was like no he's not gonna wear this title because this is what the family thought of him and you're you're wrong a, but B, you know, this is someone that for me, without, you know, Grandpa Joe and obviously my grandma, this, none of this would have happened. And I don't care how you, you can say, oh, well, so-and-so still would have been this or that. No, it's, it's, it's work ethic and it's, and it's discipline, but it's also drive. And there's a lot of talented people out there that can sing, but there's a certain... I guess mixture, you know, as if it were you were baking a cake, there's a certain ingredient, I would say, that my grandpa put into the equation that hasn't been replicated yet. One of the one of the questions I guess we always ask when we speak to people about your uncle Michael is how Michael should be remembered. And I guess I'd like to ask Taj, how should Joe Jackson be remembered? Uh, that's a great question. I think... Um, <laughs> you know, I think for me, he should be remembered as him and Catherine as architects of the legacy of the ones that sacrificed what their life was going through. Um, TJ mentioned it during one of our podcasts. He basically said that my grandpa was 30 when, when everything uh, with the Jackson five like prime time in his, his life. He's over there working with his boys, kind of the same thing that my dad did with us as three T that we're appreciative of when you give that time period and you invest it all into your kids, something comes out of that in a way that I just, I'm super appreciative. And, um, I just would want him to be remembered as him and my grandma as the, the creators of the legacy Without them, none of this would have, A, happened, but each one of their personalities contributed. You can take any member of the family, whether you're a Janet Jackson fan, a Jackson 5 fan, a Toya fan, a Michael fan, a Reby fan, 
you know, 3T fan or uh, Jermaine fan, every one of them has both Joseph and Catherine genes in them. And, and there's different combinations, but they have both genes running through them. And you can see it night and day. And that's, what, that's that magical ingredient that made the Jackson family. And I'm talking outside the family, even though I'm part of the family. But that's what made the family what they are today. I think Catherine, her heart and her soul and her love and her, her that added to the charity aspect and to the to wanting to change the world and and you know not make it a pun but to make it a better place, and then you take my grandpa and you take the strive and and the wanting to be the best and the tenaciousness and the media says this about me or the media is trying to knock me down but I'm going to get back up and I'm going to show them. And that's the Joe aspect of it. And without the Joe aspect of it, there'd be no thriller. Because when my uncle said, when he got denied the claim that Off the Wall should have had, he said, I'm going to make an album so great that they won't be able to deny me. And that energy and that I'm going to show them, that comes from Joe. I could tell you that right now. That came from my grandpa. Jumping to our next special episode, which was episode 84 with Judith Hill, we were thrilled to have Judith join us. Now, Judith, as listeners will know, was supposed to be the lead vocal soloist for This Is It, and she also performed at Michael's Staples Center Memorial Service. And she also, and she got into this quite a bit on the episode, worked very closely with Prince, who produced her first album. And in this episode, she called in from Europe. She had just started her tour for her new album, which in fact has just recently come out this fall. And she shared a lot of incredible insights and stories about her time working both with Michael Jackson and Prince. It was a really intimate chat. These, uh, the loss of both of these amazing people in her life is still pretty raw for her, clearly. And it was amazing to hear these memories that she had to share. So um, we get to hear from some of the clips things about working during the rehearsals for This Is It, and a lot of these incredible lessons that she was able to learn working with Michael Jackson. This was a, a very... Um, some of our interviews that we do... Um are difficult to do in the moment because people react in certain ways to our questions and we have to be very careful around what we discuss, how we discuss it, the mood they're in and where we go. And with Judith, like you said, Elise, she was very raw even then, you know, uh, after the death of Prince and, and Michael Jackson. And so Charlie and I wanted to dig pretty deep into some certain areas that we ended up not digging into because, you know, out of respect for her. Uh, because we could just, you know, you can just hear in her voice how these events still personally affect her today. And did you have to know more songs than were on the set lists? I've heard some people yeah. say, who were, I think it was Sugarfoot or someone told us they had to know some ridiculous number of songs, like just in case Michael yeah. wanted to drop them in. Yeah, we definitely learned a lot of songs. There were a lot of just in case songs. Okay, and, and just like just in general, talk to us a little bit about what it was like to be around Michael Jackson, just some favorite sort of memories of, of being around him. 
you know, he was just a sweetheart. He was really this very kind, warm-spirited person. Shy, but shy, you know, to to us, his, his new band, and but really grateful to us, incredibly kind and, and grateful and, and just almost like a kid in a playground, really, really whimsical, really just a pleasant person to be around and very encouraging at the same time. He was always, always all about us knowing how appreciated we were. Um, so I thought that was just really awesome of him. And in terms of the uh, kind of fan trivia that our listeners will be desperate to hear was was there any stuff um that you rehearsed that didn't make it into the film any tracks that you remember running through that for whatever reason didn't make it into the uh the final product there was always a toss-up between stranger in moscow and human nature and i knew that they were fighting for a slot and i was devastated because i loved them both I just remember vividly The Stranger in Moscow just being so um, incredible because his movement, he was moving like I've never seen anyone move on so beautifully and uniquely on a ballad. And so, yeah, that song, that's right. It didn't make it. That I was was always hurting my heart because we would rehearse that song and it was so good. I think they ended up going with Human Nature for that slot. But yeah, that's one that I really loved. Wow. Do you know with that particular song was Michael singing out on it? Was he was he he was singing live and putting everything into it? Yeah, or? and he was dancing. He was this is a mesmerizing dancing that he was doing us on that as well. It was really really amazing. Crazy. So that's oh my it, he performed that in the History World tour um and it was a very yeah. unique performance because it was a lot of robotic yeah. type dancing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And um, another bit of fan trivia sort of stuff we'd like to know is um, the song, uh, Will You Be There? Do you know if you performed that one live? Yeah, we, we, I mean, we rehearsed that one a lot. I'm trying to remember. Um, I mean, it's hard because we didn't actually do the show, so I'm not yeah. sure <laughs> if that show was actually, that song was actually going to be in the show. But we definitely learned it. We rehearsed it. But yeah, you know, I'm not sure if that song was going to make it either. Yeah. I know that it was like, because there were so many, there was like Earth Song, there would be, you know, You Are Not Alone, Heal the World, We Are the World. Those were going to make it for sure. So I'm not sure if Will You Be There was going to make it with all those other ones. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Um, and uh, the final trivia question, um, <laughs> this one comes in from um, friend of the show, Damien Shields. He'd like to know around uh, Billie Jean in particular. There's only one, a lot of the songs in the movie, they have multiple bits of, um, they have multiple nights of performance cut together to make up a song. But there's one that they don't do that with, which is Billie Jean. They only have one instance yeah. of that being performed with the, the silky sort of blue shirt. Do you um, yeah. recall Michael performing Billie Jean any other time or was it just that one time? No, he definitely performed it more than once. That was always the one we were all just, we all loved that moment because he was really, lo- he would go into that one big time. And that was the one where he really wanted freedom with the cues at the end. But that was the first, I remember the first night when he came in and did that and everybody just went crazy. Yeah. Wow, so so I, it, so- it sounds like we got a lot of first nights in the movie then, which is interesting because you'd think that they would opt for 
the performances further along where perhaps he'd performed it a few more times and got back into the swing of things. But it sounds like the for, for whatever reason, they've gone for the first time on a number of these songs. Maybe it's because of the reaction of the people in the room. Do you think? Yeah, we were all, it was so much hype because those first few days, it was like, everybody was like, they were all acting like the people that scream at the shows with the stretchers coming, we were all going crazy. <laughs> so I think that, <laughs> I think that that's probably why they used a lot of the early, like it got, the shows got more technical, I think at, as we went on, but, Initial, like, oh, my God, that's Michael Jackson doing Billie Jean. Those the first nights were like that. What was Michael's reaction when people were going nuts like that? How did he seem to be? <laughs> just, um... like, bashful, like, kind of, <laughs> just kind of, you know, not just modest about it. What would you say, looking back at those rehearsals, was the most valuable thing that Michael taught you? I think that he was so connected to using music as a vehicle to really heal the world. And I think he really did that with his music. I think that I remember being in rehearsals and feeling stuff that I never really felt before in that capacity and realizing what a service he had given to the world that these weren't just incredible songs and productions. This was really a, this is Michael's way of really helping people and healing people and touching people's hearts with his music and realizing just exactly what he was doing. He wasn't just the greatest pop star um, and the greatest performer. It was more than that. It was about his, his desire to, heal the world with love and to really write music that touches at the deepest core of of the human level. And so I think walking away from those rehearsals really gave me a sense of the gravity of what he was doing. You know, before I was just a fan that I just loved his music and I thought he was just so insanely incredible. But coming out of those rehearsals, you just really feel something so powerful and so important about the mission and his calling on this in this planet. And our last big special episode of the summer months was episode 86 with Dick Zimmerman. Now, Dick is a photographer and artist who is best known within the MJ community for his iconic photograph, which was used for the Thriller album cover. So in his episode, we really got the in-depth story of that photo shoot, that famous white suit, which actually was Dick's suit, and about his artistic collaborations with Michael. What I really loved about this episode, well, first of all, the zipping all over Florida and <laughs> Dick leaving his um, you know, cigar and, at the party and things like that. Uh, <laughs> we've never gone so many places during one episode. Um, <laughs> but also just hearing about their collaboration and really getting on the same page with each other as artists, which I thought was completely fascinating. And during the course of this episode... I, you know, I think we kind of started in one place with with Dick kind of really talking about his own identity as an artist, 
But the further we get into the episode, the further we really see this organic collaboration. And I think what it means to really be a, an artist who is kind of, you know, meshing with other creative people. So it just comes together really, really nicely by the end of that episode. Yeah, that was certainly a fun one to record with uh, Schwazenik. Oh, Schwazenik, yes. I didn't say that name because I cannot pronounce it. I pronounce <laughs> it wrong every time. <laughs> Schwaz. Yeah. With that sort of two-way street interaction and, and Michael learning about you and your music tastes and, and all of your inspirations and you more about him and you were both just being real with each other, how did that then shape the concept of the cover? We saw last year that you released some images of alternate like concepts, the, the tiger yeah. cub and the light stick and the leather jacket. Yeah. So there has been a progression Till we get well, to the whites, the white suit. Yeah. How did that sort of two-way street it, it, influence? It, it, it wasn't. It wasn't really a progression to that. That that came a lot later. Ah. Um, after we got together, I was waiting for him to actually uh, decide who was going to shoot the, the cover. You know, just because we got on great didn't mean that uh, he wanted me to do it. But I did hear about three days later from the, the record label that they wanted to meet with me. And so I met with them and they told me when I got there that, that Michael had chosen me to do this cover. And they wanted to talk about ideas. I don't know if you guys know anything about the bureaucracy of advertising uh, or anything like that. And you could waste a lot of time with people trying to show that they're earning their money yeah and basically what happens is you you sit around a board of directors uh, with a bunch of art directors and we're probably four or five of them at that point and evidently this album was going to be i could see that they decided that this was a uh, an album where they're going to spend money on we threw ideas around for a few hours and came up with I don't know, maybe about five or six uh, compositions of something, you know. And then uh, I left, went back to my studio, and, uh, and what they did was create uh, storyboards. You know, they mock up a, a visual, uh, and uh, they sent them over to me. I think they were like five or six, like I said. And uh, they wanted me to do each one, follow each one specifically. So they had mocked up, let's say, six different album covers, you know. So, of course, I, you know, looked these ideas over and I wasn't crazy about any of them because I really don't like to work that way. I like to work spontaneously. And I figured, well, look, what are they going to do if I just do my own thing? You know, what are they going to do? They're not going to reshoot or whatever. And, and the photographs, I'm sure, you know. If I'm shooting them, they're going to be, you know, I'm not going to take a bad photograph. And plus, I've done a thousand album covers previous, so I know my way around album covers. So we can jump towards uh, the day of the, sh the photo shoot. And uh, uh, Michael, you know, came by the same way, uh, lightly tapping on the door. And, uh, and, uh, and we let him in. You know, I took him... Uh, 
up to my uh, loft again. Sorry if I'm going off on a little tangent here. I have people coming out of the party here. If it gets too loud, I'll have to move to another location. Uh, anyway, I don't want to lose my train of thought. So, uh, I oh, okay. So, uh, at that point, I showed him the five or six uh, mock-ups layouts that that these uh, this label put together. And, and he looked at me like he had a bad taste in his mouth, you know. <laughs> and he said, do we really have to do those? And I said, listen, Michael, you're the boss here. I'm the boss as well, the two of us. It looks like you feel the same way I do, because I had decided before you got here that I really didn't want to do any of these, you know. And he really lit up, because he, he, he really thanked me. He, he realized that the reason that he wanted me uh, to do this album cover was for whatever I could contribute, you know, not to copy something, you know, that somebody else created. I'm actually, I'm actually walking, guys, because I'm trying to get away from this noise. No worries. It's all good. Yeah. This, we're just transfixed yeah. by the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, did I take my lighter with me? Oh, if I don't oh, have a lighter. I can't, I can't relight my cigar if I don't. Hold on. Let me just shoot back here. Uh, I, can't do, I can't do interviews without a cigar. <laughs> That's a great image that I've got in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. These cigars uh, are terrific cigars. I, uh, I'm i not name dropping really, but I got them. I was in Rome uh, five months ago delivering a painting to the Pope. <laughs> uh, I really, I, I, yeah, I did, a, I did a really beautiful painting of the Pope. And uh, he, he said it was the best painting uh, anyone's ever done of him. So I was really wow. happy with that. But I, but I got these, but somebody, they turned me, somebody in, at the Vatican turned me on to these cigars. <laughs> and uh, I, I bought a shitload of them back with me. And I'm lighting mine now. My, my father is a, a massive cigar aficionado. I'd, I'd love to know what they're yeah. called. Uh, well... I can't pronounce it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It, it starts with a T and ends in an O. That's all I can tell you right now. Okay. Anyway, so where were we? Uh, we're doing an interview here. Um, Mike, you said uh, Michael and you had were both very relieved that the other people's concepts yeah. is not the direction you were going to yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. So basically he said to me, so what, what are we going to do? And I said, well, we're gonna, what we're going to do, Michael, is exactly what I like to do. And we're just going to change clothes and we're just going to create spontaneously and see what we come up with. And, uh, and that's what we did. And we just played, really, and talk about playing, you know, which is something he loved, loved to do. And uh, we just improvised. Uh, the whole the whole shoot was a improvisation. 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 Yeah, exactly. And uh, thanks. <laughs> Too much cigar, I think. Mm. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm not. Listen, I, I I I'm not drinking. I don't drink when I do interviews at all. So, and I ne actually I never really drink. But um, but anyway, uh, so we did, and, and we just played around all day, and, and we had a lot of, I must tell you, we had a lot of fun. Uh, I guess what you guys want to hear is previous 
to actually any shooting, because I know I've been asked about this story many times. And uh, basically, it has to do with the wardrobe. When you do a photo shoot, you hire a person called a stylist, fashion stylist. And they go out and they gather wardrobe for whoever you're shooting at the time. And so this particular a girl went out and she basically put two big racks of clothes together. And, uh, and so we, Michael and I got together and going over, uh, the clothes. We said, well, let's, let's pick some things out, you know? And basically he went over everything and he said, you know, there's nothing here that that's me. There's nothing here that I like, nothing here that turns me on. And I, started to panic for the first time that day because I figured, you know, I had to, by the time he got out of makeup and get his hair done and everything, you know, time is fleeting. And of course that happened first, hair and makeup happens first. And then the wardrobe happened second and we couldn't find anything. I happened to always be wearing white. White was my, my thing. And uh, that particular day, I had uh, this white suit on. And he said, uh, well, do you have anything like that? And he pointed, of course, to my suit. And I said, uh, well, no, and we really don't have a lot of time. We really need to get shooting, you know. And uh, I said, listen, I said, you and I are about the same height. We were just about exactly the same height. And I said, well, how do you feel about you know, wearing my suit. He said, no problem. He said, that'd be great. You know? So, uh, so we, I gave him my suit to, to wear and, uh, I put on something from the rack for me to shoot in. And that's really, of course, how uh, that became, you know, the iconic wardrobe for that cover. Now there were uh, a couple of other pieces that we, we did use from, from the rack and uh and they you know they were alternate shots because we just played around and and changed but mostly we were creating with the white suit uh with the uh, different t-shirts underneath you know and that was that was how that one uh happened how that happened to be the cover it that was my my white suit and months after and this is before I had any idea that this album would be as big as it started to be. I finally, uh, I was still wearing that white suit for a few months, you know, no, I wouldn't wear the same white suit every day, but you know, yeah. uh, yeah. <laughs> I did, I did change my wardrobe <laughs> and, uh, at a certain point, uh, when this album was getting really big, I said, you know, I better not wear the suit anymore. It's like iconic. And so I took it to a place and had it uh, installed in a plexiglass box and uh, hung it up on my wall. And, uh, and, and I had that there for, for uh, quite a, quite a few months. Uh, excuse me one sec. I have well, what? Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, guys, uh, yes, sir. Uh, uh, I uh, I have to uh, don't don't panic. I'm not leaving the interview. Uh, 
but I am leaving the party and somebody will, is going to be driving my car while I do this. Oh, That's wow. Okay. No, no worries. worries. So good. So I will be in transit while we're talking here. So, oh, so, so what happened is after a few months, I had a, a house that was, that had a lot of French doors um, and you could break in it very easily. I would go out of town a lot. I'd travel a lot and my wife would be home alone. And, and as the suit was getting more and more popular and I guess, you know, I was a little worried, uh, that somebody would break in and I was worried about any danger to her or anything. And I, uh, one day, uh, received a phone call, uh, which was interesting from, uh, Sotheby's auction house. And, uh, okay, wait, I'm getting in a car. Yeah. All good. Okay. And, uh, that is the door closing in the car. <laughs> this is as real as real can be. There you go. Yeah. It's called, uh. What is that? What is that guy that does the? Uh, oh, the uh, the uh, comedians in cars or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is my. You can hear my wife, I think. Yeah. Patty. Hello, hello. Hi, Patty. Hey, hello, Thank you. Australia. Hi there, Australia. <laughs> Thanks for letting us have uh, some time with uh, the Schwarzenegg, Mr. Dick Zimmerman. <laughs> she can't. She can't hear you. I'm. I have my my headset on here. So. Oh, of course, of course. Okay. Thank you for that. But uh, anyway, uh, so uh, so Sotheby's contacted me. Don't hit that car, please. No, no. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and I decided that because of the safety reasons, uh, I would. They wanted me to auction off the suit. Is basically what it was. And I agreed. I figured, you know, there's danger in me keeping it, so I I agreed, and and we auctioned it off. I'm not going to tell you how much I got for it at that particular time, but at, at that time it was okay. You know, I, I wouldn't, wasn't going to complain. So after I actually found out, uh, I wanted to find out actually who, who bought the suit. And, uh, because originally an attorney had contacted me and wanted me to know if I wanted to auction the suit. And I found out later that it was Michael Jackson's attorney. Ah. which was kind of interesting because you see, the thing is, is that, you know, Michael was so polite uh, and he wanted the suit obviously for his uh, exhibitions and things like that. And um, so, but he, he didn't want to just come out and, you know, and ask me for it. So, Oh, I guys, um, I got to put my seatbelt on here. Because no happy to hear that. Hearing, happy to hear it. You're hearing a ping, I think. Yes. A safety ping. first. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. I'm clicked in now. Cool. Anyway, so uh, the suit, I, I believe, is in the either in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or someplace the, uh, similar. I saw it. You, a f- I saw it in 20, when was it? 2009 at the end of the year, I think in a Grammy museum in Los ah, Angeles. Yes, that's where it is. That's where yeah. it is, Grammy museum. Have you right. seen it since? No, no, I haven't. No, it's what displayed. Is it like? it's, it's it looks, ter- 
yeah, it is. <laughs> it looks terrific. It's displayed very well. You'd be happy. Uh, yeah, I wish I had it now. Yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> yeah, and so, uh, when I when I heard that he that they auctioned, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe three years ago, uh, the the black uh, and red jacket that he wore on one of the videos for over a million bucks, I uh, I didn't feel too good. Yeah, you know? yeah. Mm. So now, now, you know, I'm listen. Guys, I'm, and the audience out there, I'm sitting next to my wife, okay? And every time I say something that she doesn't like, she hits me. <laughs> <laughs> I've had the, the pleasure of seeing some footage recently of Michael in a photo shoot in the last yeah. couple of years of his life. He was working with a photographer right. called Bruce Weber. And yeah, yeah. It, in this shoot, it was very energetic. There was a lot of music going on, and Michael was posing every yeah. few seconds. And yeah. I wanted to know what yeah. the energy was like in your shoots with him, and how did you position him physically as a subject? It was not like that at all, because uh, you know we were experimenting. Now, mm. at, at that point, when maybe Bruce Weber was shooting him, it was sometime after. Uh, I don't know what stage. Oh, it that was, was 2007, but, so it was very, very yeah. Late well, in Michael, his Michael was yeah. Michael was doing his shows and and all his uh, routines and everything like that. So I can imagine that that there was a lot of uh, uh, energy going on. But with us, it wasn't. It was more uh, like that we were just creating uh, aesthetics, you know. Yeah. And uh, and basically, we'd wing it. I would. I would set something up and uh, put him in it and uh, and just create lighting uh, just spontaneously and uh, and he would cooperate with everything uh, that I did and uh, but we didn't uh, we didn't have music blasting or, or anything like that it was yeah. it was more of a of a quiet almost like creating a painting you know that's sort of what I had in mind when I did it was was uh, a, it was a painting, you know, and uh, and basically, you know, basically the the way I uh, explained my life to you guys earlier as a painter, I basically saw photography as paintings. So yeah. that that was that was how I worked, and uh, you know, of course, I don't remember, you know, the first shot or anything like that, but uh, but I do remember positioning him for the shot that uh, became the cover, uh, you know, with the uh, tiger cubs. One of the things that stands out uh, was that during our breaks, and we took a lot of breaks, uh, that Michael would stand in front of uh, my big mirror and he would practice his, uh, his moves, you know. Wow. And, of course, I, was, I saw the, uh, the moonwalk for the first time. And I said, Michael, what the fuck is that? You know, <laughs> it, 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 you know it just, uh, I, I, I actually couldn't believe. I thought he was on ice or something. I said, how the hell did he do that, you know? And he did a lot of other moves uh, as well. But I distinctly remember that one. And, of course, I think it became the most famous move anyway, right? Yeah, absolutely. Sure but, did. Uh, but, we, look, we played around and... And... Uh, and um, and the other thing, you know, he was extremely professional. He was uh, he was very astute to uh, everything I was doing, and and uh, and was adding his his own ideas. Uh, so it was a 
the collaboration between the two of us. One thing uh, that stood out, and this is how professional uh, Michael was, and uh, and throughout probably many other things that he did, uh, he had a, a fellow there who, uh, and I never had experienced that. He had a fellow there with one of these counters, these uh, clickers, you know, and he counted uh, every frame that I shot. Uh, because he he purchased uh, every frame, he wanted to make sure that he had every every one that I shot. You know? oh, wow! That was yeah, that was kind of interesting. I had never seen anybody do that. That was it. We you know we shot for the day and uh, and then uh, wrapped up. What did he express his thoughts to you around the finished product at any point? Well. He, of course, didn't see the finished product at that point because this is not the digital era. Yeah. This mm. is the film film era. So the only thing he saw were Polaroids. And, of course, you know, I, I would do a Polaroid before every, every change to get an idea of, uh, you know, lighting and whatever. And, you know, and we wouldn't shoot if, if he looked at one of the Polaroids that he didn't care for. I wouldn't go ahead with it. So he never never saw the actual film, finished film product until I went to meet him uh, at uh, the Westlake studio, I guess about a week later, something like that. So anyway, I went there uh, with a portable light table and, uh, and all the images. And the images were, you know, they were, I photographed them with a Hasselblad camera. Hasselblad camera is... Uh, two and a quarter by two and a quarter inches. Okay. And uh, I spread them out all over the light table. Michael looked, came out of the studio, of course. He was recording. He said, I can't pick one of one of these. There's so many, uh, you know. I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm happy that you, you know, like them all. He says, yes, but I want to pick the album cover today. And I said, <laughs> okay, fine. Well, go ahead. I'll, I'll help you. And he says, no, 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 hold on. And he ran into the studio and came out with Quincy. I had met him already, so we shook hands. And, and Michael said, look at these pictures. This is, this is the, the album cover. I don't know which one, and I want to pick it today and, you know, help me out. And honestly, this is exactly the time involved. Quincy just bent over this light table and... I would say uh, no more than 30 seconds, maybe even less than that. He uh, pointed to uh, transparency and said, that's the cover. There it is, Michael. And, uh, and that was it. it was, uh, that's, that's how the iconic thriller cover was, was picked. In- wow. Then it became the most distributed portrait in history. Distributed, yes. Incredible. Incredible. Well, uh, time for me to go through a few of my episodes that I had the job of um, picking bits out of, uh, which I still haven't done yet. Apologies, uh, but I will do that before the show goes to air. Um, Episode 89, John Barnes special. Elise, I've got to give special props to you because you were the showrunner for this episode. You, You sourced the interview subject. You met John at a Brad Sundberg seminar, got to know him and then um, asked him to come on the show and he said yes. 
and uh, we had a great chat with him. You were very involved with scripting the questions, with leading the show, with, yeah, it was really spectacular to watch you uh, come to form with that episode. Uh, so thank you. And it was a lot of fun to chat with John. He went into deep detail about his collaborations with Michael Jackson in the 80s and beyond. He talked about We Are The World. He talked about recording for Bad. Uh, it was incredible listening to him talk about how he actually brought songs to a level of completion with Michael Jackson, like um, The Way You Make Me Feel and Smooth Criminal. It was never intended for them to be thought of as the B-team, even though they are now by many fans thought of as the B-team that worked out of Havenhurst. Whereas actually in Michael's mind and in their minds, they were the A-team working on the Bad Album. But because of contractual obligations and different background things with Quincy Jones, um, history took a slightly different course. So it was great to set the record straight around a few things there. And it was personally for me really uh, fantastic to watch you, Elise, take the helm and do such a great job with a key Michael Jackson collaborator. I mean, there's two kinds of special interviews that we do at the MJ cast with Michael Jackson collaborators. And this is being perfectly real and honest. This is not beating around the bush. There's people that are out there that worked with Michael, great people, but they're out there doing the circuit. You know, they're, they're doing interviews, they're selling a product, whether it be a book or whatever, an album, or and they want to talk to as many people as they can. There's people like that, and they're great to talk to. But then there's the really uh, deep, difficult interviews, which are the ones where we reach out to Michael Jackson collaborators, build a relationship, and then talk with them. Um, and often those people, they're not out there trying to sell something. They're people that are often very reluctant to tell their story, actually. And... Um, you know, John Barnes is somebody that I don't think really ever has done an interview on Michael on the scale that he did with the MJ cast that he chose to do with Elise. Um, so Elise, you, you didn't just put together a show for the MJ cast, you put together an episode with a key Michael collaborator that is going to reach far and wide for many, many hundreds of years to come for people studying Michael. Thanks so much, Jamie. And that means a lot to me. And it was so incredibly special for me to be on this episode. I I just think John is this fantastic guy who has wonderful stories and um, it was a real honor. So thank you for allowing me to participate in it. I echo Jamin's sentiments there. I was really blown away by not only the content and what we got to learn about Michael, the creator and his studio time and creative process and really huge iconic songs. All of that was amazing, but I was equally impressed by the main host of this episode yourself, Elise. You did a terrific job. So my thanks as well. And if you have not listened to this episode, people head on back to the episode 89, John Barnes special. It is worth your time. You know, I, th I think it was really fantastic. And I think it is the absolute, you know, goal of, of the, of what we're doing here is to just like you just said, to get these stories that are not already being shopped around that are the real stories. I mean, just to come in and really, you know, the whole like B team versus not thing. I mean, that's that idea that that, that myth is still floating around um, within fan community and to actually hear his understanding of what was really going on. I mean, it changes your ideas of everything that was ha happening at Havenhurst, of what Quincy was doing. I mean, it changes the entire narrative, and it's really amazing to hear it firsthand like that. Yeah. 
talk to us about when you got to work with all of them for the first time. So that would be on the Victory album, right? How did that sort of come to pass? Well, what actually started it was I ran into Marlon Jackson. I, we all played on a uh, kind of a celebrity softball team out here. And so I used to play with them on occasions. And uh, I ran into Marlon one day and he asked me if I would be willing to help him with uh, some keyboard lessons and things like that so he could realize more of his music. So I said, sure, I'll help him. And then he told me that he wanted to do a solo project and he was taking voice lessons. And, you know, we were, I was helping him um, learn to play. And then he asked me to play some things that I had, some ideas. And and uh, we ended up taking one that I had gone in the studio and just recorded. And he wrote to it for an early song that Janet did called You Don't Stand Another Chance. And um, so he had the brother singing background on it. I think Michael even came in. And then when Michael heard it, he said, basically, Marlon, I know you didn't do this. Who did this? (laughs) And I want to meet that person. And so Michael ended up calling me directly as a result of hearing and experiencing that. That actually precedes a lot of thriller, even. Wow. Yeah, that is awesome. So you were working with Michael, really, even before that stratospheric status that came with thriller. Yeah, because Michael wanted his own people. I think he had reached the point where he felt that he wasn't able to express his concept and views in music as powerfully as he wanted to. He felt that there was nothing wrong with him having had success with Quincy Jones and Bruce Swedeen and all of those guys, but he felt, okay, we did that. Now I want to go forward. And so he reached out to Bill Betrayal and myself about joining him. I was the first one he reached out to because we actually had a business venture called Experiments in Sound where I was developing new sounds and new ideas, new ways of doing things, technology, different relationships that we had as a business. I came in to do that. And after we worked with Bill on some of the early ideas that uh, I, I helped develop with Michael, early meaning like Buffalo Bill and Al Capone. And even at that time, Liberian Girl was one of those things that was originally going to be on the Victory album. And then uh, Michael held it for bad. Mm. So that, that sat all that time. It was identical to what we did, what hit the record. With one edition, which was the African, uh, which was Leda Umbulu intro, uh, singing in the African dialect. But other than that, that's the record we did. So just to clear the air, we didn't go to Michael's house to do demos to hand over. We went to make the record. And there was a conflict in understanding as to whether Michael had the right to proceed forward without Quincy Jones or not. There was a misunderstanding, let's just say. You know, when that 
film was done, E.T., and there was a record soundtrack that was released, Quincy had had a relationship with Michael that was to cover three projects. Michael thought those three had been fulfilled. So that's the, the, the environment we believed we were coming into. It ended up proving out that E.T. was viewed as a soundtrack, not a record. So we lost our positioning on bad. And it's one of the reasons I don't like to talk too much is because it's very difficult to take a situation like that and be viewed as like a warm up squad or a B team and all those kinds of things that people say. And even down to people saying things like, um, you know, Chris Carell did all of this stuff and we hadn't seen him for, he, he didn't come in until probably five years after he had been working. You know, I mean, I even had people at the seminar that Elise was speaking about uh, ask me, was I sure that I actually did this stuff with Sinclair because <laughs> Chris Carell said he did it. And I'm sitting there going, not only am I sure, <laughs> I went to New England Digital. We designed the most expansive Sinclair that had ever been built. And that's what we worked with for some years doing all of these things. So uh, I guess I hope I'm not saying more than you're asking for. No, no, no we, we John, love that depth. <laughs> That's what we're all about. And John, you know, part of this too is that a big part of this, the reason this podcast exists is to really have a record of Michael Jackson's true legacy. And so getting your stories and your version of events is so important to that record. So we really appreciate your frankness um, through through all of this talk today. The proof is is in the music. I mean, we a friend of mine, Damien Shields, who I think you know as well. Yeah, um, yeah. He he's a close friend of ours, and he's writing a you know as you know he's writing a book at the moment, and he's done a lot of research around origins of particular songs and he's been to the u.s yeah. copyright office and yeah he, he's yeah. heard all the original stuff that was there before the quincy versions and his you know he tells us that 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 stuff at the copyright office those original versions of those tracks sound pretty much identical before quincy got his hands on them yes they did and like i said it was very very difficult for us because we put a lot into it to make a step forward from Thriller. That's a very difficult thing to do in the music industry. Very, very difficult. Because most people, if they hit something that succeeds at that level, they try to replicate it immediately. And we didn't. We went forward. For good or not, you know. Before we get into more of your work in the studio, we did just want to ask about the recording of We Are the World. Um, mm -hmm. Would love to hear a little bit about what it was like playing on that song and also if you stuck around for the vocal recordings. Okay. That's another one of those sensitive areas. <laughs> Michael came to me one day and said that we need to do this song and uh, I need you to help me do this. So he started singing um, some of the verse, but he primarily focused on the chorus. And I started playing what I felt that the chorus could sound like to what he was singing. 
Then we ran into a studio and we kind of just threw something together really quick. I just put a beat down and played it really, really fast without, you know, a lot of thinking about it. So there would be a reference. Yeah. And then um, Stevie Wonder, as I understood, it was originally scheduled to uh, write the bridge with them. He didn't show up. So actually, I kind of did that. And Michael sang it. And I was told at that time by Quincy Jones that I wasn't famous enough for my name to go on it. Because of the nature of what it was, you know, a humanitarian project, something that really meant a lot to me in its in its attempt to help humans. I didn't want to be in a fight over it, but it was very, very hurtful because I wasn't trying to do something. I actually did something. But that being said, we did a draft of it. We did the tracking. And that was nice. For me, the vocal part of it was interesting, but it was more of a celebrity kind of video kind of a project. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt that it, it didn't completely represent how all of it was done, but it made sense for what was being put out for the world to see everyone there doing what they would do. That just is not a way that a vocal would be cut. <laughs> Michael ended up autographing a 12-inch single of it for me, and it says, to the man who played the song for the very first time. So that's We Are the World. <laughs> wow. So, John, um, can you tell us one of your favorite in-studio memories of Michael? <laughs> Um, (laughs) that's very difficult to say because most of mine are kind of comedic and I wouldn't want to embarrass anyone, (laughs) but (laughs) they are unbelievably comedic. (laughs) Let's see. In the non-musical area, in the musical area, I would probably have to say, um, Librarian Girl is one of them. Because everything happened so, it, it was almost like stream of conscience for everyone, all, all three of us. And it happened so fast that we all knew that something extraordinary had happened. On the musical side, that's one of them. But on another side, <laughs> We were in a studio and um, some people came for a meeting. And I guess they were thinking, okay, that this meeting, let's say it's supposed to happen at five o'clock. So they get there for five and Michael says to him, you know, could you go sit out there for a little bit and uh, just wait for me. And so they, you know, are putting on their, best Michael Jackson personality and they go sit out there. And so I'm sitting there <laughs> and he pushes up a fader on the recording console <laughs> and it's to an open mic that's out there in that room. <laughs> and you hear these people say, stuff like, who does he think he is? We're here and we're supposed to have this meeting, blah, 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 blah. And they're just going on and on and on just talking. And, 
I'm looking and going, oh, my God. <laughs> so, then, so then he invites them in, and they go, Michael, <laughs> how are you? Blah, blah, blah. And they're talking. They have this meeting. And just when they're leaving, he hands them a cassette and says, here's a little something for you to listen to on your way home. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a recording of them talking out there. Oh, that is badass. That, that is awesome. <laughs> oh, man. That's pretty <laughs> Love that. Um, <laughs> John, but it's do you just have... so far for the court. Episode 90, Thriller 3D Roundtable. Uh, this was a really fun episode to listen to. Um, I wasn't on this one and Q, you weren't either. And we purposely removed ourselves from this roundtable because we weren't able to experience the Thriller 3D uh, restoration uh, like some other people were. So at least you were on that one and you were there with James L.A. and Andy Healy and had a great chat about Thriller 3D and its remastering and its legacy and impact on the world today is one of the greatest short films well you know what probably not even one of the greatest the greatest short film ever created great great round table to listen to lots of fun and there was a moment in there that actually was a real aha moment for me where James LA was able to articulate something I've sort of always known and thought about subconsciously for a long time but he talked a lot about how there's a big difference between actual Michael Jackson products that he put out before he died in 2009 and that everything else after that, you know, should be considered in a slightly different way. And I'll let him articulate it now again in the show, but it's it's very much put into perspective for me how I, I now think about and view posthumous Michael Jackson material. So great, great show, Elise. Really enjoyed that one as well. Thanks. I had a lot of fun doing it. Especially in those later years, I think the History album is so brilliant. And the fact that it's called His Story, I think, at least in my view, I've always saw it as this hokey little thing. But uh, it really it really does tell his story when, when you look at it as a cohesive piece. And the fact that it ends with Smile, which is a song about having to fake happy and a song about maybe tomorrow... Uh, life will be worthwhile, which means today, by the way, he feels life is not worthwhile. I mean, how tragic is that? And we as fans appreciate that story. We appreciate the Michael Jackson story, the man and the ambition and ultimately the struggle and their plan and i'm not saying this as a complaint i'm just saying this as a matter of fact and uh because i'm not really sure how i feel about it but their plan is clearly to never tell that story their plan is to simplify and rewrite this man into a series of caricatures that at least michael jackson partially formed himself, but uh, 
they are going to be in isolation from whatever reality Michael Jackson was truly facing at that point in his life or career. And uh, it's it's just what's going to happen. And it's it's what they've been doing. And uh, um, I can see why. But we are we are seeing the real Michael Jackson sort of... We see the beginnings of the real Michael Jackson to sort of be tucked away, being being brought back into the archives. And, uh, and instead, these new exhibits of Michael Jackson are being assembled that require a little bit of whiz-bang and pop, modern-day whiz-bang pops like 3D or computer animation to be attractive. These are Michael Jackson exhibits. They are not actually Michael Jackson projects. And we're seeing the actual projects being put into the archives almost for the true enthusiasts or researchers um, to find because all they're presenting and all they're selling are these newfangled exhibits. Does that make sense? And that's the Disney model I'm talking about. Yeah, so let's let's chat about the legacy of the thriller short film. So, you know, as we kind of started this discussion off with, the video is so deeply ingrained in our culture that I sometimes, and you guys would agree, I believe, um, think that it's easy to lose appreciation for just how important it was and continues to be. So, James, let's start with you. Um, I'd love to hear some thoughts around what you see as the legacy of the short film today in pop culture or whatever you'd like to talk about. The legacy of Thriller is... First of all, I think one thing that I think I appreciate right now about Thriller that I think sort of just came to me watching the Thriller 3D is the realization that the throwback that th- the thriller video is going to sort of the 1950s thing was as old to that audience as the thriller moment is to us now and it's sort of like this almost like halfway point between does that make sense it's kind of like so so we're we're in the theater i'm eating popcorn like the michael jackson meme watching a movie <laughs> from 30 years ago of Michael Jackson watching a movie from 30 years oh ago God. from that point. It's like this. That's a, that's a David Lynch <laughs> wet dream. I mean, like, and, and it's in, and it's in three dimensions. So it's like, it's like really extra trippy, but like, yeah. So, um, I don't know what that means, but like I think it does mean s- something about some s- the fact that we're in the theater thirty years later watching it means something. Um, I don't know what exactly, but like there's no one's doing it for any of Madonna's films. Um, Purple Rain, I guess people are kind of doing it for, but that's not that's not a music video. Um, and I guess even Michael Jackson would argue Thriller itself isn't a music video. But there's no other video from the MTV era that people are going to cinemas for 30 years later. It's, it's not happening with anything else. And I think that summarizes generally um, 
or at least sort of quantifies the impact or the importance of the thriller video to to art. Yeah, you're spot on. We're not we're not queuing up for um, ZZ Top's legs in 3D at the at the um, at the cinema. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, look, the thriller when it happened shifted the game. Everything was just raised. You know, Michael and John Landis and Michael Peters, you know, took this kitschy kind of, you know, I call it the next, thr- uh, the, the Netflix and thrill kind of seductive, I'll, I'll keep you warm, little girl, kitschy song that was, you know, a cool groove and stuff, but it wasn't really a kind of like a, a breakthrough landmark song as such compared to like Billie Jean or Beat It. But it just elevated it to a to a level that's never been matched. You've got, you know, unbelievable uh, special effects that hold up. I've got to say, you know, you you kind of can watch some movies from from thirty years ago and the special effects don't hold up too much. But uh, but these kind of hold up. You know, the iconic dancing, the iconic jacket, the iconic look, the the movie in a movie, the all these kind of elements that just as soon as you know, I watched Thriller when I was a boy. You know, it was game-changing, and it, it still continues to be. That the fact that people, you know, are flash mobs and and people are still, you know, Vincent Patterson is is hosting a dance class in uh, next weekend for people to to kind of learn uh, the Thriller choreography. It it is iconic in a way that. I think Michael probably hoped for but didn't think would get. Maybe he thought it would be iconic for until the Bad Album. But it's it's just had this longevity that hasn't been matched. And I think nowadays seeing it in a cinema with a collective group of people, you almost share that connection to Michael and to the memory of music as being an event because you – you know, for for my generation, we remember watching it premiere on TV. For your generation, it was kind of like discovering it, and and you can kind of it's one of those videos you can remember seeing. And so to see it with a group of people who you wouldn't necessarily, you know, maybe not be hanging out with, to all enjoy that. And I think, especially since Michael's passing, it's a way for people to connect to the Michael they loved and remembered whether or not they continued being a fan post-bad, post-dangerous, post-history, whatever. Um, I, I, I hadn't thought of that, James, about what you were saying about, you know, where we are in time in terms of watching something from 30 years ago that was referencing something from 30 years prior to that is just, that's blown my mind. The fact that we're still talking about it, the fact that Thriller has, you know, become... A Halloween moment at every Halloween party that the people know the dance moves. You just raise your hands doing that zombie kind of rock from side to side. People know exactly what you're talking about. Well, I think it gets taught on every cruise ship everywhere now. <laughs> episode 92. This was our last special episode for season four of the MJ cast, except for the one that you're currently listening to, listeners. 
episode 92 humanitarian the real michael jackson special q you put this one together with the help of steven of mjffc our charity correspondent and you spoke to author paul dwyer from melbourne who has recently written a fantastic book all about michael jackson's humanitarian work and and legacy this was a really great one to listen to as it got to the heart of who michael jackson was as a man uh it sort of set aside his um great art um, for the moment and looked specifically at what he wanted to accomplish as a man in giving back to humanity and helping people in need all around the world. It was very touching to listen to and it again reminded me of how incredible a person Michael was and why so many fans around the world aren't just fans of his music and dancing but also fans of him as a person and the example he set for many of us to, uh, to follow. So good job, Q. Thank you, Jamin. It was not really the episode we'd sort of set out to do, especially in the in the time scale of what was meant to be uh, slotted into that one. Uh, came together really fast, and I appreciate Stephen's help with that as well, and then yourself in Mission Control. And it was just great timing that Paul put this book out, Humanitarian, The Real Michael Jackson, and that we got to talk about it. End the year on a really, really high note, I feel, like getting into that element of Michael that's not overlooked by fans, but definitely by the wider public. I just, I love that we got to finish the year on that note and we'll definitely be continuing that through the year. And also two other things with this episode that, I'm really proud of is we got to really shine a light on the great work that Michael Jackson fans for charity do through actual fans raising money and contributing to so many great causes all around the world. And, and since then we have seen the the monthly donor uh, number of people increase by a couple and that's just incredible so i'm really proud that we've got to help contribute to that and shine a light on a really great michael jackson charity and our terrific charity correspondent Stephen did an amazing job and it was a real pleasure to be chatting with him on that episode as well but also another highlight of that episode i think was the the music clips really terrific and inspirational music that Michael's put together and people have been inspired to create because of Michael. And yeah, I I love picking those songs and music clips are always a great, they're always a highlight for me. And when they've got a lot of meaning behind them, like on that episode, it just makes the all the, all the better. So if you haven't heard it yet, head back to our previous episode before this one, episode 92, and hear from Paul Dwyer, author of Humanitarian, The Real Michael Jackson, and Stephen from Michael Jackson Fans for Charity. Stephen, have you got any questions you'd like to ask Mr. Dwyer about yeah. his book? Well, first of all, hello, Paul. G'day, mate. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you. Uh, thanks for your story. I mean, it's it's great to sort of hear 
you know, what other fans are doing as well in documenting all, all of these things. I mean, it's there's so many things. I mean, when I was looking at stuff for our own bits and pieces, we started to think about putting what Michael had been doing on our site as well to just, you know, outline to fans how much was being done. And I wondered if you if you had a tally on how many times, you know, how many hits you had, as it were, of a, of a visitation of him going to a hospital or a children's home and whatnot, how many you actually found. Because when we were looking online, we, we were going to put something on our site, but and I was going to format it. But when I looked at the list, there were, I counted at least 167 entries of dates where he had visited a hospital or donated money or, you know, that kind of thing. I just wondered if you had an idea roughly of how many times, you know, he, he did do things. I mean, you said that you think it was more than the amount of actual concerts he did, but do you have any idea of, you know, a rough figure? I don't have any idea. No, look, I think there's 130-something pages in the book and each page has at least two or three, I think, occasions where he's made some sort of humanitarian effort. So, no, and and I did see quite a few blogs um, with different statistics, but every different one that I looked at had different statistics and it was Mm. very hard putting that all together. But that would be interesting. I might work on that. (laughs) What sort of date, also, what date does it go up to? in your book i mean we kind of got to 2004 april 2004 Uh, and then it kind of fizzled out a little bit do you have on from that yeah look the last date that's on uh, was june 6th on 2009 where michael lent his uh the rights to heal the world i think it was to a group of uh, young entertainers i think that was for the james bolger actually appeal that sounds Um, like it was actually so that was in june 2009 so was that, that was more recent? No, oh, no, that was, yes, that was in 2009. That's not recent, is it? <laughs> 2009. <laughs> yeah, I think it was around that sort of time because I remember when I was involved in certain bits for that because what we were trying to do at the time is when Michael passed, there was a thing about that single and there was an effort to try and get it to number one. And I'm, I'm not sure how far we got in the end, but um, it was certainly something close to Michael's heart because it was a story a tragic story which we won't really go into here but it deeply affected Michael and he apparently let the family have the rights to the Heal the World song to to make a cover and release it as a charity single that's the main one I remember from all of his you know visits and that that he's done and you know things he's reached out to people for that's the one that sticks into my mind the most maybe it's because it was the main one from the UK that he was involved in and that's probably why why I actually heard about it myself so i think there was one entry after uh that one of june 2009 and that was just talking about um in michael's will um he directed for a certain percentage of any royalties from ongoing profits to be directed to so many charities so and they're still going to this day so yeah no that's it i mean there's just so many things and i feel like it's the tip of the iceberg i mean i don't know how far and how deep you managed to get into it but it's probably just brushed the surface. <laughs> yeah, that. yep, I dare say. And especially because, you know, a lot of the stuff wasn't, it, there was no um, publicists around and it wasn't no. something that he said, oh, let's get the, you know, the TV crews around 
to do this. And I think that the majority of it really was done privately. And that's one thing I wanted to make clear in my book was that I'm not trying to be a private investigator. I'm not trying to dig and, and find the unknowns of Michael Jackson or anything like that. I just wanted to show the parts that were pretty much already out there on the, the great internet these days um, with a little bit of research. Yeah, but I, I think you're right. I think it only touches the, the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more out there that maybe no one apart from, you know, the persons involved um, will know about. Mm. And I think that's the beauty of it because um, when I was trying to find a quote, I remembered a quote that you said, and it was from an interview. I don't know if you might remember it. Maybe Q or Jay remember it at some point. But um, he said something on the lines of, if you do a good deed and you tell everyone about it, then it kind of, ruins the whole point of what you're doing you know and I think a lot of that came across in the stuff that he did he didn't necessarily invite the cameras along obviously he was kind of stuck with them following them everywhere but he didn't necessarily go overboard to have that you know happen you know he just wanted to do what he needed to do and if they were there then okay they were there and if they're not then brilliant he got a bit of time you know on his own to do what he normally does yeah and I think uh, uh, a degree of it is also bringing awareness to, to certain things. So there's a need to bring the cameras and to bring, you know, mm. as much of the media if they're going to cover anything. Mm. A lot of it is about bringing awareness, which raises funds and, you know, which helps research and yada, yada. So I think there is a degree of that that's needed as well. But I think a lot of it was done quite privately. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff is very much the tip of the iceberg with this because Michael didn't really go to any great efforts to really want the press to be there. You know, there's going to be so many things that none of us know about. It may be even years to come that it will start coming out. Fans will start remembering or being in a situation where they can actually tell people what happened or even being old enough. I mean, because he visited so many children in hospitals, they were obviously children back then and now they're going to be grown adults. You know, it'd be great to start hearing stories coming out from them now all grown up uh, and if you know their meeting with him helped them through what they were going through at the time which I'm sure in many cases it did you know I think it would be really interesting over the coming years to start hearing more about that I think definitely. I think something that I thought of when I was watching and reading some of the speeches that Michael was talking about is that he did place so much emphasis on the children and how the children are the ones that will bring about change and bring about Mm. peace and uh, equality and and end many of the issues. And we now, the, the fans that were listening to that, we are those children that are trying to do that. That's something that hadn't really dawned on me until just very recently. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's definitely, definitely the case. We're kind of, we're growing up, we're adults now, we're kind of in better positions financially, you know, stability, family-wise, you know, all that sort of thing. You know, we're, we're kind of in the position now where we can reflect back and go, okay, that's, got me that's why I'm doing the things I'm doing today is because of all of that that's built up to it and I think the same could be said for the children I mean when he visited the children they were affected by it obviously their their whole 
I don't know much about all the, the brain psychology of those sort of things when children are children, but obviously everything they're learning from birth right through the teenage years, everything that happens to them is, is shaping their views on the world, you know, and to be able to have, you know, Michael touch their lives by getting them through any situation that you did in, back in the day, you know, that's going to affect them later on in life. And I'm not saying, you know, well, I mean, Paul met him. I mean, I don't know if that has a, an effect where, you know, if he hadn't have met him, would he still be doing the charity side of the stuff that he's doing? I mean, even myself, I mean, if I had never obviously heard of Michael Jackson, would I be doing what I'm doing today? You know, it's all those sort of questions you start asking yourself, you know, deep down, it's probably affected us a lot and we all do our things in our own ways and, you know, you never really know how things are going to pan out until you start doing them and getting into it all. I might jump over to you then shortly to talk about what you are doing and about MJFFC. But before I do, I don't know if I, I don't think I had asked earlier, Paul, where can people order the book from? Oh, okie dokie. Yes. So the book can be ordered from humanitarianbook.com. Um, that's, there's two versions of the book. They've both got all the same information in them. Uh, one's a smaller uh, paperback budget sort of version at 19.95. There's also a deluxe edition, which is a six by nine hardcover. It's just got uh, premium gloss pages uh, internally. So the pay, the pictures, because there are a lot of pictures in there, are just a lot brighter and, and bigger and beautiful. And some of them are really, really nice. Humanitarianbook.com. So, Paul, I'm looking at the website now and I see at the checkout there is a little box there that people can apply a promo code for. Yes. So, up until Christmas, if you want to enter the promo code MJCAST, you'll get 10% off your price. Excellent. Wow. That's very generous. So, up until Christmas 2018, people, enter MJCAST. J-C-A-S-T, and thank you, Paul, for that discount. And I hope that, you know, maybe some people that might not have been able to afford it later, maybe this will bring it to their price range and and get it out there because I think that the more that people get this book and this message gets spread, I think that will also have a positive effect out there. Thank you. Cool. I have to admit right now I'm not a massive book reader. I have so many Michael Jackson books and I kind of – I don't think I've ever – well, Moonwalk. Moonwalk's the only one that I force myself, obviously because of the Moonwalk Hawks thing, to actually read from start to finish. And I think I got halfway. I'm not a massive reader of books. <laughs> that sounds really bad. Not really. I know, you, I know people that are the opposite. same. And I find it hard now to have the time to read books as much as I want. Like I'm continually buying them and my to-read pile is ever-growing and I only get through a handful a year, whereas when I was younger and had a lot more time, I would get through triple that sort of thing. It's so hand, It's a handful more than me. <laughs> but thankfully, there's pictures, <laughs> and you, you can just sit down and flick through oh, a lot of pictures. Oh, if there's pictures, brilliant. That's the deluxe version. I'll get the deluxe version and just look at the picture. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> And what a retrospective that was. Some highlights of season four special episodes. What a year, guys. What a year. Hope you enjoyed that. And uh, how about we go and 
Remember the time <laughs> with some MJ and House of Glitch. There we go. Remember the time. Enjoy the tune. Do you remember? Do you? Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh no, it's a Christmas message from Michael Jackson. Hello, Top of the Pops. Hello and thank you for all your love, your support, and your loyalty. I love you all so much. It has been a source of uh, strength and inspiration. I wish you a very happy Christmas and a peaceful new year. I look forward to seeing you soon. And I love you all dearly. Thank you very much. Did you choose that one, Q? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I reckon that's possibility it could take it out in the, in the voting. I reckon that could it take could. out the... It might. There's some good stuff in this this episode, I have to say. I'm, I don't think I will be able to pick the winner from our songs this show. I think there's a lot of strong contenders. I enjoyed another part of me, the Ajax extended mix, I will say. Yes. I'm always for Captain Yo. <laughs> Yo for life. Oh, Captain, my captain. Totally. <laughs> um, our next segment is something that I've uh, spent a little bit of time editing this past week And it is a reel of our stuff-ups during the last season, season four Some of, um, some of. Some of them there, there was more, but I was kind of constrained by the length of the song So uh, there was a couple of edits that, that are still on the cutting room floor there But I might save them up for next year, we'll see um, but anyway, here is our season four blooper reel. It makes us look a little bit silly, but we love it because it's hilarious. And here you go. Put your fan on, Charlie. <laughs> Turn your fan off, Charlie. <laughs> That's that, hilarious. That is like a rocket ship taking off into space. Are you shit out of yourself now and then? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> All right, well, it's like Jamin. either a 1950s typewriter or a freaking massive fan. <laughs> I love it. That's brilliant. All right, well, let's let's wrap this up really quick so we don't okay. give Charles heat stroke because I'm concerned. <laughs> At least you said the MJ cast is launched. <laughs> <laughs> your introduction early in the season maybe just let people a little bit uh know people uh, i'm going to just say that all again do you have any more time or yeah i do actually um okay we're actually we're um the only thing is right now um uh, you can give me one minute i'm just i'm trying to find out where i'm supposed to be going i'm lost yep. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know I'm oh, that's a regular occurrence <laughs> for me Taj. you know this <laughs> so that's a thing like and just to be completely honest with you guys, I'm actually going to um, Siggy's wife's baby shower. Uh, wow. Toya's baby shower, which is now. Um, so Thank you, Yannicka, for your Jackson... Oh, blah, 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 sorry. <laughs> Let me start over. I This is all new to me. Um, <laughs> thank you, Yannicka. Oh, oh, sorry, we do it over time. Uh, Latoya's participating. A little. Oh my god! Participating. Participating. <laughs> it's where you participate with potatoes. That's well. She may be doing that. Yeah. Uh, the first question I've got was actually submitted through email by uh, one of our longtime listeners, Lachlan Blatt. Lachlan Bad. <laughs> okay, let me do that again. Latoya also went to the Cannes Film Festival. For uh, a pause. premiere of a... Sorry, it's it's Khan. 
you don't pronounce the S. There we go. Let's take okay. a little music. Let's okay. Do that again. <laughs> we're so out of practice. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're so not in the groove. <laughs> and I and I certainly think that the girl is mine is was potentially a conscious effort to replicate rock with you as this strong funky I'm second song. I'm just going to stop you. I'm going to stop. Up? Sorry, you you actually said the girl is mine rather than baby oh, be okay. mine. Okay. It's because I'm looking at the girl as mine on uh, <laughs> on OneNote. Have you seen the new Amazon uh, 2018 holiday campaign, ad campaign? Not at all. I put it in there for you to listen to and watch, Damon. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you kidding? I perused these show notes like 20 minutes before we recorded. So I'm really sorry. I'm watching it right now. TJ, tell sorry, us a Q, little sorry, bit Q. about just going to interrupt in that natural Please. break there. Jamin um, hasn't been recording. No, I have been. But <laughs> <laughs> so, can you imagine? Um, someone's mic is scratching against their beard. Charlie? Sorry, I, w- I was reading my line, but I'd muted myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could you sort of tell... Oh, sorry, Jamin. I was just going to ask. Uh, could you sort of... Could you, you sort of tell... Okay. My God. (laughs) Rusty. Rusty. All right. Until then, make sure to keep microwing. Cool. Did we take every box? Is that like. Or you don't want to Oh, yeah. Time? Sorry. I forgot. I forgot. This is the first episode in 83 episodes you haven't signed <laughs> off. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. And Michael on. Thank you. Charles, put your fan on. That's yeah. a wrap. Another episode in the can. Thank you for giving up your time. I hope you guys enjoyed that blooper reel and thanks so much, Jamin, for editing it. Um, I know that we released that a little bit before the episode and have already gotten a great response. And um, that fan and Charles, man, I mean, it's fantastic. I love it. So thank you for doing it. (laughs) I had forgotten all about that as well. (laughs) So funny. So funny. So now we're going to segue into our main discussion topic. And um, I know we've this is a long episode, guys, and we are so happy you are still with us. So now we're going to look at the year that was back at all of 2018. Cannot believe the year is coming to a close already, as well as the year ahead. Jamin Q, do you want to start us off? It's been quite a year. It's been a good year. It's been a, I'd say it's been a good year for us, like as a team, as well as the content. What was your favorite part of this past year, Q? You, Elise. Oh, thanks. Oh, for reals, for reals. That was easy. My gosh, I was so grateful <laughs> for having you as part of the team and helping out and and giving that perspective that you bring to the table just to help us out when we need advice and and just helping so much online and helping Jamin do stuff and it's just been an absolute pleasure and I've so happy that I know you and get to talk with you and text with you and and hear about doggos and stuff it's great (laughs) I love it so no that's easy for me it's yeah you oh well thanks that means so much to me I I just do have to say I don't know how you guys did this as a two-person team 
even with three <laughs> people. It's a lot of work, and I, I, I hope the listeners appreciate that. It is so much on a daily basis, and it's fun, and it's wonderful, and it's rewarding. But it is like a full-time job. So, I mean, props to you guys for doing this for several seasons um, as a, a smaller team. I, and also, just as I've said before, thank you guys again for including me. It's been so rewarding and you guys are both like the most wonderful people and have been so kind to me. So thank you guys for including me in this journey. I'm loving it so much. Round of applause for Elise, everyone. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Round of applause. Thank you guys. And Jamin, what about you? Oh, well, tell I'll, us about your year that was. Uh, yeah, I, I really have to, to echo what Q is saying. Like, uh, you, you've been a phenomenal, um, person to work with this year and, uh, we had a tough season three, like, <laughs> yeah, we did for a lot of reasons. And, and some of them we won't get into here because, you know, they're internal reasons around how, how the show went last year and the, the toll that sort of took on, on Q and I, and we sort of finished out last year, I think a little bit down, um, because even though we had a good season and like, yeah, some of our best episodes are in season three, uh, in terms of like us doing the MJ cast, it really started to feel a lot more like work than fun in a lot of ways, um, because of the things that were happening in the team. So, um, yeah, we, we sort of tightened things up a little bit and went back to exactly what our vision was at the very start of starting the whole thing. And and brought you. And on it wasn't Jamin and I never had a fight. By the way, just, just putting it out. There. <laughs> we never had a Jamin fight. Jamin and I were not. No, we never had a fight. No, we our team were going to start swirling. Our team grew, and um, you know there were creative differences <laughs> uh, within the team and and the way things were going. Put it that way. So um, yeah. Anyway, we we solved it, and um, yeah, Elise, uh, it's been amazing working with you, practically because. You do such a great job at what you do and allow us to do our job um, in a sort of a timely way because, you know, you focus on the show notes and things like that, but also because your personality, you know, you just vibe with us really well, I think. And um, <laughs> it's just lots of fun to to brainstorm with you and, and think about possibilities for the future. And you're such a positive person as well, which I love. So, it, yes, you, you've been a huge highlight of this year for me and also the correspondence as well seeing each of the correspondents grow oh, yes. into into what they've become and what they do uh, and they're loving what they do which sort of <laughs> creates an even more positive uh, team feeling so i look forward to just keeping the formula that we have at the moment and and running with that next year as well so yeah yeah can can i mention correspondence as well and that was a pretty decent change for our format and and us introducing that concept like we often had people pop in and drop in like little segments with us uh maybe we'd get someone to cross over and drop in some information now and again but having the format where we actually cross to these experts and get their insight and their information and their latest news um, we sort of formalized it. We got great people for each of those roles. And yeah, I think that has been probably the biggest content adjustment we've made really. And that has for me been super positive, like different voices. You're not just listening to myself and Jamin <laughs> rambling on, on. End all the time, rambling <laughs> on like a bunch of crazy old men, um, but we get like different voices and that's so worth it. And shining a light on the charity aspect of Michael regularly 
with Stephen's help of Michael Jackson fans for charity, that for me has been probably one of the most rewarding things. Um, another thing that I'm really proud of this year is um, a lot of people probably don't realize, but I would say maybe not a quarter, but quite a number of our shows this season are actually plan B's. We actually had oh, yeah. we had a lot That's of true. plans for shows around certain things where people either didn't show up or couldn't make it or various reasons. But um, a lot of the shows that we put out this year were very last minute, like, oh, we couldn't get this person for a special, so now let's do this other thing. And those shows have ended up being really great. So I'm, I'm sort of proud of how we were able to put together really high-quality shows, even though our first initial plan didn't work out in a lot of cases. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> and TJ and Damien and yeah, TJ, yeah. Damien, Sean, uh, no, I know Paulie quite a few. D, Stephen, Elise. Uh, yes. There's been a few lifesavers. Now, Elise, what about you? What's been your highlight of the year? Well, I do want to say on that front, it's just, you know, it's a tribute to to you guys really, you know, having this amazing circle of, of people who you can pull in and for just having that kind of strong community where you can make these things, make these episodes happen right away when they need to, which I think is really wonderful. Um, and on the, on the um, correspondence as well, I just wanted to say, I think it's turned into such a nice kind of rhythm with all of them because they all have their, you know, there's different social media followings and their own things they have going on. I mean, you know, Courtney and Cam have their entire own podcast and to see all of them doing their own thing and then really coming together in such a nice way on the MJ cast episodes. Um, it's just lovely to see. It really makes us feel like a community and like kind of a area of common ground where, you know, all the, the news is, is coming together right, right here, which is terrific. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, looking back, of course, this was my first year doing this. Um, again, I cannot believe it's been an entire season already. Thank you guys so much for your comments. And, you know, I've said it before, I'll say it again. You guys are the best. I really do appreciate you. You're both wonderful and have made this learning process um, just so manageable. And you're, you've been both so kind to me. So thank you so much. And yeah, it's been incredible. I will say to the listeners, when I came and started this, I was really just planning on doing follow backs on Twitter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and writing show notes. I, I honestly was not expecting to jump into the show itself so much. And so that's been a huge learning process for me, of course. And thank Jamie's you, everybody. really good at ringing people in to like, hey, can you do this? Can you do this? <laughs> and then adding one job yeah, like, like oh, every yeah. month until <laughs> full time. You, you did. You totally did. I was like, oh, whoa, okay. Okay, okay, okay. Um, yes, you even you even explained what that what that is. What's it called? Is it chunking? Chunking. <laughs> it yeah, creeping? it's actually a teaching chunking. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey. Before I knew it, I was like hosting episodes. But uh, AKA but, yeah, just No, I'm kidding. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's been amazing. I I really did not. I didn't do this to to like because I wanted to try to host episodes or something. It really was originally just about coming in and supporting the show in whatever just background way I could because I love the show so much and because I want to see it go on. Um, and so I've, I, 
ended up doing a lot more than I thought I would. And it's been really wonderful. Also a huge learning process. So thank you for the patience from both you guys and also all of our listeners. I have definitely had to learn little lessons along the way. (laughs) Um, But it's been really fun and really rewarding and just amazing episodes. I mean, so much fun. I have had so much fun talking with guests we've brought on. I've been able to sit in the uh, mission control in the background when we had (laughs) Taj on, uh, which was super fun. And um, uh, of course, the John Barnes episode was a huge highlight for me, but it's just been overall incredibly rewarding. I've also made new friendships. Thank you guys so much to those who have, you know, just really connected with me. You've been so generous with your just time and energy <laughs> that you've put out there. So thank you for that, too. Um, you got to meet I, just, I feel like I have... We didn't even yes, get to meet Joel. Joel. <laughs> oh my gosh, we love Joel on this show. It is the Joel show. I mean, we call it Joel Cast. Um, did you know he did like a charity? He did like a charity yes. raffle of one of his custom fuel tanks for mm-hmm. MJ FFC after yeah. like the um, charity episode we, or the humanitarian episode we did for ninety two. That's so amazing. Joel has this secret like. No, it's not secret. It's an amazing life out in the desert where he does this motorcycle stuff. If you guys have not seen his motorcycle tanks, they're amazing. Um, but yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah. Season five. So we're about to launch into our fifth season, our fifth year of doing the MJ cast. That is insane. Uh, at the end of next year, we'll be have doing this for half a decade. That's just crazy. That is. What are we, what are we hoping for next year? Are, are there any special things that you guys would like to achieve in the show next year i'd be happy if it stayed on course like this season to be honest like like we were talking the other day and you're like i don't want this empire to get big we don't we don't want to build an empire we just want to do this little pirate mj radio show fans making this and yeah i want listeners numbers to continue to grow and it is it still is it's on track it's still climbing every every month but i think this year's been good we'll uh knock out a couple of specials knock out a couple of roundtables there'll be heaps of awesome news updates great updates from correspondents and more focus on some charity and humanitarian stuff and yeah that i'd be happy with all of that yeah yeah, that's that sounds like what I want as well. I sort of want to keep the formula we have right now and just just keep perfecting that next year. There's a few things I'd like to improve. Like uh I'd I'd love it if you if you guys we could get you guys a couple of microphones once we get some kind of shop yes. up and running <laughs> and we get some money coming in for this. That is my personal goal as well. <laughs> we'll get we'll get you guys a couple of good mics so that you can record without these insane just describe to listeners what your setup is right now, guys. <laughs> Elise, you could go first. Oh, yeah, you guys. So I have, well, my big purchase this year was to get actual Apple earbuds so that I can (laughs) properly record on Ferrite. But no, I have my, so I have my cell phone with Skype with one set of earbuds. And then I separately have my iPad, which has the actual recording app on it 
with a second pair of earbuds. And then I have to hold each of the little earbud mics up to my mouth (laughs) and hope they won't run into each other. And it's a balancing act. And I have to be holding them the entire time we're recording, which might be several hours, as those of you who have made it this far into the show know. Um, (laughs) So it's it's a little crazy. And I will say it is also a bit of a distraction. Um, So yeah, (laughs) being able to sit with a mic and actually focus on what I'm saying (laughs) instead of (laughs) holding all these wires around my head is an awesome goal for 2019. That is hilarious. Q, yours is similar, except you've got like an M&M stand holder. So mine, I've got the I've got the iPhone and an iPad exactly the same like Elise. I'm using two separate of the Apple white headphone thingies <laughs> and got my iPad with ferrite open, which I paid, I, I bought this year to, to record local audio on some episodes like this one. I've got OneNote open on the split screen and then I've got a little M&M dispenser, <laughs> dispenser. with Bluetack on it so that the cord is not brushing on my shirt and the microphone is held roughly near my mouth and not bumping into anything. So it's yeah. cords everywhere. It's ridiculous. But um, poor Elise having to hold. I didn't know about that until <laughs> like this recording. I've also And I've also got a dog in my lap right now. <laughs> so, that's one thing I'd like to accomplish. I'd like to get as well some... Um, uh, some more uh, significant guests on the show. Like this year we had John Barnes, which was phenomenal. Next year I'd like to continue getting like upper echelon style people that worked really closely with Michael. Names like Brad Buxer and I, I really want to reach out to some of these guys and see if we can do some specials with them. Um, that's another big And goal our of listeners mine. can also reach out to these people yep. and suggest coming on our show. That is always a help and a welcome help. So listeners, reach out to people that you want on the show. Hot tip, Karen Fay, we've asked in season one. It's not her thing. She doesn't do interviews and we respect that. She answers all her questions on Twitter. And I know a lot of people say, why don't you get Karen Fay on the show? All good, guys. It's all good. We've asked and she's declined and we respect that. So, yeah. Uh, Jared, uh, no, not Jared. Um, who was it today? Someone messaged today and said, what about Quincy Jones? Uh, who was that? Gareth. Gareth. He uh, today, what about Quincy Jones? So, yeah, suggest someone contact Quincy and suggest us and we'll try him again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, we'll keep working on that. We've got to get our shop up and running finally this is the thing that hopefully we can get to happen in the next couple of months actually but um we want to start selling merch just little stuff t-shirts mugs nothing crazy you know insane but just lanyards lanyards well yeah okay for us yeah we need lanyards but i don't know if they'll be a big seller with the i think people, listeners but... would i think listeners would like lanyards as well okay well, anything we make we'll put on stuff. there yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we'll get, I mean, this will be one of the main ways that you can help us out. We don't want to do the Patreon thing. We know lots and lots of podcasts that do Patreon and good good for them if they want to do that. But we don't want to turn into an ad for our own show <laughs> on the MJ cast. So yeah, if we, we want to put a little shop up if you want to buy little things here and there. And then that's a good way to support us to keep doing what we're doing to buy new equipment to help, you know, Stephen out with charity stuff and, and our server costs, etc. But hopefully we can do that soon. That's another big goal of mine. And the last goal for me personally is to to think about what we do a little bit more sustainably. So we put a lot of hours into this show, like an insane amount. Just this episode alone, I've spent 
I think nearly nearly three days editing actually over two days for sure. So um, we (laughs) I want to start thinking about ways we can do things a little bit more sustainably. This is the part of the show where I'm going to put a little call out for people. If you are someone who is particularly interested in visual digital art, uh, if you are good at making graphics and videos, editing videos together, filming things, anything to do with visual stuff. So like good skills in Photoshop or, um, you know, like uh, Final Cut, that those vectors, vector art, all that kind of stuff. If you, <laughs> you want to... If you want to join our team as somebody that can help us out with visual digital art, then please drop us a line at the MJCast at iCloud.com. You don't need to send us a CV or anything like that, but it would actually be really useful if you could send us some of your work. So some of your images that you've created, some videos you've edited together. To be honest, we when people come and join in with us, we usually have people that are really good at what they do. At least in publishing, Charlie is a um, you know a court reporter and an award-winning journalist. Um, we partner with people who who are really good at what they do and love what they do. So if you are somebody that that isn't just like every once in a while does a cool pick of MJ with a love heart next to it on Photoshop, we're not talking about that. We're talking about we're trying <laughs> to reach out to people that are actually really good at what they do. If you have a passion for Michael Jackson, if you have a passion for podcasting, and if you have a passion for digital artwork working for free and working and for, for free, working for free. <laughs> 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 please reach out to us We'd just love saying to it's like an internship we we <laughs> don't pay very well as the least well knows <laughs> we have goals of doing things like little <laughs> mini clips um sort of like ads i guess for you know how to subscribe to the show maybe even new versions of our show artwork um covers and things like that we'd love to to brainstorm with you so drop us a line cool so, Elise, where would you like to see the MJ cast go next year? Well, I mean, being a newbie, I'm just, you know, excited to be here and feel like, you know, we've gotten into the groove this year and more of that in the year to come is is great. I do have some personal goals for guests I would like to try to help us reach out to. Um, and otherwise, yeah, just continue to, to do what we're doing, get our shop up and running. We do have another little back-end project we have been working on now for a year and are still not quite done with it. So my personal goal is to get that launched early this year. And that's a, uh, we've mentioned it before briefly, but that's going to be a book project, which I'll just leave it at that. So I want to do want to thank Lynn and Cody and Danya in particular for their help with that project. It's been, I think, a lot more massive than we originally thought. Um, but I promise that that is coming. And my uh, personal goal is to get it out to you guys in the next couple months. So please do watch for more information on that. We would like to thank those people as well. That's amazing. And Definitely. We know that you're heading up that little working team on that um, digital project. And my gosh, we are very excited for it. And we can't wait because it's going to open up information to a group of people that currently can't access it, which we've always been aware of. So we look forward to helping those people as well as people that want to help us. For sure. Absolutely. So well done, guys. Awesome year. Here's to a great season four. And I can't wait to get into season five with you guys and see the MJ cast grow even more. Yay. Me too. Dangerous. The way she came into the place I knew right then and there. 
there was something different about this girl. The way she moved, her hair, her face, her lines, divinity in motion. As she stalked the room, I could feel the aura of her presence. Every head turned, feeling passion and lust. The girl was persuasive, the girl I could not trust. The girl was bad. The girl was dangerous. I never knew when I was walking the line. Come with me, I said I had no time. And don't you pretend we didn't talk on the phone. My baby cried, she never standing alone. She's so dangerous. The girl is so dangerous.
she touched me. For the lips of a strange woman dropped as a honeycomb. And her mouth was smoother than oil. But her inner spirits is sharper than two edged sword. But I loved it, cause it's dangerous. I never knew. For some, it may be just a small present. For some, it may be a warm meal. For some, it may be a family. For some, it may be just a little bit of love. That is why I need you. I need your help. Let us work together and help those children. Let us reach out to those who are alone. Let us all tell them you are not alone. This year, it is I, only I speaking to you, children in Germany, and sending you a few little gifts. If you help me, then next year we will do the same, but in many more countries. We will speak together, maybe we will sing together, and we will give gifts together. Let us think big. Let us find many people to join our effort here and all over Europe and then all over the world. We can do it. I know we can do it. To all the grown-ups, I like to say this. To us, so many things seem important. Sometimes we think we are important. We are not important. Nothing is more important than our children. They are the future. They can heal the world. It is our obligation to be there for them, to advise them, to motivate them, to help them, and to love them. Let us encourage them to go for their dreams. And let us, as parents, friends, and relatives, help them to have good dreams. I look forward to the new year, to working with you children, and to create an organization that will help other children. I promise, I promise you, if you come along, it will make you feel good and it will be so much fun. Merry Christmas. 
I love you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. Well, that was another Ajax mix. That's two Ajax mixes this episode. That was the Dangerous Ajax's alternate mix. And that was a nice little find this last couple of months, actually. So I was happy that uh, it sort of fit into this episode because, well, I did end up getting that cotton-on dangerous denim jacket. It was back in (laughs) stock and available in-store or some stores and online. I got it online. Um, And, yeah, so I was like, I'm going to put some dangerous into the show. There's not a lot of awesome dangerous mixes, so I hope you guys liked it. I really liked it. Yeah, it's a good one. I've I've not had much to do with Ajax's mixes actually until this episode, so I'm really enjoying them. Sweet. Well, there's a couple more up my sleeve for, for next <laughs> season as well, and he, he's still putting them out. So yeah, there'll be some more Ajax around. Nice, good find. And speaking of finds, nice smooth man. <laughs> <laughs> It's time for Finds of the Week, one of my favorite segments we do on the MJ Cast, where we talk about something cool we've been enjoying this last fortnight relating to Michael Jackson. And Q, I think you're going to lead us off with a a cool little find that you've been enjoying. I am, and Elise also, I think, made comment on it when uh, she found out what it was. Firstly, I'd like to say thank you to our live tweeting queen, Carly. On Twitter, you can find Carly at MJ is my golden boy. And if you use the hashtags for our episodes, so this episode will be hashtag the MJ cast EP93. So you can actually search for our episodes using those hashtags as well, find links to them on Twitter. But I want to say thank you to Carly for this, which I am going to use as my find of the week because she sent it to me and it was great fun. It is a mashup of Adam Lambert versus Michael Jackson and the tracks, the mashup track is called Cuckoo for Your Entertainment, DJ Digimarks Off the Wall Mix Mash. So it is Adam Lambert track for your entertainment mashed up with Off the Wall and it's great fun. Like some mashups are just horrendous, and some <laughs> this this was a great little find. And the video is pretty cool as well. Like there's Adam Lambert looking all sexy as a vampire. By the way, hello vampire <laughs> lovers out there. This is a good look for Adam. It's very cool. And then it's got um, concert footage of MJ performing off the wall with the vocals, and they've got them together and. I just thought it was great fun and check it out in the show notes. The link will be there and let me know if you like it or not. And uh, one day there'll be, I reckon, a mixtape of mashups that we've been playing. And I reckon this will be in it for sure. So that's my find of the week. Thanks, Carly. Very cool. I'm looking forward to checking that one out myself. I haven't yet. It is a lot of fun. I don't usually go for mini mashups, but this one is fantastic. Totally worth checking out. And thank you, Carly. We love you. All right, time for my find. Um, This one I sort of stumbled upon. It was in the news. Every once in a while, I still Google news search Michael Jackson (laughs) to see what's going on. That used to be a daily thing for me when he was alive. I now, you know, do it once every few days or so. But um, I found this uh, cool little article about a boy called Solomon. He's only five years old. But this poor little fellow has been diagnosed with um, a type of cancer. 
don't actually know how to say it, but I think it's desmoplastic small round cell tumor, which is an abdominal cancer. It's really sad how he's gotten this cancer. But uh, basically, the, the story, the reason it's hit the news is because um, his mum shared a video of him in the hospital dancing to, to Michael Jackson, uh, and in particular, the song Bad. And that video sort of went viral. I think it was actually on Twitter she shared it. I'm not sure exactly the social network, but these, these, there's a lot of um, news websites around the place that have embedded that video into their, their story and then have caught up with her for an interview and then fleshed it out and built a story around it. And um, so her name is Lenny Lutui. And um, she's talked all about how her son has developed this real love of MJ um, while being in the hospital. And uh, basically, he loves the big hits, obviously, Billie Jean, Thriller, Beat It. And he says that dancing in the hospital really lifts his spirits through the treatment. And good news at the end of it is that it looks like that he's um, going to be completing his treatment in mid-January. And hopefully everything after that will be fine. So a really good news story there. Um, and we give Solomon our best wishes and um, also his mum as well, Lenny. And uh, it's a really heartwarming sort of story to read if you f- want to follow the link in the show notes to that news article to see how Michael, even though he's not around now physically, he's not visiting hospitals anymore like he was doing all the time when he was touring. Even now, kids, sick kids in hospitals are still feeling his positivity and you know, he's lifting their spirits up through their treatment. So I found it to be very heartwarming. And that's my find. Love it. It's such a great clip. Please go and check this clip out. I know it went viral and you may have seen it on Facebook or Twitter and hopefully you shared it. But if you haven't, the link is in our show notes. It is such a beautiful, heartwarming clip. Jamin, I actually found the mum on Twitter. Did you? So people can actually... Yes, um, I found where, so the tweet came from, uh, the video came from a tweet um, and I would love it if people would maybe send the mum their best wishes over Christmas. I think that would be really sweet to to her and to little Solomon. Um, So on Twitter, her handle is at Lenny Lubu, L-E-N-I-L-O-O-B-O-O. At Lenny Lubu on Twitter is the mum Lenny. So yeah, like send a, her and Solomon and their family like um, best Christmas wishes and some strength to her little mini Hulk because oh yeah, that was really heartwarming. I think that's a terrific find of the week. Nice work, Jamin. Oh, good. Yeah, that's really nice. All right, and now we're gonna hear our final find of the week from our web assistant Elise. Yes. Uh, so my find of the week is one that I did mention on social media. So some of you may have heard about this already, but worth a second mention in case you did not go and listen to it. This is a podcast episode I came across about my favorite topic, Captain EO. It is called the Blast Points Podcast. They're a Star Wars podcast, and they did this one episode on Captain EO. The reason I think it's great to listen to is because... While it doesn't have a ton of, you know, information that the hardcore fans won't know, it is looking at the making of Captain EO from the George Lucas perspective. And so it's really looking at what was going on with George Lucas at the time, what was going on with Disneyland at the time, which I think is quite fascinating, just where the Disneyland park was 
in their, you know, kind of uh, history in terms of thinking that they wanted to bring this movie in. So it just it kind of gives a different perspective on the whole history of of the film, um, which I find really interesting. It's an entertaining podcast. The guys, the two hosts also watch the entire film and comment on it in the last half of the episode. So definitely worth a listen. A lot of fun to the Captain EO fans and hope you will check it out. Did either of you guys get a chance to listen to this one? Not yet, but I will be for sure over my Christmas break now that you've uh, talked about it. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's fun. Heck, yes, it's in my podcast queue ready to go, actually. (laughs) I have a feeling, I'm not sure if it's ready to go next or if this one will be released and then it'll bump it because I always, whenever one of our episodes, I actually listen to our episodes because I've always wanted a Michael Jackson podcast and there is one, so I might as well listen to it even if it's got some dude called Q on it who's really boring. <laughs> um, but, like, no, this is right up my alley. I was very excited when you shared this on um, social media. So, yeah, I've added it to my queue because I can't wait to hear about the sort of the the EO stuff but also the context of it in the Disneyland park. Yeah. And, and, and the other parks as well. But, yeah, because it was for Disneyland, so that's so cool. Yeah, and I will say that the hosts are very good at uh, impersonating George Lucas's voice, which is <laughs> cool. That's great. <laughs> really cool. Excellent. I love how we had such three different finds of the week. That's that's cool. Very yeah, cool. yeah. So head to the show notes. Don't miss out on this stuff. There's some really good stuff in finds of the week, and yeah, three really different things this time. So Elise, I've got to ask: When are you going to be heading up a Captain EO roundtable? Yes. Oh, man. That would make me so happy, you guys. <laughs> Except my one problem is when I start talking about Captain EO, I get really hyper and lose all sense. I don't know, wh- I don't know what it is. You guys, what is it about Captain EO? <laughs> it's the I just, style. I go crazy. It's, the, it's everything. Uh, my biggest regret is not getting the, the, what are those toys called? Like the fluffy fairy toys? Plushes. I have, Not getting I have the, the fuzzball. My biggest regret. I have the fuzzball one from the original oh, time so actually, of Captain EO. Yes. Oh my God. I yeah, never got them because I never saw it in the original time. But when it was re-released and I was, get this, I saw it with Paul Black <laughs> on my honeymoon, which is a whole oh my other gosh. story. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the first, one World? of the first that- days of my honeymoon and I was in Los Angeles with the husband, of course. <laughs> but we also had a friend with us. See you later, Hubs. I'm what? heading out with Paul Black for the day. <laughs> no, you no, you will love this actually, Jamin. You will actually fully support this. It was back when iPads were first released. So we actually had a friend with us for the first half of our honeymoon. So I hooked um, up a time with Paul Black because he was living and studying in LA at the time. We went to Disneyland. It wasn't a husband's thing back then, but it is now. Now he's obsessed like me. Um, So Paul and I went to Disneyland and we got to see Captain EO and I regret not getting the plushes, but I did get pins, key ring and poster and a hat. Actually, I did get all that stuff. Maybe I had no money left for the plushes actually, but um, the hubs went with our mate to an Apple store to go look at iPads because it was a new thing. So there you go from one Apple nerd to another. I think you'd appreciate that. I do. I very much appreciate that. And I must say the hubs is very generous, man. If I, if I tried to pull anything, (laughs) 
Michael Jackson related on the first day of my honeymoon. Let me tell you, it wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> it was, <laughs> wouldn't it was just the way it worked out. It was just the, <laughs> the time awesome. it worked out. <laughs> I, you know, I, I dragged my husband to Neverland Ranch on the first day of our honeymoon. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my that God. so funny. We have good there spouses. Go. I'll tell mine that story and that'll, that'll go down well, too. <laughs> Nice. All right. Well, it was great to hear your finds, guys. Thank you very much. I I love finds of the week. And, um, you know, thinking about uh, Solomon this past week and and also thinking about the great episode that that you did with Paul and Stephen about MJ's humanitarianism, it's really drove home to me a lot how one of our missions really at the MJ cast now is to to give back as much as we can as well to people in need all around the world, just like Michael did. So who better to hear from than our charity correspondent around how we can practically do that? Let's cross now to Stephen for his final update around charity for the year. Well, it's that time of year again and where we say goodbye to 2018 and welcome in the year 2019. It was a pleasure to have participated in my first MJCast episode earlier this month and it was great to finally verbally meet Q and Jamin. Even though it was recorded in the early hours of the morning for me, it was a great episode to take part and discuss a new humanitarian side of Michael, so I urge MJ fans to check it out if they can. It has been a great year for MJ Inspired Charities. So many things have happened and I think it's great to see more activity from the estate and to see them putting the 20% of Michael's will to good use, as was Michael's wishes. I am looking forward to much more of this charitable activity from the Michael Jackson estate well into 2019 and beyond. We have seen donations to charities, toy deliveries, initiatives that are creating lots of awareness for the plight of those less fortunate in the world. In December, Michael's Dream Foundation gave $500 and three big boxes of toys to children being looked after at a foster care unit in Georgia, USA. Heal the World for Children Spain gave loads of toys to children in Madrid in December. They posted a video on Facebook and can be found if you just search for the words Heal the World for Children, Spain. Michael Jackson's Legacy posted a notice on their page appealing to anyone that can be of practical help in taking Michael's heart and message around the world through the distribution of bags filled with necessities. So if you or someone you know is currently in or travelling to an area in need in the coming months, please drop them an email at hello at michaeljacksonslegacy.org with the title Distributor or message them via their Facebook page which can be found by searching for Michael Jackson's legacy. The Michael Jackson-inspired Heal the World Miracle Community Organisation are also looking for assistance with donations at this time to fight poverty, and details about their organisation can be found at www.healtheworldmiraclecommunityorganisation.com. That's organisation with a Z or a Z. Heal LA have successfully funded their 2018 December goal of $10,000, and have now, at the time of recording this, have reached almost $1,200. US The money raised by Heal LA goes towards their projects in the new year, and currently they are giving away Heal LA t-shirts autographed by Prince Jackson for donations of $100 or more. Details of this fundraiser can be found at instagram.com slash Angeles. These are just some of the MJ-inspired organisations we have been made aware of, and we are sure that there are many more out there waiting to be discovered. If you know of any or run any yourself, please get in touch with me and I will be sure to mention them in a future update. In the meantime, please do check out the ones just mentioned and support them where you can. Moving on to MJ Fans for Charity now, and in 2018, MJFFC, with the help of Michael's loving fans, 
been able to give well over $3,000 across 12 different charitable beneficiaries, including the Vitiligo Research Foundation, Plastic Oceans and Help Refugees. Last month, with the help of £1 monthly donors, we raised US$208 for the UK mental health charity Mind. As we close 2018, we continue with our final fundraiser for this month, which is for the charity Street Child, which educate, protect and support thousands of children around the globe, and in fact have in the last 10 years helped over 200,000 children to go to school and learn. In 2019, we can't wait to start including some personal pills within our usual voting to really make a difference on the ground and in a similar personal format to the way Michael gave throughout his lifetime. The more members that join our project, the more impact Michael Jackson fans can make in tribute to Michael, and it couldn't be more sustainable or easier than heading over to our website, mjffc.org, and hitting the Give Your £1 button to give £1 per month. All currencies from all countries are accepted. There is nothing that can't be done if we raise our voices one. From our special episode, many have done just that, where we discuss the real humanitarian side of Michael Jackson, as a result of that episode, six more MJ fans joined us and took us up to 57 consecutive monthly donors at the time of recording this. So a huge Christmas hug and thank you to the MJ Cast team for your assistance in racking up numbers. Not only that, but an MJ fan was even inspired to hold a raffle too, in which details can be found on his Instagram page at instagram.com slash joel845. Joel is holding a raffle for a brand new Repop Mid-Tunnel Wassel Tank with Cap, I have no idea what that is, apart from the fact that it's for a motorcycle, but it looks awesome in the photo, so please do check that out and spread the word about it to your biker friends where possible. We hope tons more fans are in a position to be able to dedicate just one unit of their currency per month towards the pot in the new year, as we build up on an ongoing and sustainable giving project that many fans are already super excited about being a part of. Every single member makes a difference to our small group, so if you want to ditch your New Year's resolution and instead join the Michael Jackson Fan Legacy Revolution, please do join us either now or in the new year. We guarantee you goosebumps throughout 2019. I think we should look forward to a very positive 2019 in the MJ community, where there will be plenty of opportunities to celebrate his life and meet up with new fans and make some great new MJ friends too, especially due to the fact that we'll also be marking the 10th year without Michael, so I think it will be high time for us to start building bridges and really make a difference to people's lives. Above all, please remember Michael's message of love in all that you do. Love can take us to higher places and even places we never thought possible. We must keep the momentum that Michael gave us. Because we can only help heal the world the way Michael intended to if we pull together and simply do everything in the spirit of Michael and with love. Let's make 2019 the best NJ fan year yet. If you wanted to reach out to me to find more about our monthly project, I can be reached for details or general NJ fan geek outs at facebook.com slash mjffc or twitter.com slash mjffc. Whilst you tuck into your Christmas circuit this year, if you're that way inclined, or if you're like me, you're vegan nut roast, please spare a thought for all those that are not able to have such freedom of choice around the world this time of year, or any time of the year. We must continue to focus our compassion and help those in need as much as humanely possible. Thanks again, guys, and see you in Season 5. Keep making that change, and Merry Christmas! Well, I've just got a few little thank yous that I'd like to say, other than yourself, Jamin, for all your amazing editing work and and legit hard work. It's just been like an amazing year listening of terrific content and terrific editing. And because I've been on like a lot of the shows, I've heard where things, maybe calls were disconnected and there were audio problems. Like recently we had my internet completely drop out in episode 92 <laughs> That was so annoying. So you just managed to put all these things together and you're such a great editor for the for the audio. So thank you so much. And Elise, thank you for helping with 
everything this year. There's like so much, but thank you so much. Thank you to all our correspondents as well from everywhere around the world. But just a few little social media thank yous that I really want to say is um, thank you on Facebook to Nadika Pelpola and on Instagram at Reese underscore Donnelly underscore 99. Greg Williams, L-A Greg, L dot A dot Greg. Uh, Marita Applehead, I've been listening to some of your music stuff that you've been putting up. So thank you for sharing that as well as for listening. And um, special thank you to Gareth Murphy. Uh, he's been a Royal Marine of 10 years. He's actually going to be home at Christmas uh, with his family, his little mini MJ son. Uh, shout out to Gareth. We've had some great uh, conversations recently as well. And Josh Ovendale of, and I'm probably going to mispronounce this, Wispec, England. Sorry, English listeners and to Josh. But yeah, shout out to Josh. And for emails, we do get a lot of emails. I don't always get to reply because I sometimes just get caught up with work. And then I've like a month later go, oh my God, I've got a damn email that I still haven't <laughs> replied to. So embarrassing. But I read them all. I can guarantee Julie from Switzerland. I'm going to give this a go. Raut Rosenblatt. Also, Sean Fitzgerald, who we've had on the show. Thank you so much, Sean. Chris Maffey, Celine Gee, Ali from Iran, and Mika Sridhara Murphy. Thank you very much, everyone. That's it from me. Thank <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thank you for all you do on social media and uh, everything you do for the show. Really appreciate it. I love it the same now like I did when we first started out. And the least, same goes to you. Thank you for everything. What a great year it's been. It has. Super exciting. Thank you guys so much. No worries. Well, looks like we're coming to the end of the show, but there is still one more correspondent that we uh, would love to hear from, and that is Yannicka from Jackson Source, who gives us great updates on the Jackson family every fortnight when we do regular episodes. Great to catch up with what the, the brothers are doing and Latoya and... And the next generation. The next generation. Jafar's doing his thing oh, now. Absolutely. He's doing something with like some cryptocurrency, juicic token. I have no idea what is happening. And his music sounds really good. I love his Instagram and he's often posting little like vocal snippets and beats and things from the studio. Yes. Can't wait to see what comes from um, Jafar's work. We're going to cross to Yannicka now, who's going to give her final thoughts of the year. Uh, and then we'll listen to a song. Speaking of Jafar, we've got a recording here of Jermaine Jackson, Jafar and Your Majesty, his sons, singing the Christmas song at Max Proms 2017. Hello, this is Yannicka from Jackson Source, and I would like to wish everyone a happy holidays and an amazing and especially healthy 2019 Thank you to Jamin and Q and team and listeners for having me over the past year. I really enjoyed contributing my segments as a correspondent, uh, and I look forward to sharing more in 2019. And I'm honored to be part of this incredible podcast, so I applaud you guys for your hard and fantastic work. As for 2018, I feel that the episode uh, and the roundtable dedicated to Joe, including Taj, was a special one because it was a beautiful tribute to the hog. 
Jackson's wise, I look forward to uh, the brothers and the legends touring the world. And I'm so happy for the MJ Cost team that they're coming down under in January. So I wish you loads and loads of fun with the gigs. And I hope you guys will meet the brothers. As for 2019, I also look forward to uh, what Jafar is going to bring music and entertainment wise. I'm really excited about him. Um, and for me personally, I also hope that Janet will bring her tour to Europe uh, as she'd been promised that she would. Uh, I really uh, I really would like to see her show and see her again. I'm also working hard on another Jackson magazine, the 2018 edition. Especially over the holidays, I will have uh, loads of work to do. Uh, but I hope to have it out by mid-January. 2018 edition will feature a full retrospect of this year, covering all the news and highlights and events of the Jacksons and the next generation in the form of articles and interviews, photos, uh, and exclusive contributions from the Jackson family members. Uh, including exclusive interviews with Jackie as well as Jafar. So look out for that. This next song, um, I would like for, for my two sons to join me is Jafar and Your Majesty.
that was a great clip. And thank you guys so much. And now let's just talk about our final plans for the year. How are you guys going to celebrate the holidays and the end of the year? Well, I had today off. Today is Saturday. It's actually day two of recording for this episode. It's so long that we had to record it over two days. Today's Saturday. It's been a day off. So I had to do a whole bunch of stuff because tomorrow I start six days of work right over Christmas. So I'm off to an East Coast flight tomorrow for the night and then get home on Christmas Eve. And then I've got a tradition I do with friends Christmas Eve. We have like a green chicken curry night and so I get to give my presents to my nephews and stuff. So thankfully I am home in time for dinner on Christmas Eve. So I'll get to do that little tradition. And then I'm working very early Christmas morning. And then I'll be home by late lunch to head down to the family. And we'll have a late lunch when I get there after work. So hopefully no delays. And then Boxing Day working. Yeah, so I'm working right through everything, but I will make the most of it. And you saw my Christmas tree. I finally finished decorating. Oh my God, it's taken me 400 years this time. So I got the nativity up. I've got the house decorated. Now I just need to clean the table for when the hubs and I have a small Christmas dinner because it's covered in preparation stuff. So that's, that's, that's it for me. And it's going to be hell hot. It's going to be like nearly a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. It'll be something like 36 or 38 degrees here Christmas day. So I'm not looking forward to that. God, not looking forward to it. (laughs) Well, your tree is beautiful, so it makes it feel like it's cold winter time. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> That's why I do it, actually. It's one of the reasons <laughs> I want it to feel like Christmas. Because over here in Australia, it's in the middle of summer, and it's usually either a cyclone somewhere up north. There's always a cyclone happening at Christmas or like a heat wave. But all the Christmas decorations and cards and pictures and imagery, it's all still of snow and winter. It's very strange. <laughs> and Jamie, what about you? Oh, just family stuff. Um, we're going to take it easy this year and just uh, hang out with family at my parents' house, at our house. First Christmas in our new house here, so we're having a lot of fun decorating and putting stockings up and filling them. And um, yeah, so just taking it easy, really, and recharging and relaxing. And um, yeah, we'll probably go away next year. We're already starting to talk about maybe you know, Christmas next year going to New Zealand or somewhere. But this year we're going to just take it easy and enjoy family. That sounds perfect. Elise. I have the next few days off and so I'm excited about that and really just having a mellow year this this year. My husband has to work pretty much through the holidays, not on Christmas Day like you, Q, but he works in finance. So it's a crazy time um, for his industry. So he unfortunately only has Christmas Day off. But uh, mm. but that's okay. I get to spend some time with my dogs, take them for lots of walks, and then spend time with my with my parents and my sister who live nearby. So that's it for me. What's the weather going to be like in San Diego at Christmas? Because like, you're on the West Coast like me, so what's your sort of typical Christmas weather? It's also pretty warm here. It's uh, we, we are lucky if we get cold enough to wear sweaters, but it's not 100 degrees Fahrenheit. It's like 70 yeah. Fahrenheit. So okay. definitely not your hot, hot summer weather, but it, but it stays. I mean, like on Christmas Day here, we usually go to the beach and have a beach walk. 
That's um, like an Australian Christmas. Hmm. Yeah. Except pretty, except you're in warm. winter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> our cold our colder weather, we usually get a little bit of colder weather in like January. Um, but it doesn't get very cold in San Diego at all. So hmm. That's cool. Yeah. So, okay, we've got that in common then. That's pretty cool. So I won't yeah. be the only one wearing shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it stays pretty warm. But although in San Diego, if it drops below like 65 degrees, everyone freaks out and puts on humongous puffy jackets. So <laughs> That's so funny. Very that funny. Is funny. <laughs> cool. Well, um, we're going to have a little break and we may have some technical stuff happening over the break. If we can arrange that, we will be uh, changing servers and hopefully all of that goes very well and smoothly. Uh, so there may be, you know, slow social media output, perhaps maybe slow down on that a little bit and definitely not really any big episodes in the next two weeks but stay tuned subscribe via a podcast app we're available like apple podcast google podcasts stitcher radio tune in radio and you listen through is it podcast republic uh, at least podcast right? republic yes which i've been very happy with cool um there was another one someone pointed, I think CastBox, someone was talking about on Twitter this week. CastBox, I think we're available on as well. But just search for the MJ Cast. If you hit subscribe when a new episode drops, just say perhaps a special episode with, I don't know, a photographer, who knows, or <laughs> maybe a season four mixtape. Who can say, but... Don't worry, I'll be working on the mixtapes, so it's all good. You guys sit back. <laughs> I'll make the list of the songs, and I'll submit them to you, Elise and Jamin, and you can check it out. But, yeah, so subscribe. Don't miss out. But, yeah, we may be doing some technical stuff in the background over the break, and we'll be back early-ish next year, not like March this year. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, looking forward to a little break um, and relaxing and yeah, recharging our batteries for the next season, season five. And uh, we can't wait to be back with you guys discussing all things Michael Jackson and the Jackson family. It's lots of fun. I can't wait to do it again next year. Great year. I'm excited about the year to come. Super happy, super excited to be with you guys. And thank you listeners for everything and for listening to our long wrap up the season episode. We so appreciate it. Getting the money's worth. Yep, hopefully it's um, brought some people some entertainment and some company over this long break and holiday. And uh, until next year, that's a wrap. See us later. Keep Michaeling. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We really, truly, truly appreciate it when you listen and share the show without you listening and telling other fans and Michael fans about it, then it's just us talking on the phone to each other. So <laughs> you guys make the podcast what it is. So uh, from me, thank you. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And stay tuned. Michael on. And stay bad. Elise, really? You got, that's all you're going to say?
<laughs> you can <laughs> wish them Merry over. Christmas or I don't know whatever. what else there is to say. Okay, let me, sorry. Let me do it again. Let me do it again. Um, and Merry Christmas to everybody and happy holidays with whatever holiday you do celebrate. We love you guys. You make this possible. You give us our MJ fam and stay bad. Nice. All right, that's it. Well done, guys. That's a wrap. The MJ Cast.